I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey everyone, Scott Hansen here from NFL Red Zone. I hope you're checking out one hour of Five Yard Rush, one of the best podcasts on NFL football in the UK. Hello and welcome to our Super Bowl extravaganza show. This is the third, fourth year that we've done a super show like this and this one might be up there with one of the best. I thought last year's would be very hard to top with some of the amazing insight we got from our guests but we have somehow managed to up the billing this year. So first of all, welcome. Thank you. We are going to publish some of these shows separately so you can watch them uh, in shorter bursts. But this show is being put up earlier so people can enjoy the content well before the Super Bowl. That also means as a disclaimer that some of these were recorded a little bit in advance and therefore some of the information might be slightly out of date. So to give you the running order on today's show, we do have Stocks coming back to Five Yard. Me and him record an amazing segment. I'm so pleased that he is back uh, on this show. For those of you that don't know Stocks, he started this podcast. He brought me on and, um, you know, went off and did the college side of things and, and, and everything else. So I'm immensely proud and grateful that he is back uh, talking ball definitely every time I get to talk to him I enjoy it more and more and more and I'm so glad he's on this show we have a Chiefs fan uh, called Liam Horsley's host of go for two podcast uh, with our friend uh, Muggs NFL uh, who does those amazing hoodies and uh, and gifts for the NFL community so looking forward to getting a Chiefs perspective then we do have coach Jeff Reinbold coming on the show uh same as the last couple of years he's going to break down some x's and o's for us and give us a bit of insight as to how this game can be won or lost and i promise you you're going to want to tune in uh to that then following up from there is good friend uh will gavin and will gavin has got some amazing super bowl stories this is a segment you're going to want to listen to because some of the stories in here 
are just an absolute delight. And then for me, a personal highlight. For me, I always wanted to get a Super Bowl winning quarterback on this show. And we have done it. And big bad Brad Johnson is joining the show for an exclusive review on the 20th anniversary of him winning his Super Bowl with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, giving us the insight of what it's like to have played in London in terms of for the London Monarchs, as well as also, you know, climbing the ladder of success. He was a ninth round draft pick. So definitely tune into that one. And then we've got an Eagle fans uh, perspective, and I'm looking forward to talking through that one with a great Eagles fan and a good friend. So looking forward to breaking that one down before we get into some uh, picks with uh, prop bets and DFS picks with Mark Ferguson, who has done our DFS show for a few years. Um, he is the reigning fan team, Super Bowl uh, champion, contest champion. So, you know, this guy knows what he's talking about and wins significant money. So you're going to want to do that if you like to put uh, a DFS lineup in or like to... Um, have a little prop bet on the Super Bowl. The Fast Action Friday boys have recorded a segment, and I promise you it's it's dynamite and fireworks. So if you have um, some interest going into the game, you're going to want to watch that one and enjoy that. Before um, finishing the show is, again, another very good friend of mine, Mags. You might know him from the Dynasty Hot Seat. Him and I are going to talk about some fantasy football. Because it's a fantasy football show, you've got to include some fantasy football in here somewhere, right? So Mags and I are going to talk about some fantasy football and talk about how we um, how we would approach it from a contest perspective and putting lineups together. It's slightly different from a DFS perspective. Um and then not to mention there's going to be some giveaways in this show. So um, stay tuned for that. There are a couple of signed jerseys that we will be giving away to people. And I will explain the details at hidden moments in this show. So make sure you watch, you pay attention uh, and make sure you follow the instructions because I want to give uh, these signed jerseys away to well-deserving fans. So it, all in all, it's a phenomenal show. It's a, it's, a, it's a long show. This will be a difficult one to do in one sitting. However, I really hope you enjoy this. I'd like to thank all the amazing guests for giving up their time to do this and as well to the amazing team at Five Yard Rush for all the work you do and for everything that you've done for for me, for Stocks and for this show. Uh, Lee, the the unsung uh, hero here, he's the one that's had to edit this video. So um, make sure you uh, contact Lee on Twitter at 5YardLee and send thanks for this because this is an unbelievable show with unbelievable content and unbelievable guests. So I really hope you enjoy the show. I really hope you um, reach out to the guests involved whether they're uh, people you know uh, and well-known names or whether they're not, and support the work and, and everything they do because they're all incredible individuals who have been very kind and gracious to give up their time and all of them are doing great things in their own way. So make sure you do engage with them. But without further ado, let's get on to the show and let's talk Super Bowl and Tom Brady retirement with my all-time bud, Stocks. Yo, what's happening, Rush Nation? I am back. It's Super Bowl special. This isn't how I thought the intro was going to go, but this is how it's going right now. And as always, hang on, wait, no, well, back up, back up. If you're hearing my voice for the very first time, my name is Stott. <laughs> and 
I used to do this with Murph a few uh, a year ago or so now, and uh, he asked me to come back, and of course I was going to say yes. If you're seeing me on video for the first time, surprise, gotcha. But as always, it wouldn't be five yard stocks if I wasn't joined by the enigmatic Murph himself, big man. It's great to be back. It's fantastic to see you on the screen. How you doing, man? It's been a hot minute. This has been this has been too long, mate. And uh, I think the one takeaway point for me is to get you back on air a bit more frequently. Um, and we're going to definitely do more episodes in the off season, just the odd ones here and there. And, and because you know, I've missed this, this, you know, for those of you that have joined us in the last one to two years, you know, Stocks and I before the pandemic used to do this in person uh, every Monday night. We used to go to Stocks, Stocks's mum's um garage shed whatever you want to call it and um it's not a shed <laughs> no it was a garage it was very big um and it was bigger than my first flat and um yeah it was i mean it was great it was a way for us to just connect and uh have a beer and 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 then lee used to come down as well and uh and help us with the video side and it was yeah, I miss those days so much. I mean, the pandemic and then moving houses. We've both moved houses and we've moved areas. It's just all, it. we're both had kids. Like, yeah. you know, remember when we both started this? I mean, Hunter was on his way, but he wasn't quite here. And uh, and then he was, but like, so much has changed. Uh, yeah, man. It's just wild. So, yeah, if you, if you don't know who Stocks is, go back and listen to some of the earlier episodes or even episode 500, uh, where we did the extravaganza back at the garage uh, for one last hurrah um but that's good to good to have you back and it's you know it's super bowl week it's exciting it's uh, the conclusion of the season it's so much it's been a strange year hasn't it really has been a strange season the way it's all played out it almost seems a bit pedestrian that we've been left with the two number one seeds because there's been so many twists and turns i i think you are right in the fact that my f- attention football-wise this season has been college, but I have seen, obviously, because of the fantasy I still do with yourself and, and, and some of the listeners, I, I do see the NFL. And yes, it feels pedestrian that the two best teams have made it to the end, but also that's maybe how it's supposed to be. I don't know. But then the two best teams, it, it's not as if they've been undefeated throughout the whole season. Both teams have looked vulnerable at times and you know it 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 feels to me what we're going to we're going to talk about is this the best matchup in a little bit but I don't know I I think you're right in the pedestrian comment but I feel like maybe there was a a few bumps in that pedestrian you know I'll tell you what it's like those bus bollards that pop up every now and again just to, (laughs) to to treat you wrong occasionally I think there's been a couple of those pop up but yeah I mean it is the season also seems to me to have gone faster than usual and i don't know whether it is because of the constant pace we've seen i don't know what about you do you feel like it's it's slower or faster this year than previous years i feel the playoffs have been slower i feel the regular season went very quickly um i think the playoffs as a whole when we look back at this season and we'll review it i think the nfc playoffs were borderline poor um i think you look at the games that happened and there weren't any that were that's a lie there was one or two games that were closely contested in the nfc but most of these were blowouts um you know the cowboys blew out the bucks um you know the eagles in their two games have blown out their opponents um you know 
it's just been it's been a pretty boring NFC playoff. Um, I thought we were going to have a great NFC championship. Brock Purdy goes down after I don't know minutes, it seems, and two, that's the two completions. I think two yeah, passes, and then, and then, and then, and then that's the end, and then that that ends the contest. It's done. It's from that moment on, the game is over. So that's the frustrating side, and the NFC has been a poor, poor conference, really. When you break down the NFC, yeah, the Eagles were by far the best team in the NFC. I don't think anyone can argue that. But realistically, you've got a team in the Buccaneers who were the four seed with a losing record in the worst division we've seen for some time. You have... And they struggled to even win that division. You have the Giants emerging. That's a cool story. You have Mr. Irrelevant going 7-0. and That's a cool story. But realistically, the Vikings are a bit of a resurgence under O'Connell in his first year. That was cool. The Packers not winning the division. The lo- I mean, the best the best part of the whole NFC season for me, and it's people got this conspiracy that I hate the Packers and I don't hate the Packers, but I thought it was very cool. <laughs> I thought I don't I don't hate the Packers. I just thought it was very cool that the Lions knocked out the um the Packers are out of playoff contention with the last play of the last game of the season. Yep. Like, I think that stuff like that for me is cool. Like it could have been any two teams other than the Bucks losing, and yeah. I thought that was cool. Right? It's it's not it's not who who it happened to, but realistically for me, the most entertaining team in the NFC was the Lions. They were the team that I looked forward to watching. I didn't look forward to watching the Eagles as much as I looked forward to watching the Lions. They for me were the highlight of what was a bad conference, and Seattle were probably a notable addition to that because everyone thought that they were tanking for the one pick after trading Russell Wilson and you know it end up because Denver Denver tanked for them. <laughs> yeah. And then you end up I mean they've ended up with yeah, I mean it's it's a bizarre set of circumstances that that, that happened. Yeah. So it's a strange yeah, it's a strange scenario, um the NFC. The AFC obviously was always going to be the most quality. That's where the best games where there were lots of great storylines in the AFC. I feel the NFC let it down. Hopefully next season that that will change. But I mean, before we get on to the Super Bowl properly, we should really talk about um, the fact that Tom Brady has retired. Um, now, I literally my timeline a year ago today as we're recording this, I sat on stage with Jason Bell and uh, Hannah Wilkes and Tom Brady had retired. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I had to ask to give my reaction. And like Tom, I'm not going to do it all over again. Like, um, but I'll ask for yours. Um, so the two questions I have for you is what, what's your taking on Tom Brady as his career and, and everything that he's achieved in the game? And do you think it's real this time? I obviously, even if he hadn't have gone to the Buccaneers and won that Super Bowl, with the Buccaneers, which twofold was great for us because I get to see you as a Buccaneers fan celebrate another Super Bowl because realistically, you and I don't see many of those. So that was great. But not if he hadn't have gone to Tampa, he would still have been the greatest of all time, in my opinion. Now, my football life, for those new to five yard, it is fairly short, not as long as Murph's. But from what I've seen in my time watching and from learning about the history of the game, Tom Brady is is the greatest of all time to have done it. And not only because he's won the championship rings, but when you go back and you look at 
how he built his team by taking less money and built into the franchise. It, all of that comes together for me to make him the greatest of all time. It, Patrick Mahomes might do it. You know, we, we'll talk about the Chiefs in a little bit, Murph, but three of the last four years, they've got there now, right? Um, but the guy's on 50 million a year. Tom Brady never did that. And then, but I, I also have a point on the Chiefs that 50 million a year and, and what they did last year in the draft is when you look at last year's draft class and how that has performed, I think the Chiefs are the real deal because of how they're built inside and out. And I think from a football perspective, maybe we don't give enough credence to the internal workings of an organisation, you know. And, and this is a fantasy football podcast and we come here for the numbers and waiver wire ads and stuff. But when you dig into football, there's so many more variants and niches that need exploring that perhaps could one day affect fantasy football because if you know the Chiefs or I'll just do it now like I think if you look at the Chiefs uh, seven of however they drafted up until the seventh round including Pacheco five of them are starters one of them is a punt returner and then you've got uh, a nickel corner who plays pretty much any time a nickel's in so if you think the Chiefs are going to hit on most players I'm not saying they're going to do this every draft but if you think the Chiefs are going to hit more often than not, there could be some fantasy football sleepers. So if we can dive into teams' draft capabilities, maybe there's sleepers to come out of that in a fantasy football way. But, you know, I'm just saying along the Tom Brady lines, I think he's the greatest of all time. And do I think, do I think it's for real? I don't know. It's impossible because of last year to say, yeah. I mean, if you look at his video, it looks like he's just out on a walk somewhere and he's just taken a video to say, hey, guys, it's me. Just a quick one. I'm retiring. This is it for good. But come on, Tom. I mean, you've done it before. And now with Giselle out the window, I mean, that's probably a terrible way to put it. <laughs> he's got less of a commitment that way. You know, had he have done it last year, he could still be a family man and he could have walked away. But what's to say a team doesn't turn around and say, Tom, come and have one last go here. And he'd be like, Do you know what? Yeah, okay. It's not there's no, it's not a special retirement, you know. It wasn't a whole we'll bring you back Drew Brees, get you a bit of paper midway through the third quarter because you broke a record sort of thing. It's never really been Tom Brady retiring, has it not been a fireworks party? Do you know what I mean? There's nothing about it, it's just I'm retiring. So if he was to come out and say I'm not retiring again, absolutely nobody would be surprised. So I would. I think I think, and let me let me explain why. So I'm going to just take away the emotion of the situation of Tom Brady retiring. He did this before. We've heard the story. He's not the first player to retire, unretire, come back, play, and then retire again. Heck, it, you know, his two-time former teammate Rob Gronkowski has made a joke about it today. Welcome to the two times retiree club because he's done exactly the same thing. I guess the difference with Gronk is he took time out. Um, whatever. I listen. I, there, there were two factors in play last year that I think, I don't want to say forced him to play, but were significant factors in him playing. The first was the thing with Miami. That whole controversy and the way that it played out of, is he going to be a part-time owner? Is he going to get like a stake in Miami and come play for Sean Payton in Miami? The whole tapping up thing. I don't think he was ever going to go out with any form of controversy at all. And I think that was something that was bubbling. And he was like, mm, yeah, it's bad. That's bad. That's not really how I should go out. I think the second thing was the contractual situation and also the fact that he probably was on the team that thought could win. 
and the new coach and someone that was a bit more his style. I did think he think he could win. But what I will say is this time I think it's for real. And there's two reasons in this. One is the well, other than what I mentioned, there's the emotion in the post. It's it makes sense. You only get one big retirement, and he just didn't bother to tell anybody. He just exactly. turned on the camera. I'm, guys, I'm done. The second thing is, you mentioned this with Tom Brady and taking cap-friendly contracts. Now, a lot of that is obviously to remain competitive, and he understood this, but also the man's mentality was twofold about wanting to win, but also about looking after those around him. He was very much a guy that wanted to see his teammates get what they deserved. He championed his teammates getting contracts, etc. And he cared about the franchises that he played for. If ta- if Tom Brady had gone to any other team in the NFL this season, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers would have been on for a $35.1 million cap hit that literally cripples their team. It, it honestly gets to the point now where the Bucs are nearly $50 million over the cap. They don't have enough players to fill the 53. They're in real serious trouble and territory with the cap situation. What they're likely to do with this retirement is he will sign a new deal uh, that basically voids out, but it spreads the money. Um, the Buccaneers are probably likely to save somewhere in the region of 17 to $25 million on the cap this year. That will allow them to manage the cap better. For they'll be able to get back under and organize and sort their cap out. The numbers I've kind of seen are somewhere in the region of about $23 million in cap saving is what smarter people than me are estimating. So he's done this for the franchise because, well, I I don't think he was overly enamored about playing. I mean, what were his options? Vegas. He's not winning in Vegas. Is he going to start again with a new team and try and win somewhere else at 46? No, I don't think it was ever really a likely option, but I think given the fact that with the cap situation with the Buccaneers, he's doing, you know, the Buccaneers have been good to him. He's been allowed to effectively be a de facto GM bring in the players he wants. Um, you know, I know for a fact from NFL sources, and this sounds like I'm in the know, I'm not. <laughs> I just happen to know Buccaneers beat writers quite well and people that have been giving me information that, you know, the Buccaneers were happy to pass on Leonard Fournette. He was up in New England last year. They weren't going to sign him. Tom Brady stormed into Jason Light's office and said, I want Leonard Fournette. I don't want him to sign for New England. Get it done. And they did. So he's had his fun being a de facto GM. He's caused a Russell in the in the league. Players like Russell Wilson wanted player control and all this malarkey. Uh, Aaron Rodgers and etc. And I think he's gone, well, look, this organization's been great to me for three years. They've let me have a great end of my career. Won a Super Bowl, two division titles. Yes, this year was a bit tough, but last year they were good enough to probably win it. If they'd beaten the Rams, they'd have won the Super Bowl. I'm 100% convinced on that. That 21 team was better than the 20 team that won the Super Bowl. And I think he's just thought, for the franchise, I need to retire. I've got a job that's going to pay me more money than wherever I go anyway because I've got a $35 million a year contract with Fox Sports. So it's not like he's going to be poor. Sorts the franchise out, could get on with the next stage of his life and spend more time with his kids, which I think is also another fundamental point now that he is co-parenting instead of being in a marriage. So I, I think this is for real. And, you know, I think it is what it is. It's uh, a good situation for Buccaneers fans. It's much better. He retires. He was never coming back. You know, we all written off him coming back. 
think the most naive of Bucks fans probably have written off that Brady was coming back. So, and I don't think he wanted the fanfare. I think he had it last year. I think he hated it. I think he just decided I'm going to put a video up and that's it. End all the questions. And it is what it is. Cause yeah, he doesn't need it. He's got every record in the book. He doesn't need it. He doesn't need a paper confetti trail. And yeah. you know, the only thing that's remaining is will he retire a Buccaneer? Or on June 2nd, does he go up to Foxborough, sign a one-day contract and go and retire a Patriot? That's the only thing we don't know about this story. But that's a likely scenario that could happen. And I think you talking about being franchise-friendly with his retiring for the Bucks and sorting them out with Cap, that just rotates back to my point of him being the greatest of all time. And it's just not the fairy tale ending he probably wanted, but he will always be Tom Brady that you and I were lucky enough to witness in our generation of watching football in our younger ages. Um, Murph, we've rattled on already. Let's talk some Super Bowl stuff. Thoughts on this year, the teams in it, obviously Eagles, Chiefs, both quarterbacks are hurt coming into the game. Andy Reid's come out today and said uh, Patrick Mahomes is, is no worse off from his championship game, which is good to hear. Haven't heard anything about Jalen Hurts. Do you think either of these injuries is something to watch heading into Super Bowl week? I think they're both are. I mean, they're both injuries to to watch. Um, is this the best matchup? I guess. I mean, you could argue the Bengals would have been good. You could have argued the 49ers with Brock Purdy would have been good. Yeah. I think um, I think if you'd had, and uh, you know, I'm, spoiler alert, these aren't all recorded in order, these segments. So I'm speaking to one of our future guests later on in the show about this. And the top four, the final four, any of those outcomes would have been a great, Super Bowl. Yep. I think you can argue that the Eagles were the class of the NFC. We've talked about that. Chiefs the class of the uh, the AFC. Yeah, toss up between them and and the and the Bills and what could have happened. You know the, the Mar Hamlin stuff, etc. But yeah, I think at the bottom line is I think you've got the two best teams. These injuries are are of, of merit and of something to keep an eye on. Um, so let's take Patrick Mahomes first. Two years ago, Patrick Mahomes went into a Super Bowl with an ankle injury. Um, now, the addition to that was he was also missing two offensive linemen, and the ankle injury didn't seem to bother him as much as the offensive linemen missing. <laughs> but that Buccaneers D absolutely swarmed and destroyed Patrick Mahomes. It was the first game that he was kept under 10 points in his career. How much of that was the injury and how much of that was the offensive line? I'd say definitely more offensive line, but I don't think the injury helps, especially the way you plant, you doubt yourself. He threw some amazing balls in that game that went incomplete, but it's that 5% effect. Is is he 5% better being 100% healthy? Absolutely. We look at Jalen Hurts. I think this injury is more significant. First of all, it's a shoulder injury on his on his throwing arm. I think the fact that he missed the end of the regular season with this. Yes, he's played both playoff games, but they haven't had to score. They haven't chased a game. They haven't, they've been ahead early. They've managed. They've run the game out. Um, you know, they got very lucky against the Giants team that just basically came up short, a team that was not expected to make the playoffs. They did very well to beat um, Minnesota in the playoffs. That was easily the best game of the NFC um, playoffs for me in terms of shock, surprise, storylines. Uh, and everything else, everything else was pretty mundane. But I will say that it was uh, the 49ers wildcard round was pretty good, actually, as well against Seattle. I mean, it was close, I suppose, to a degree. I mean, it ran out in the second half, but the first half was decent. Uh, so, yeah, I think in terms of the Giants, 
that was an, a pretty easy game for them. And then last week when Josh Johnson comes in at quarterback and they're already seven nothing up, yeah, I mean that's an easy game. I mean they they were like basically uh, one foot out the door. There were other injuries on the 49ers, as you would expect. Every other player seems to get an ACL or some form of injury. Yep, I think so. Jalen Hurts' arm, we don't know what it's like because he's barely had to throw. And I think if they go behind in this game, that's going to be the question mark. Can his shoulder deal with the workflow? Can it deal with everything it's going to need to deal with? That's what we're going to need to find out. I think his injury has far more question marks over it than Patrick Mahomes. So I think it is significant for me, um, but it'd be interesting to see how they, they overcome it. And in terms of momentum, I think for me, the, the Chiefs have been better tested. They've had bigger yeah. games. The fact they know Super Bowls, the fact they've done the Super Bowl parades and radio rows and had that disrupting week of the travel and the interviews and everyone in your face all week and, and everything. Now, listen, don't get me wrong, the Eagles organization did that five years ago, but it was a different head coach. It was a different quarterback. It's a fairly different roster. There's a few holdovers in there, but there aren't that many. But this Chiefs team is relatively familiar with with how this works, especially the coaching staff, and they can prepare for that. Nick Sirianni never has been in that situation as yeah. a head coach. Do, do, just heading back to the, the Chiefs offensive line and the Buccaneers causing them all sorts of trouble, missing a couple of men. Am I right in thinking this Eagles team has pressured and sacked teams far greater than anyone else in the NFL this season? So if there yeah. is a team to test that Chiefs offensive line, it is this Eagles defence, right? Absolutely. I mean, this, this Eagles defense is going to go down as probably one of the, the better ones of all time. Um, I won't say it's it's quite in the conversation, but it's probably the best defense we've seen in recent years. You've got four players over 10 sacks. And then when they got injuries in free agency, they brought in uh, Super Bowl winning players such as Ndoma Kunsu to come in. I mean, what a great midseason acquisition. He is. Oh, we're stuck at nose tackle. I know. We'll just go get Ndoma Kunsu off free agency. <laughs> like, it's... It's like winning the waiver wire lottery. It's absolutely ridiculous that he was out there for as long as he was. Maybe he just didn't want to play. Maybe the money was too much. I don't really know why, but he's out there and yeah, crazy because he just adds instant credibility to a team and he's an excellent professional. Um, And I think they've, they've done well to manage the roster holes and Yes, they will test this Chiefs offensive line. This Chiefs offensive line is better than it was two years ago. It's had more time to settle. They reinvested heavily in this offensive line. It has that rhythm. It's been battle-tested. It's definitely... We saw some wobbles with it at the beginning of last season uh, and then also in the AFC Championship game last season. It's another year on. Patrick Mahomes isn't getting the sacks that he was a year ago. They're definitely a better, more constructed unit. And you can see that because the supporting cast around Patrick Mahomes is not as good, yet they're even more effective. And that's because he's getting that time behind that offensive line. Can the defensive line make an impact? 100%. Um, They've got an excellent... um, If any defensive line in in the country is going to um, breach the Chiefs and cause problems, it will be the Philadelphia Eagles. But they've got to do it. That's the difference. So you mentioned the Eagles filling roster holes throughout this season. Let's talk a little bit of Eagles before we get onto who we am with the Chiefs and then who we think is going to win. Regardless of the result on Super Bowl Sunday, do you think the Eagles can remain contenders for the next few years or is this a one-off? I say is this a one-off. The fact they've got there twice in five years is more than I've seen or you've seen the Bucks do in five years. 
this it's not a one one off, but the way they've built this team and like you mentioned, the new coaching staff and new players and stuff, are we gonna see the Eagles up here every year or is this just one year of flying high? I think neither. Um, I don't think they're up there every year, but they're in a great spot. This was, um, you know, you, I, I think back to the draft, right? They've they've got a they've got multiple picks in the first round, and they decide to trade a first round pick for AJ Brown, and that was a statement of intent that has continued throughout the season. I mean, they gave him a huge. It was an 80, 90 million dollar contract upon him being traded to them. So they made that statement of backing their quarterback, of backing. And this was a team that were the seventh seed the year before and got destroyed in the playoffs. So they went out and addressed some holes. They did it in the draft. They drafted well, um, especially in getting a player like AJ Brown. Not, I wouldn't even say he's in his prime yet. I think he continues to get better every year is an unbelievable thing to do. And then you look at what else they have managed to achieve with their signings in free agency and, and how well they've drafted on that, that defense, which was a bit of Achilles Hill. They had a lot of injuries last year and they've had some guys really step up on, on that day. I do think they're a team that will contend over the next few years, but the NFC teams have been in a rebuild, almost quite a few of these teams. Minnesota, uh, this was their coming alive year after being in a bit of a rebuild for a few years with a new coach. The Lions are, are, are starting to appear. I'm not going to say they're a force, but it's starting to get... I mean, you're going from where they were to where they are now. You have to look at them and factor them into um, serious playoff contention in the next year, two years, three years. You look at the 49ers, that no matter how many injuries they get, they're always getting to NFC Championship games. You know, they, I think to say that they're going to dominate the NFC for me is a bit strong. They do have multiple picks. They, they've managed their front office well. Um, I've been very critical of this front office for drafting in the first round. They've made some terrible picks in the first round uh, over the last few years. I think back to someone like Andre Dillard, which was a terrible pick. I think back to Jalen Rager. Um, and then Justin Jefferson goes the pick after. I mean, on on viewing, that looks like an absolute howler in a car crash. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and you know, Andre did a left tackle. They traded up to get him, and it was terrible. Um, they went ahead of the Texans, and he was just uh, awful. So you look at their drafting history has not been great. This year looks a lot better, but I think trading, trading first-round picks for proven assets like A.J. Brown is, is a great way of doing things so i think they're going to compete i'm not going to sit here and crown them as the next uh nfc dynasty i think there's a few good teams that have been rebuilding for a few years now i haven't even mentioned the cowboys if they can get their the missing pieces and and i think actually if i'm honest it's the coach that holds them back i think if they can get a piece on offense and they can change mike mccarthy i actually think they're going to be a better team because they've got dan quinn who's purring that d um i think they're in good spots uh, all over the shop, really. In fact, I'd probably boot McCarthy and hire Dan Quinn as the <laughs> as the coach because I think they'd be better off. But yeah, I think I think they're going to contend, but I don't think they're a dynasty. I think that the NFC will rebound in the next year or two, and and they'll find it difficult. But if they draft well and they use their assets and their capital well, there's no doubt that they can go to multiple Super Bowls. Their one from five years ago was completely different. It was 
a meteoric rise by Carson Wentz and then an unbelievable story from Nick Foles. I mean, it was kind of stuff of movies, not necessarily stuff of design. And good coaching from Doug Pedersen, who we've seen as to what he's doing in Jacksonville. Absolutely. I mean, you've already mentioned AJ Brown and how good acquisition that was and the defense as well. Let's go over to the AFC then. With unlike the NFC, where the Eagles are, are bouncing around with some top teams, we go over to the AFC where the Chiefs are the top team. Teams are doing absolutely everything to try and keep up with the Chiefs and aren't able to do so. You know, look into their division and what the Raiders have tried to do and what my beloved Denver Broncos have tried to do. And, and um, there's bound to be some sort of stable the charges as well. And the charges, charges in that yeah. division. You, they went you, out and spent a load of money in free agency to try and compete in that division. And they made the playoffs as a wild card. Yeah, I mean, whereas they would have won most of the, they would have won, I don't know, five divisions of eight, probably yeah. not the, the record, but if they had easier games, which which yeah. shows you just just how good this Chiefs team is. I mean, we've already mentioned the fact that uh, I think they're a dynasty and and how their front office back office is is much a part of this victorious run as as the team is. And when you can when you have a back office and a drafting capability like I talked about, and then you also have Patrick Mahomes, what do you think? For me, there's. I look at the Chiefs team and on offense, I think they need a wide receiver to replace Tyreek Hill. That maybe not necessarily as good, but they need a wide receiver that they can say is definitely their one. Um, as we're recording, like Murph said, this isn't recorded in order. When Murph and I are recording, it's just come out that Miko Haldman is unexpected to not play. Um, we've seen in the season what he is capable of, but unfortunately cannot stay fit. Big loss for them in the Super Bowl. What do you think? From your point of view, the AFC needs to do math because they can't seem to figure it out. So you shed some light on that situation. And then what do the Chiefs need to do next year to continue this dynasty run? Let's be honest. The the AFC has thrown absolutely everything at the Chiefs. Um, You've got, let's take the Dolphins, who went out and acquired Tyreek Hill. Uh, you look at the Raiders, they acquired Devontae Adams. You look at Denver, they acquire Russell Wilson. You look at (laughs) You look at the teams that are trying to load up and continue to load up, and no one's laying the glove. Four consecutive AFC Championship appearances. I think that's just, no, I lie. It's five. It's five consecutive AFC Championship appearances. They lost the first one on a dodgy call to the Patriots with a false start that wasn't. Um, and then you've got, you know, the four, the four in a row. They've won three. They lost that one to the Bengals last year, which was just that Bengals D stood up in a, in a way that probably nobody expected. And if you told me that the Bengals were going to beat the Patriots or beat the Chiefs and it was going to be for a strong defensive performance, I'd have laughed at you because I just didn't expect that to happen. And I think when you look at the, the Chiefs, as you say, it's the way they build. It's a sustainable organization that continues to draft in great talent. They get rid of Tyree Kill, arguably the best receiver in the AFC, and it doesn't affect them. It, it, they win more games without him than with him. Like, how stupid is that? Like, what world do we live in that they get rid of their best receiver and then they win more games the following yep. year? I mean, you just, no one's predicting that. And that shows you it's it's a combination of great front office, great coaching, great players. And there aren't many teams that have all of those pieces in places. You've got um, some coaching staff that are young who are building and trying to build this franchise up. And you're looking at players like the Jets and and, and the Dolphins. The only team for me that looks equipped, completely equipped to challenge, uh, or two, there's two teams that look for me equipped to challenge the, the Chiefs. And they're the Bengals uh, and the the Bills for the next 
two, three years. I think other teams can move into that conversation, and I don't think the Chiefs are necessarily going to have their own way. But the Chiefs have shown through their three Super Bowl appearances in the last four years, they've done it very, very different ways. And that is a sign of an organization that's very well run. They're not one dimensional. Take a piece out, go somewhere else, develop and get better. And I think for me, this Chiefs team, if you look at what they've done this year, this is if they win the Super Bowl this year, I'm going to tell you right now, this is their most impressive, um, more impressive than their first one. This will be their most impressive Super Bowl um, win. And I think even if they'd won 55, this would be far more impressive because of what they've had to deal with and how they've managed it. And as you say, I think the front office is is first class. Um, it, it, for me, this all depends on how long Andy Reid sticks around. Um, looks like they're going to change offensive coordinator next year. Could be a good thing to shake it up. People, you yep. know, things, ideas get stale. So I do think it's about time that things change a little bit. And maybe, as you say, they're bringing more talent, but they've got the cap room. They've got the ability to do that. Um, the one thing that will hurt them over the year is just the value of their draft picks. Always picking 29, 30, 31, 32, as we saw with the Patriots. It will have a knock-on effect, and at some point it will catch up. They also have a tough division. But at the moment, I can't see anything stopping the Chiefs. They're the proven, tried and tested team in the AFC. When you open the betting, when Super Bowl ends, they will be the AFC favourites to make the Super Bowl. And nothing in free agency or the draft is probably going to change that market um, based on what we saw this year. So, yeah, I think they're equipped to stay. But I do think there are some teams I'd love to see the Bills <clears throat> get there with Josh Allen. Uh, we've seen the Bengals get there. You know, they, and you you can't sleep on teams like the Dolphins. You can't sleep on teams like the Jets if they get a quarterback. That D is for real. It's going to be interesting. Yeah, I, I, for me at the moment, the Chiefs make up whilst not in nature is exactly the same. They are as close to the Patriot model at the moment when Tom Brady was there, as you could see with the coaching, the staff, everything like that. The Chiefs. Morally and everything are completely different, but the makeup is exactly the same, which is fantastic to see from a, a sporting perspective. Murph, you talked about throwing open the bed sheets. Let's just throw the mattress to the floor. Let's get to the who's going to win the Super Bowl this year. I've booked the Monday off. I'm watching it at home. I'm not in the flat anymore, so I can make a bit more noise. It's very, very exciting. Where's your money going, fella? Uh, it's on the cheese for me. Um, sorry to drag out the show uh, and the remainder <laughs> of the show, but. For me, um, I can't look past the Chiefs. Um, I just think they're a proven commodity. They know how to handle a Super Bowl um, coaching staff all the way through to players. I think as well, I, I'm just concerned about Jalen Hurts' shoulder. And I think if the Chiefs, if this becomes a point-scoring shootout, give me the player with um, the better arm, like the, the, the fitter, healthier arm than the one with the buggered arm. That's generally how I see these things. And I know Jalen Hurts can do incredible things with his legs and he's had an unbelievable season. He's written, proven so many of his critics wrong. Yeah, I can't I can't look past the Chiefs. I think they're stronger on on offense. I think they're capable on, on defense. But I actually think on special teams they're the better they're the better team for me. Although Hardman is a big loss, I still think they'll they'll get it done on special teams. I I take their kicker, I take their um their special teams unit over over the Eagles. So um that's where I'm going. You yep. Yeah, no, you, you, for me, you hit the nail on the head early doors when you, you talked about how they're already built in retrospective point for the experience. You said that they've been there, they've done this. The same Chiefs team essentially was there, you know, 
very recently and the Eagles weren't. And whilst the Eagles <laughs> have got everything that we've seen this season that's needed, I just think that experience of being in that 12-round fight when Mike Tyson is constantly punching you, mm. they know what that feels like. And yeah. if you don't know what being punched in the face is like, the Chiefs are the worst team to have you do it to them as well. So my money is on the Chiefs as well. I think it's going to be a good game. I hope it isn't the Eagles flop and the Chiefs just blow the doors off because that would be mm. a very pedestrian end to what you put as a pedestrian season. So, yeah, yeah. My, my, my money's on the Chiefs. I'm excited for it. It's going to be, it's going to be fun. I think my excitement level for that is pretty much, you know, powered by coming back and being part of this year's Super Bowl show, man. I genuinely stoked to be back. So appreciate you having me on. Oh, mate, we'll get you on in the off season, especially when we start talking about draft. You can talk through some prospects and players to watch out for. <laughs> no, it's going to happen. But um, yeah, no, this is always a blast to get together, and it's a great way to open this incredible show. And I promise you, it's an incredible show. We've got the most unbelievable guests uh, imaginable. There are some unbelievable stories uh, in here. You're going, and there's giveaways, there's prizes. So uh, stay tuned for our future segments. But Stocks, thank you so much for coming back. Um, for people out there that want to interact with you that have enjoyed uh, this segment, what's the best way they can get in touch and and and, and interact with you as a, as a fan? Good question. I don't really do the social media side of things, so I'm quite difficult to find. If you are on the old school Facebook, I am there. Um, I'm there as Chris Mitchell. I'm easy to find because the Chris is spelt with capital C and capital H because type too fast with the shift key. Uh, if you read some of my early articles, you would have seen that quite a lot before I got into editing. So, um, Or if you really want to get in contact with me, hit Murph up and, and he can throw you my number or email and, and we can get to, we can chat some ball and stuff. But I would definitely love to come back and talk some prospects. I do know what's in the rest of the show, Murph. Murph is not wrong. There is some sick content coming up. Giveaways, cool. I'm going to do it, Murph. I'm going to end this segment with how I used to end the show. Please do. Blast. Rush Nation, as always, don't forget, keep rushing. So great to have Stocks back. Loved having him on this show couldn't think of a better way to kick this amazing show off however we kick on now and we look at the home team the designated home team in this year's super bowl the kansas city chiefs and with me breaking down the kansas city chiefs is liam horsley who is uh the co-host of the go to or go for go for two podcast and he's going to now tell us a little bit more about the kansas city chiefs over the last five years but then also this year what to expect for this year's super bowl so joining me now on the show, on the Super Bowl special, is a Kansas City fan, but one half of the Go For Two podcast, Liam Horsley. Welcome to the Five Year Rush Super Bowl special. How are you doing in the nerve setting in for uh, for Super Bowl week now? Yeah, I'm doing well. Yeah, I'm doing well. It's a bit of the two-week break, you'll know this, as obviously from previous Super Bowls, but two-week break is a little bit odd because you do get very hyped up for winning an AFC or NFC championship game. Obviously, you listen to all your podcasts talking about that, and then you're ready for the game, and you've got to wait basically 13, 14 days. So, um, yeah, excitement's there. Um, no nerves yet. I'll probably wait till the Sunday till I'm uh, till I'm nervous. But yeah, it should be good. I'm just hoping it uh, comes fast now. Yeah, absolutely. And the one thing I would say with the with the wait is, you know, you get the anticipation, you've got the excitement of going, then you do the planning of where you're going to watch it. Yeah. Um, and and then as you say after that it's like well, I wish this would hurry up now and uh, 
you you feel all the emotions because you go through the periods of the highs, then you get the doubts, and then you get everything else. So yeah, I'm totally with you. It's uh, it's a long time, but I do like some of the media stuff. And we've got Will Gavin on later in the show, who's talk who's going to talk about some of the um things that happen on like Radio Row and um some of the media events and some of the cool. He's got some unbelievable stories to share. I'm sure. So uh, I'm looking forward to to hearing those, but. Why, why, why a Kansas City Chiefs fan? Um, you know, why, why is it that you've linked to to that particular franchise? What drew you to, to them? What's the story? Yeah, so um, family are Giants fans as well. Um, so probably was steered towards that as a child. Uh, and then the first two games I ever went to, the first London game I went to was a Chiefs game. Um, and then the first game I went to in America was also a Chiefs game um, against the Jets. Um, so it's kind of just, they won both those games. So I was kind of just picked that as my team. Um, and then later in life, my dad worked in construction. His company actually built the Texas Tech practice facility he was one of the contractors so i got to go over there because he lived over there quite a bit um (laughs) and i got to basically watch patrick mahomes play as a junior in uh in college uh in practice and that was probably the two years after my first american game um watching the chiefs so it kind of all just fell into place and then obviously he got drafted there and it was that was my college team so um yeah it just fell into place and now i'm uh, now i'm a chiefs fan so really, it was it was a lot of fate and signs that that drew you there. I love that, to be honest. Yeah, it, um, was, yeah. it feels like the team picked you as opposed to you <laughs> picked the team. Um, yeah, and I, I love it when that happens because I think you see people now get into NFL, and I, I've had hundreds of people on my show asking them about how they became a fan and and w- what drew them to their team. And you know, it's <clears throat> part of it's the standard answers. I played Madden, and it was the yeah. team I liked the most, or fantasy football and i picked the players from the team i like the most but you know, yours is a bit of a calling as there was a few sort of seismic events because yeah. it was not just london game and then it was like oh okay and then it was first game in america and then texas state there's a lot of elements that oh, i like i think that's a cool um i think that's a really cool story so let's drill a little bit into the chiefs now i've just said with stocks um in our previous segment that for me, I think that the chiefs are becoming a bit of a dynasty. You look at the last five years, five consecutive AFC championship games, the first one bit of a unfortunate call that led them to missing yeah. out on the super bowl to the Patriots. They obviously then go to the next two super bowls. They miss out, unfortunately to an inspired Bengals defense last year. And then obviously back here this year. So, with that in mind, with them potentially being this sort of new AFC dynasty taking over from the Patriots, how's that happened? Because of everything in the nature of the NFL with parity and salary yeah. cap and draft picks, how have the organization and the coaching staff managed to achieve this? I don't want to say unrivaled because it's not, but in terms of this incredible feat that they've managed to to pull off over the last five years. Yeah, so I think anyone who listens to this and watches the NFL probably will know the first answer, and that'll be Patrick Mahomes. Um, you're not going to get a dynasty in the NFL, or to be honest, probably any American sport with the way that parity is with the draft and stuff, and obviously salary cap, without having that position filled. And obviously the quarterback's the most important position in sport. Um, for my money, he's the most talented quarterback ever. Obviously Brady would always be, I guess, 
people would say the best because of the rings, but he's the most talented ever. And when you've got him, your kind of floor is much higher than the average team in the NFL. So I do think he is the primary reason. Um, I think another good thing that you just mentioned is the coaching staff. Um, Eric Bieniemy, for example, OC, he's had, I think he's 11 different interviews now to be a head coach. Obviously, he still isn't a head coach. Um, and I think the fact that we've not lost any of our core kind of OC uh, special teams DC, obviously Andy Reid, special teams coach, assistant head coach, GM, they've all stayed intact throughout this run. And I think when you've got that consistency at the top of the organization added in to the quarterback, um, and then when you add in probably the best tight end or second best tight end of all time for that whole run, I think it gives you a higher floor. Um, and then in terms of other things, we have drafted well in the last couple of years, which I do think makes a difference when you start paying mm-hmm. Patrick Mahomes. Um, and then I think the way that GM Brett Veach did the Mahomes contract, you know, the 10 years, for anyone that doesn't know, it's got rolling guarantees so they can just keep pushing money into the future and it doesn't affect the salary cap for this year. That's just meant they can be a bit more flexible than, than most teams. And they've only really had to do one move that, that maybe people didn't want to do, which was the Tyreek Kill trade. Um, mm-hmm. And I just think all those reasons together, combined with obviously good drafting, good free agents and a good offense, means that we've been able to have kind of unrivaled success in the current AFC at least. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, I think the part that's underrated that probably doesn't get the the, the mention of, uh, of many people, because it's easy to say it's Patrick Mahomes and the quarterback does it all, but you, know, you mentioned that they've shifted out um, you know, Tyreek Hill, they, they, they have had to churn weapons on this offense. But you say they drafted well. In particular this year, I think some of the defensive pickups uh, were absolutely yeah. outstanding. And even in the last couple of years, uh, someone like Nick Bolton, for me, completely stands out as one of the most underrated defensive players uh, in the NFL. Um, I very much stand on the Nick Bolton is arguably top three in his position in the NFL. Mm. Um I know that's a somewhat unpopular position. I don't really care because <laughs> I've seen him watch and play, and I think he's an absolutely out. His speed, his, his quickness, his awareness is is right up there with the best in the NFL, and and uh, an absolutely extraordinary talent. But you've got people this year. Trent McDuffie has had a phenomenal season. I know he missed a lot of games early on, but really since he's come back in, he's really slotted in uh, very nicely. Um, you know, you got two first round picks this year, so attacking the uh, the defensive line there with uh Carla. this he's a, a you know very very solid player um sky more play play we probably should have seen more of i know there's been some injuries and, yeah. and bits and pieces but he looks like an exciting player um you know leo chanel is is been a pretty decent player this year um but you know over the last pre previous years as well you've had some players and then you know seventh round pick when you hit a running back like isaiah pacheco who's come in and yeah. definitely made an impact i mean it shows you at the scouting and, and like you said over the last few years they've made some incredible pickups and I think for me it's not just the draft but the way that they address the offensive line you know losing Super Bowl 55 that was really tough to go ahead and lose in the fashion that they did and they obviously lost players on that offensive line prior to the Super Bowl that made that a really really tough proposition um, yeah. but to have addressed that to have gone out in free agency to have you know, really rebuilt the offensive line to the point where it's it's a very, very good offensive line now. It's credit to the front office and, and credit to the coaching staff. They've, they've done an unbelievable job. Um, just moving on to, before we move on, the last five years, you, you've said Patrick Mahomes deserves the credit. If we were giving this to... 
my question is, is this more a front office win from someone like Brett Feach for not just drafting him, but then supplying him with the weapons? Or would yeah. you say it's someone like Andy Reid, who has managed to get the best out of what has been given to him and making sure that they continue to strive for excellence year after year? Yeah, I think between those two, um, I would probably lean Andy Reid. Um, there's a okay. common quote in Kansas City that he gets 51% of the vote, so he's not necessarily going to pick who's drafted, but he's he's going to be approached with the names and watch the tape and be like, okay, these are the players that I like. They're going to listen to him in, in all facets of the game. So I would lean towards Andy Reid. I really like Brett Veach. I think the last two years he's done an incredible job, but there were some decisions prior to that. Frank Clark trade, um, obviously how much money they gave Tyron Matthew, the contract they offered Orlando Brown a little bit high for most people's liking, mm. um, Sammy Watkins trade, stuff like that. that. Some people maybe think a little bit maybe sub-value decisions. Um, so I think I would lean Andy Reid, but in the last two seasons, I think Brett Veach has done an absolutely incredible job. But um, yeah, Andy Reid coaches the offense. It's been the best offense in football. That's kind of... Uh, I'm someone, we spoke off air, that I'm into analytics. It's kind of what I work in. And um, mm. offense does win you games. I know there's defense wins championships, but modern-day NFL, it's very offensive-focused. Uh, and they've been the best offense since Mahomes and Reid have been together. So I do think that probably takes the most credit but yeah the last two seasons Brett Veach has definitely uh, earned his money yeah that's a fair comment I think that's fair enough let's move to this season the 2022 season you know you draw, you trade Tyreek Hill there was obviously the the front office have made the decision as to how much money they were going to pay him that wasn't deemed sufficient um there were other market factors uh that obviously led this, this the year that wide receivers got paid in a very very big way more than they ever have historically and the market obviously dictated what Tyreek Hill could get and that's why he's no longer on the team when that happens and the the fallout of that knowing that he can't really not just be replaced because of his talent but because you haven't got there's not you know you've missed the free agency window there aren't that many wide receivers left out there that you can go ahead and acquire unless you go out and trade what was the feeling around the the fan base? Did this did this feel like this was going to be a challenging year and, and probably not one that they'd end up with a Super Bowl appearance? Or was the faith there no matter what? It's like, we've been here before. We know how to deal with adversity. This is just this one player, no big in the franchise. What was the general feeling in the, the days and weeks after the trade? Yes, I think the day of the trade, anyone, because a lot of us have the notifications put on our phone, don't we? And when we get those tweets come through and um, the day of the trade, I'd say most people were probably quite shocked and negative in terms of what was going to happen. But when when you see the return, it was obviously bigger than the Devontae Adams trade in terms of total capital received. And then you saw the contract he got, which was 30 million a year for a wide receiver. Um, I think at that point, if you're into the draft and you're into like the analytics side, like I said, you'd realize that was a very, very good trade for what you get back. But then the average fan, I would definitely agree and say that they probably just thought, oh my God, we've lost the like maybe the best receiver, if not top five in the NFL. So I think if you probably polled the average fan, they would say that they were quite negative when that, that trade happened. Um, but I do think post-draft, when you see some of those assets being used and you kind of, especially if you're into college and you like the players, I think that's when maybe the fan base starts to turn around a bit be a bit and be like, okay, I can see what we're doing here. We had MVS, you had Juju, you draft Sky Moore. At the time, everyone thought Sky Moore was going to be more of a factor than he has been. So yeah, I think the initial reaction was probably negative from most people, and then it kind of 
move towards positive as, as time went on. Um, but I think it did shape the whole offseason because a lot of rumours, if you follow the team, were they were going to spend quite big in certain areas, like the edge position, defensive tackle, and try and shore up the defence that way. But because they couldn't get a deal done with um, Hill, they couldn't get a deal done with Orlando Brown. They basically just had no... They were The money was just being left there constantly for those two guys. So I do think it was quite impressive how they pivoted so quickly from that from that trade and, and, and kind of moved the offense into a different direction. But um, yeah, me personally, I, I thought it was a good trade. But I definitely would say the day it happened, most of us were quite, quite shocked. <laughs> yeah, it's tough when you lose a star player on your team. It's a very, very difficult way of, of dealing with it. But you have yeah. to look at the bigger picture. You know, I had the same thing this week with with Tom Brady's retirement. I had loads of messages from people saying, like, how do you feel about Tom Brady's retirement? I said, I'd already waved goodbye to Tom. Like, I knew it was happening. He was going. Yeah. For me, the better move for the franchise was the retirement. It means they can shift the cap um, it's quite significantly. Yeah. They can do something to, you know, after June 1st that will save or leave a huge cap hole Um on on the franchise and they can probably get about 20 to 23 million in cap relief from a retirement whereas if he'd gone to play in say las vegas for example the bucks would have been stiff for 35.1 million this year yeah. and would have been in really deep deep trouble so you know is as you say on the face of it you don't want to lose the player but if the player goes you've got to be able to just manage that situation and and think about what you've got in return and what you're able to do and and, and let's be honest you're in the super bowl without him so ultimately, the the, the yeah. franchise and the, and the front office have been vindicated in their decision not to pay him above what they felt comfortable doing, and they haven't missed him. Really, let's be honest; they haven't. Okay. They've missed the explosiveness in the big plays. Yes, they're a better team without him, but they've evolved as a team. They have become a different iteration of some of the previous teams that we've seen, and become stronger as a unit. And so that. About that evolution, what have you seen as a fan closer to the Chiefs that have allowed them to become this, what is for me, a much stronger unit, sort of across the offense and the defense as a, as a team um, and moving away from just having star players making star plays? Yeah, I think it goes back to the year probably before the Bucks Super Bowl where we kept everyone. So when you keep everyone and you already had a veteran team, the average age of your team is <laughs> is quite high. Most people come back on one-year deals and you do end up kind of getting to a point of view where you have to churn the roster a bit. You have to get younger, mm-hmm. you have to get more talented and you probably have to get more athletic than we were that season. And I think that's one way that we've evolved. Obviously, the average age of the, the roster has gone down significantly. Um, we're a lot more athletic now, especially on defense, some of the, the, the names you mentioned earlier. Um, but in terms of how the the team evolved post-trade, I think last year, everyone saw the whole too high structure thing. Um, Holmes faced like two high structures on 67% of his dropbacks, which was more than any QB by like 19% that year. Um, and it just meant that Tyreek Hill was not insignificant. But when you take away everything he does really well, except for probably the short pass screen game running it to the house he wasn't as important to the offense because he could never get downfield because they just triple cover him and that would be (laughs) the case for the whole game so we saw it last year they had to turn to a bit more of a short style offense intermediate hit the middle of the field a bit more and i think this summer meant that we could change the wide receiver group we can get some bigger bodies 
Obviously, we've got more tight ends now, a different run game. And I think it just meant that we could move away to stop playing into the way defences wanted to play us. And now we can dictate how the game goes rather than us just try and throw it deep into too high coverage all the time. Um, so I think the way we've evolved is the offence just looks completely different. Um, but like you said, we've improved. We've hit more 20-yard-plus plays this year than we did with Tyreek Hill. So mm. it's different. You don't see the 80-yard bombs, Mahomes throwing it down the field. You don't see that anymore. But you see the 30-yard passes to the middle of the field to Travis Kelsey a little bit more and things like that. So, um, yeah, that's how the offence has evolved. And then the defence has just got more talented. We used so many picks on defence, like six of the picks were on defence. We started four rookies last week against the Bengals. And they played, obviously, majority of the snaps. And I think it's just meant that we can improve both sides of the ball, but just play a little bit differently on offense. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right there. And I think it's it's great to see this evolution because I think historically when we've seen teams and franchises be successful, they tend to be successful one way. They find a recipe for success and they absolutely pound that recipe to success. <laughs> until they can't anymore because they either don't have the personnel or they no longer believe in the, in the, in the scheme, in the strategy of it, or there's a coaching change or, or whatever it is. And we saw this, say, with the Eagles, we're going to get on to Super Bowl in, in a minute, where they were a team that played a very specific sort of way under Doug Pedersen and then they couldn't maintain that um, that intensity, that velocity of, of the way that they played because they either didn't have the personnel or the personnel they had weren't good enough or there was a, a breakdown in, in communication between the coach and, and, and the coaches and the players, which created an environment that meant that the star quarterback and the head coach left, which is a very rare scenario. Yeah. Um, but talking about the Super Bowl, so, you know, for me, do you believe that being in your third Super Bowl in four years is an advantage for the, the Chiefs here versus the Eagles who, yes, were there five years ago, but different coaching staff, significant roster churn in five years as you would get in, in any NFL franchise. Um, yeah. Do you feel that there's a significant advantage to the fact that all these guys, well, the majority of these guys, with the exception of the rookies and some some new talent have been here before? Um, I think it's probably overplayed a little bit. I think the difference is, it's very rare, actually, the Eagles have done this. I think it's a five-year gap between Super Bowls and they've mm. got a different head coach and a different quarterback. That's like unheard of basically yeah. so for me i think it's probably the advantage that andy reed's been to super bowls patrick mahomes has been to super bowls and obviously the offensive and defensive staff has whereas the eagles are pretty much apart from a couple of offensive line guys and the special teams coach uh, coaching wise most of them are new so i think in terms of mahomes and reed you probably have a bit of an advantage but we are quite a young roster whereas they are very experienced they've got mm. a lot of people just adding like limbaugh joseph and and Dominican Sue in the season, they're guys that have played in yeah. big games. So, um, yeah, I think overall, Coach QB, it does give us an advantage, but I think the rest of the roster is a bit of a wash in terms of that. Um, I just think a lot of it will be, obviously, preparing the week with Andy Reid and then on the day, Hurts and Mahomes, both very, very good quarterbacks under pressure and just Mahomes' advantage of maybe playing in a couple of these and, and losing one badly probably means he might have a little bit of a different focus than, than some people on the day. Yeah. I think that's a key a key thing that people haven't talked about in the run up to this is the last time he was in the Super Bowl. I'm not going to say he was embarrassed because he wasn't embarrassed. He was actually a phenomenal yeah. player in the game in in some of the throws and the and the escapes yeah. that he made. I mean, like he, he made one play. I think he ran like what 50 yards to throw it in completion. Like he just absolutely yeah. ran left and right and and all over the shop. And you know, it was just a very difficult game in a difficult environment. And But having said that, I think, as you say, that will build his hunger. And we've seen that hunger since of 
I need to correct this wrong. It's not good just having one ring. I want multiple yeah. rings, but I want to get over um, that 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 blot on the on the copy paper, as, as you would say. Mm-hmm. What do you think the keys are the Super Bowl for the game for the Chiefs? Like in terms of where are their advantages, but then also where are their potential weaknesses against this Eagles team? Yeah, so a lot will be made of it, and the the, the Eagles fan you you have on here will probably mention this in terms of people are over talking about it. But they have faced a very very easy schedule, and um, from an analytics point of view, I think it was the easiest slate of offenses that any defense has faced. Um, and I think that's probably a key to the game for me. Their DC plays very very soft zone coverage, a lot of too high stuff, which is obviously last year was a problem for the Chiefs. Um, but in the last two seasons, when they faced what you say is a top 10 quarterback for EPA per play, um, they're the worst defense in the league for against those quarterbacks. And then against anyone who's not a top, top quarterback, they're like top three in all metrics. So they're extremely good against these good teams, good offenses, good quarterbacks. But historically, when you put an elite quarterback against them, you can really get a lot of points, I think. I know the Lions scored 30 points. I think the Cowboys scored 40 points this year. Yeah, the Chiefs scored 35 last year and had like three turnovers. So I think for me, the defense on paper is amazing for the Eagles on name, but I don't think the scheme is incredible. And I don't think it matches up well with the way that we play. Um, so I think that's an advantage. Um, they're not very good at covering tight ends. And when you cover the Chiefs, obviously you have to cover the best tight end in the NFL. So I think Travis Kelsey against those linebackers and safeties is probably a, a good advantage. Um, and then I think compared to who else they played, I think at least our interior offensive line is good enough to stop them. And I wouldn't say it's necessarily an advantage, but I just mean compared to all the other teams they played, where their defensive line have just been killing the quarterback. I think that should happen less than it did in those games. And then in terms on the other side of the ball, I think... The key is also just going to be Spags. He is a, a DC that's got flaws for sure, especially in the regular season. But when he wants to do a good game plan, like he did against Tom Brady in the Super Bowl for the Giants twice, like he did against the Bengals last week for the Chiefs, he can develop a game plan that just does enough to stutter really good offenses. And the Eagles are a very, very good offense. So, yeah, I think for me, the keys will be um, our offense moving the ball. Can we score touchdowns instead of three points? Can they cover Kelsey? I don't think they can. And then I think we'll see what sort of game plan Spags develops to try and stop Hurts and the read option plays that he's undoubtedly going to run. Yeah, I the, the Travis Kelsey point is really interesting because a couple of years ago in the Super Bowl uh, against Tampa, Tampa basically said to Travis Kelsey, between the 20s, you can have whatever you want. We don't care. So I don't I don't I can't remember the stat line off the top of my head, but I think it was ten for hundred and forty yeah, odd. Yeah, it was, it was a huge stat line. But you'd have to say that his impact on the game, I don't want to say insignificant, but it was the least the inspiring future. ten for hundred and forty odd stat line, whatever it was, I've seen because we got the ball. It wasn't in areas that was hurting Tampa. It wasn't hurting. You know, they didn't, they didn't score a touchdown. It tells you everything you kind of need to know. Um, so I think you're very right about the, the tight end situation and I think they will struggle. I think they're almost willing if they if you know if if I'm sitting there and I'm thinking about coaching against the Chiefs, I'd look at that tape from two years ago and say, Hey, two things we've got to do against the Chiefs. Don't give up the big play, don't give up the 30, 40 yard play uh, yeah. out wide, and don't and don't worry about Kelsey over the middle. If it, if Kelsey gets ten yards over the middle, that's fine. We'll deal with that. It's not a big problem. Don't let him get 20. Don't let him get 30. Don't yeah. let him 
more your linebackers and interior. And I think, yeah. And the, but I, the, where I do see an advantage for the tight ends is those those sort of short yardage to goal situations where you've got the Noah Grays um, of this world and the other tight ends that you've got where you can create mismatches. We've seen it this season. Um, being far more creative, Eric Bieniemy and, and Andy Reid, with bringing in multiple tight ends and and creating you know big body big bodies, not just to block but to be there and receive the ball in the end zone. And I think that's where I see some advantage here for for the Chiefs is yeah. those short yardage to goal situations. Yeah. I would and look I think at the, the Chiefs other thing is... more likely to capitalise than than the Eagles. Yeah, and I agree. And I think the other thing when you put more more tight ends out there. Um, we're going to be better in the run game as well. And that's one thing yeah. that everyone's talked about. That's why they drafted Jordan Davis. They couldn't stop the run last year. And their run stats have hardly improved this year. So I think if you put a load of tight ends out there, you've got Travis Kelsey, they're expecting you to pass, which we do loads. When we've got three tight ends, tight ends out there, we pass more than any team. It would not surprise me when you get to second, third down situations that he puts two, three tight ends out there and then he just runs Pacheco up the middle because we've actually mm. got an explosive back now that can kind of break those tackles and and get those extra yards. So I think that'll be key as well, just to help us use the tight ends in the pass game, but to, to open up the run game. And then obviously the last factor that I didn't mention was uh, health. <laughs> the Chiefs have got a hell of a lot of injuries for this game. So a lot of it is going to be, are the guys healthy? And is Mahomes nearish to 100% as he can possibly be? But the reports out of camp are that, apart from Miko Hardman, most of the people are probably going to be good to go, which is nice because we don't want a Super Bowl that's kind of ruined by injuries. That no one no. wants. That. No one wants <laughs> yeah, no, no one wants a second tier, uh, a second tier Super Bowl with, with the second tier team out there. So definitely not. Although I, I massively appreciate Liam coming. I've learned uh, a fair bit about the Chiefs and uh, and looking at the keys to victory. So I really uh, appreciate you coming on and and swagging some knowledge here. Before I go, last question: What do you think the score is going to be? Um, you know, and who do you think? I mean, obviously, I'm going to ask you, do you think you're going to win? As if I don't know what the answer is going to be, but I'd like to know what the team you think is going to win, score, and then uh, take the opportunity to plug uh, any work you do in uh, the podcast you do and, and everything else. Yeah, cheers. Thanks. Yeah, perfect. Thanks for having me on as well. It's been uh, really enjoyable. Um, awesome. Well, I think we're going to win, obviously, but I'm going to say that. That's obviously a bias. <laughs> yeah. Um, if I had to guess a score, I do not think this will be a low scoring game, regardless of who wins. So I would probably go something on the 35 to 27 range. Um, maybe it'll be closer than that. And that's just some Chiefs bias there. But I do think it's going to be a high scoring game. For anyone that likes to bet, I think the over is a pretty good is a pretty good bet. Um I just think it's going to be high scoring for, for both teams. Uh, in terms of work we do, so I'm part of the Go For Two podcast. On Twitter, you can find us at Go For Two, uh, two being the number two. Uh, that's just me and an Eagles fan, ironically, um, breaking down the game every week um, and talking about it. We've got a couple of previews coming on, having a couple of nice guests as well. So that'll be a fun listen. And then I'm also far, part of the Full 10 Yards Network, and I'm on the Full 10 Yards Betting Podcast. That'll be live on Thursday before the Super Bowl, where we're going to do half an hour on the game, and then half an hour breaking down all those crazy prop bets that everyone loves to do. So, yeah, go follow us there. There's a real good group of people at the, the Full 10 Yards Network as well. Yeah, there really is. Full 10 Yards is phenomenal. We've had so many of their guys on over the years, and there's some brilliant, very talented people over there. Um, we've got a lot of love for, for what they do, and, and your podcast is, is great. And you've got, uh, especially if you're looking for... Contra contrasting opinions this week. Yours sounds like probably one of the better ones to listen to this week, given you've got fans, knowledgeable uh fans from from both sides. So 
Appreciate you, Liam, uh, coming on. Check out Liam's handle. It is here on the screen. If not, it's at underscore Liam Horsley. Uh, but make sure you give him a follow. Check out his content. And if you're watching this on one of the sort of preview, um, short and clipped versions, make sure you tune in to the main show on YouTube because we're about to discuss our giveaway. Um, and we've got a very special giveaway uh, that we're just about to drop now. So make sure you find the right aspect of this but Liam thanks for coming on and uh, good luck for Sunday um, I don't have a preference on who wins but I do want to wish you all the best in the world and uh, yes. uh, I've said earlier on the show I do think the Chiefs will will sneak out with another Lombardi trophy so uh, that's as far as I'm willing to go on that but appreciate <laughs> you coming on Great breakdown there from Liam he's done <clears throat> an incredible job you can see the passion in him as a, as a fan as well now it's our first competition time. So told you that there would be some giveaways in this show. Here is the first one. And we've just had Liam break down the Chiefs. So it seems only fitting that we give away a uh, Chiefs jersey, right? So I have a signed Clyde Edwards Hilaire jersey. It's on its way to the UK. It's been purchased. It's, it's on its way. It's in transit. I expect it to be here um probably at the time this has gone out if not a few days after so it won't be a huge delay but definitely by the time the competition ends i would expect uh to be in possession of said jersey hence why i can't show you now but uh what i will say is that it is a signed Clyde hilaire jersey with full um authentication and verification um information with it as well bought from a reputable uh, retailer and outlet as well you probably guess which one uh however um so i'm giving this jersey away to somebody on this show there is going to be another giveaway later on as well terms and conditions so just to be really clear with this it's anybody from anywhere in the world is eligible to be uh, to enter however if you are entering from outside of the United Kingdom, I will need a contribution to postage uh, in order for you to uh, to help ship the the item. Because if I'm shipping it to the United States, it's uh, you know a, a considerable expense, etc. So we'll need some contribution to shipping. But if you do win the jersey, um, can obviously work that one out with you. It'll be well worth what you pay for it anyway. Um, however. All I need you to do is go into the comments of the show on YouTube, the main show. So not the sections, the main long show on YouTube. I need you to basically use, I want you to go in there and I want you to give your score prediction. I'm not looking for the person with the most accurate score prediction. It's not a uh, person with the closest wins. It's a pure uh, opportunity for everybody to get in. Um, and all I want for that is for you to go onto YouTube, enter your score prediction, enter your name and enter the country of residence that you are in. And then make sure that when I draw the winner uh, in about a week or so's time that you uh, see our winner's video and get in touch with us. And you'll have a few days to claim that uh, if you do not claim the prize, we'll move on to the next uh, person. We will do a redraw. So to go over that again, go onto our YouTube uh, video of this show, the long version. If you're watching cutouts of the show, um, then it won't work. But then I think you'll only be able to see this in the long show anyway. Then you go into there, uh, enter your score prediction, your name, 
and your country of residence and then after that we will do a draw and the winner will get the jersey and you don't need to get the score right it's not the closest prediction it's purely just to see what people's thoughts are before the super bowl because i want to use that information and potentially share it as a poll uh to see what people are predicting uh, and come out with some form of aggregate so that's kind of why i want to do it so enter your score prediction what you think the score is going to be so that's all all you need to do and the winner will be drawn uh round about the 20th of february um and we will you know hopefully be able to sync and get in touch and be able to do that so you will have effectively this competition will end um by the 19th of february so you will have until the 19th of february to enter it gives you plenty of time to watch the show so make sure you do that enter your score prediction name country of residence draw the winner on the 20th of february and we will go from there um thank you so much and now it's a great pleasure and honor to introduce uh, Coach Jeff Reinbold. It was uh, probably our most popular segment last year, talking about uh, the X's, Nose and Keys to Victory. And I'm looking forward to seeing what he says here about the Chiefs and the Eagles in this amazing Super Bowl. And so now we have moving to the more technical side of uh, the Super Bowl itself. And I'm pleased to be joined by a legendary American football coach who's the director of player development at the University of Hawaii. And he was also a former special teams coordinator for the Montreal Alouettes and the Hamilton <laughs> Tiger Cats. But you are more familiar with him as an analyst on Sky Sports NFL coverage. It's Coach Jeff Reinbold. Thank you very much for coming back and doing this for a third year in a row. How are you, my friend? I'm great, Murph. I just want you to uh, we're introducing a new type of technology today. It's called okay. the bubble. It's called the bobble cam. So if this thing bobbles and <laughs> moves all over the joint. It's just because it's you know we're trying to refine a really high end new technology. All right, I love it. Is is this like one of those interactive X's and O's cameras? So it makes you feel like you're part of the play. This is what we're trying to do here. Well, I, I can't give away all the secrets technologically, <laughs> and because it's so high tech, I I don't even know it all. Right? There's a we have a guy that works in uh, Manchuria that comes and you know is our technical advisor. So this is his project. So again, I, I'm sworn to secrecy. <laughs> well, hopefully you can come back in a few months' time and tell us how successful the project has <laughs> been and let us know for sure. Um, uh, as always, it's great to have you on. We're going to talk a little bit of uh, X's and O's here. I know you still got a lot of prep to do before the game. We are recording this about nine, ten days before the game, so I appreciate things are always likely to change. But just before we get into that, what do you make of this matchup of the Chiefs and the Eagles? Do you feel this was as good a matchup we were going to get based on the teams that made the playoffs or was there uh, maybe another romantic angle you were angling for or a better matchup in your eyes or, or do you think this is as good as it was going to get? No, I thought that going into the last two months of the season, which when at that point you can really, I think, start to give an educated guess to who's going to make the Super Bowl. I picked Kansas City and San Francisco to be in the Super Bowl and San Francisco mm. to win the game because I thought they had a more complete roster. Obviously, when Purdy went down last week, that was the end of, you know, San Francisco. And it was, you know, that was really hard to watch because, you know, you see guys that have played Bosa, Greenwell, Warner. I mean, you know, they're just great football players. 
and they they never had a chance you know and that's mm. that's unfair but that's just the way the game is not to take anything away from Philadelphia because Philadelphia did what they had to do to win the game uh now Kansas City on the other hand kind of limped into the Super Bowl you know Patrick's ankle his high ankle sprain which you know Murph if you've ever had one of those things they are mm. extremely painful and they're very very slow to heal so what he was able to do on a week is incredible, you know, to go out and play at the level he played at. Now he's going to have another week. But I'm more concerned with where they are with receivers right now because, mm. you know, they lost some really good players. The three of their top receivers went out in the game. They were playing with Sky Moore and, and uh, Marcus Kemp at the end of the game and two tight ends. What has nobody has talked about is the coaching aspect of it. And what I saw in the playoffs was Andy Reid do an amazing job of adjusting during the course of a game to things that you don't think you're going to have to adjust to. You don't count on your starting quarterback getting a high ankle sprain and be one-legged and you have to go out and win a game. You don't count on losing three receivers you know, in one game and with a beat-up quarterback so he, he adjusted over the course of the game better than I think I've ever seen any coach adjust. I mean, at the end of the game, they're playing Kelsey in the backup tight end and two wideouts that are on the, you know, were practice roster guys, you know, and they came in and they played well enough to win the football game. Now, how much can they heal? That's one factor because Philadelphia is physical and they mm. will pound you. And I think if Kansas City's not up to that, then it's going to be a it's going to be a tough afternoon in you know in Phoenix for Kansas City. When I look at the Eagles, I look at a team that I think has got a lot of confidence, got a lot of veteran players, got a great roster. Can Kansas City hold up to the onslaught up front, and can they force you know Jalen Hurts to play from behind on the sticks where he's not really comfortable? Get him to third and eight. Get him to second and tens where he's got to drop back and throw from the pocket and you take the RPO game away from him, the sprint game, and some of the other things that he does. Then I think Kansas City have a chance. If they're able to run the ball effectively, particularly on first and second down, it's going to be tough for Kansas City. Yeah, I agree with that. I think as well, when it comes to those longer yardage situations, because the one thing about Philadelphia, I have a big question mark over, and you can fill me in a little bit. At the end of the regular season, Jalen Hurts didn't play. He's got this shoulder injury. It's on his throwing arm. We know he took the time for that. They're in a position where he could do that anyway. And in the playoffs, they haven't really been tested. They played a Giants team who <clears throat> ran out of gas. Um, I don't can't think of a better reason, but they just didn't show up uh, against the Eagles. And then you, we already explained the situation with Brock Purdy, and then you were down to to Josh Johnson. And no disrespect to Josh Johnson, but he's not, unfortunately, seasoned and proven enough to lead a team um, in in a, in a situation like he was thrown into. And it obviously, it's a difficult situation, regardless. But uh, with where they're at, so they never really require Jalen Hurts to throw the ball as much as he probably will need to in the Super Bowl. Do you feel that with that, have you seen anything from the last couple of games that suggests that that shoulder's healing and he, he should be okay? Or do you, will you still hold some reservations about his injury going into this game? Well, I'm not as concerned about his injury as I am about his history. 
right? Okay. And, and when I say that, I, that is not a knock against the player, right? No. What I think Sirianni has done an outstanding job with in Philadelphia is he's tailored an offense to fit the strengths of his quarterback, not tried to fit the strength of his quarterback into his offense. And that is, I think, the, that's why these young offensive coaches in the NFL today are starting to get a leg up and starting to get jobs and all of those things because they're morphing the college game into the NFL game because think about it. Nobody gets three years to win now. You either win right now or they find another guy. And mm. so, and that's for players and coaches that, you know, when I'm talking about quarterbacks. So you, you don't have, there's no developmental period, right? The college game and the NFL game traditionally have been historically very different. So what these young coaches with college backgrounds have started to do is bring some of the college offense to their quarterback so that he's more comfortable and can play at a high level faster, right? Yeah. Now, when he has to go back and take a snap, you know, drop back, make a full field read, all of that, the jury's out right now, right? Especially under pressure in the biggest game. So I'm not, and again, I love Jalen Hurts, but I'm just saying mm. that he hasn't done that yet. Jordan Mailata is a mauler at left tackle as a run blocker. He's an outstanding run blocker. But where you can get him is in his pass protection. So if if Jordan Mailata, just like Jalen Hurts, is facing a lot of third and eights, third and tens, it's going to be a it's going to be a tough day for him because Spags has shown like last week it was genius, Murph. I mean that's not genius. Genius is split the atoms and you know cure cancer and stuff like that. Good football coaches figure out how to use their personnel well. Well, they all of a sudden sacked Joe Burrow three times real quick in the game because he went to a system that he'd not played before. He went to Chris Jones and three defensive ends on the field. Okay. So he got all of his best pass rushers on the field as soon as it got to be a long down and distance situation, which I think you'll see the same if he can get Philadelphia in those downs, down and distances. If the Chiefs get up early and force the Philadelphia Eagles out of the run game, then it's going to be a different story. If Philadelphia has their way and they want to turn it, Philadelphia would love nothing more to turn this into a backyard brawl and say, we're going to run the ball 40 times mm -hmm. against you. If that happens, Philadelphia will win the game, right? Now, that's where, you know, all of these next nine days is going to be so important, you know, in how this game unfolds. Yeah, it's amazing insight. And I think uh, the one thing I, I, like I said, I worry about, because when you look at the personnel matchups, especially on, on offense, you would give the advantage to, ironically, the Eagles. They've got the better running backs who have been more consistent throughout the season and have continued to put up not just good yards per carry, but good yards after contact. Then you've got Jalen Hurts, who himself is mobile, has put up very decent rushing numbers himself. Then you've also got the wide receivers and AJ Brown and Devonta Smith who trump anything really that the, the offense of the Chiefs can offer, especially with all of these injuries. And yet somehow we always feel that they're at a disadvantage on offense despite all of this because they've got to deal with Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, and then the legend that is Andy Reid. So 
what can the Eagles try and do to bring the game in the, in their way and be able to make it that back, you know, that, that backyard brawl and, and control the, the tempo of the game? How are they going to stop Andy Reid and, and stop Patrick Mahomes and, and exploit maybe some weaknesses on that side of the ball? Well, I think the first thing they're going to have to do is they're going to have to own the line of scrimmage. Now, one of the things that creates an advantage for the Eagles is they live in 11 personnel. And that when we say 11 personnel, that's one back, one tight end, and three wide receivers. And most teams, and Kansas City is one of the teams that does it, when you go to 11 personnel, they immediately go to nickel defense, which is four down linemen. They take out a linebacker and put in another defensive back and play with two linebackers. So you're playing with what we call a light box. Normally you want seven in the box. Now they're going to have six in the box. That gives Philadelphia an advantage because when you have to defend the quarterback, and this is really important for the fans to understand this, when you have to defend the quarterback in the run game, you create an extra gap that the defense has to defend, and there's nobody for that gap. So what Sirianni has been able to do by using personnel is create a numbers advantage on the line of scrimmage. One of the reasons they block, they run the ball so well. Now they're great blockers. I'm not taking anything away from them. Mm -hmm. I want, I want to make that perfectly clear, but I watched against San Francisco where Greenwell and Warner, who are sideline to sideline linebackers, all of a sudden they have to come up into the line of scrimmage and take on big bodies and, you know, and, and, you look at the lot of those runs that Philadelphia had against San Francisco, they weren't on the edge. They were between the tackles. They were up inside where, whether it was Kelsey on a C block where he steps around the guard and, and goes up to the linebacker or in a pure zone system where they double the two defense down linemen and climb to the linebacker. There were a lot of times that Philadelphia's backs didn't get touched until they were at the second level. And when you can do that, you know, you're, you're doing well. How much can Kansas City counter that? What's their answer going to be? I think one of the things you're going to see is Kansas City is going to say, okay, we're going to put the pressure on our corners. We're going to play press man-to-man, right? take away all the easy throws, the slants and the RPO throws, and play another player in the box and be aggressive because we have to create, we have to get the numbers back on our side. But if they play a too-high shell and play nickel defense – Philadelphia rip them. Yeah, I, I mean it's it's amazing insight because as a fan you're you're still picking up the X's and you're still trying to see the the weaknesses. But obviously we're dealing with two experienced um, defensive coordinators who are studying the game, especially someone like Steve Spagnola and uh, and Jonathan Gannon. You know these guys uh, understand how to you know, take advantage, although this is Jonathan Gannon's, I think, first Super Bowl appearance. He's still experienced and seasoned enough to be able to see, you know, these advantages. Do you think here that with the talent that the Eagles have managed to amass on on defence, that they are going to be able to run over the offensive line and, and force Patrick Mahomes into those scrambles that might affect his ankle and his throwing motion? Or do you feel that the containment approach will be the better approach uh, for them to maybe let Kelsey get his yards over the middle um, and then not give up the big play and then force the pressure 
when they're sort of around field goal range through to uh, goal to go? Or do you feel that they're just better off setting the tone early, being aggressive early, as they kind of have been in many of these games recently, and trying to stick to that? What what would you do in this situation? I think what you're going to see is, you know, again, like as they do their work, which they're doing right now, they're going to look at, you know, hours and hours and hours of game tape. Right. And they're going to look for any kind of advantage that they can create, any weakness that they can see on Kansas City side of the football. So right now, where I'd say you have a chance, right, is Andrew Wiley at right guard, right tackle for Kansas City. That would be the guy that I would attack and I would put my best pass rusher. And I think it was really interesting. All of a sudden last week, instead of being the right defensive end, Hassan Reddick comes over and plays left defensive end. Why? Because Jonathan Gannon knew that the matchup he wanted was his best pass rusher, right? Against who? Mike McGlinchey, who's the second best tackle at San Francisco, right? Don't waste him against, you know, Trent Williams. Get him over where he can get wins for you. And where did Purdy get hurt from? Hassan Reddick coming off the left side. The same thing's true. Hassan Reddick coming off the left side when he sacked Josh Johnson and knocked the ball out. That should have been that should have been a, a fumble return. Now the reality of those plays, if you look a little closer, is there were scheme flaws within San Francisco, but you could see what Jonathan Gannon was doing. He was matching his guys against guys. So, again, I would not be surprised to see Hassan Reddick line up on the right side and pass, you know, rushdowns this week and see if they can get him against Jordan Mailata because Lane Johnson has not given up a sack at right tackle the entire season, not one. So don't waste your best rusher against him. You know, put your second best rusher there and now go to work on the guy that you know you might have a chance to win with. And put yourself in the best opportunities to win. I, I... That's co- hey, You know, in Murph, that's coaching. That's what the best coaches do. And I, and I, sometimes I, I, you know, like I look at movies like Any Given Sunday and, you know, uh, you know, t- the, the Titans and all that. And that's, that's all coaching. That's, you know, right. I get it. Right. But the really high level coaching that goes on in pro football, it's about matching your players up, mitigating their, the things that they don't do well and finding ways to give them an opportunity to do the things that they do. Well, Hassan Reddick was a first round pick, the 13th player picked in the draft. And they couldn't figure out in, with the Cardinals, what to do with him because they were trying to make him be something that he wasn't right. He's a incredible pass rusher. He's a game record kind of player, but he's not a true outside linebacker, right? Which is what they drafted him to be. So it took him going to Philadelphia really to be in a system where they don't ask him to drop into coverage. They don't ask him to do a whole bunch of things. They give him a job and say, hey, listen, go make that quarterback's life miserable for 60 minutes. And he has he, – Murph, he has now six forced fumbles on the season. Number one I mean, in the league. Yeah. And also double-digit sacks again did that last season. 
you know, he's proving his ultimate value right now. Wouldn't be uh, right for me to let you go without talking about the special teams battle here. These are mm-hmm. two well-coached special teams um, outfits. Would you state that there's one that's potentially better than the other um, in terms of personnel? And I mean, it's a big loss for the Chiefs to lose Michael uh, Hardman, uh, who won't be playing in the game, it looks like. So they're going to have to change returner. But even with that change, is, is there a preference that you would have? Or do you think there's there's a big difference in between these special teams units? Well, I, I think that that one of the things that won the game for him, if you will, right? Because everybody points to, you know, Osai's last play and all that stuff, which is that, that's the low-hanging fruit. But if yeah. you look what really won, in, in my opinion, for Kansas City was the reemergence of the Kansas City special teams because they were the last – they do a thing called special teams efficiency grade, right? It's all of the factors in special teams, field position gain, field position loss, return touchdowns, field goal percentage, every, every statistical category. It's like 14 items. And then they, they rank every team in the National Football League. Dave Tobe is one of the best special teams coaches in the league. However, this year, the Kansas City Chiefs special teams were 32nd out of 32 teams, right? But why is that? They got a lot of rookies playing. He doesn't – I mean, the roster's not built to be great on special teams. They lost some veteran players that were all good special teams players in the past. So it's been a long year for them. Sky Moore goes back in the game as the backup punt returner because they tried to make a punt returner out of him early in the year, and he muffed about three punts. Yeah, he did. And at a time when they need a huge return, he gets them a huge return because if he doesn't make that return, and this is like it frustrates me as a special teams coach because the freaking analysts don't even get it, right? No. But if he doesn't make that long return, even if Osai has the penalty, they're not going to kick the field goal, right? The field position that he gained on that play was huge. I mean, absolutely huge. And so it may be one of those kinds of plays that special teams become the turning point for either of these teams. Now, Philadelphia is better than Cincinnati on special teams, in my opinion. So I think it's going to be interesting to watch who goes back to return punts first. Is it, are they going to, you know, Sky Moore's the, got the hot hand. Is he going to go back and be the punt returner? We'll see. Because he didn't go into the game to be the first punt returner, he he was the backup, right? Yeah. So again, that, there's a lot of factors at play here, and this is the this is the biggest stage, man. This is where all the chips are shoved into the middle of the table, and we got one hand to play. We got 60 minutes of cards to play, and it's gonna be it's high stakes poker at its best. Oh, a hundred percent, and this is why we love it, right? So the question, and this has been a theme throughout this show, is the Chiefs are now at the third Super Bowl in four years. Yes, granted, the one in Tampa was bizarre because of the lockdown and less media responsibilities, but still, it was. they still coached the big game in a stadium with fans, granted not full. The Eagles, of course, were there five years ago, Different coaching staff, different personnel. Yes, there's a few holdovers on this roster, but it's very few and far between. In, if the game is close and it's down to those crucial moments, do you think the experience of Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, of being in their third Super Bowl in four years, 
gives them advantage over Nick Sirianni and Jalen Hurts because they'll have the know-how of being in the situation of being in these tough places, whether maybe Sirianni and, and Jalen Hurts don't, or do we feel we're just looking a little bit too much into that? Well, I think it's I think it's going to be interesting to see how Sirianni and his staff handle it when it doesn't go well for them. Because if you look at it, the two games that they've played in the playoffs have really been walks in the park yeah. because they're so much better than the Giants. And the Giants had a great year, and Brian Dable did a great job. And But, but they're a team that's on the rise, not a team that's ready to win a Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And then they go out the next week, and the sixth play of the game, the other quarterback goes down, and you go to a guy who's been on 14 NFL teams and hasn't thrown a pass all year. Not fair, right, no matter how good the defense is, right? And then you lose him, and now you don't even have the quarterback. You got, you know, your your tailback takes his gloves off and lines up and plays court. That's not a fair fight. So he's had it his way the whole time. What I want to see is how do they all react if Kansas City jumps up on them 14-0, which, is, which can happen with Kansas City, right? Mm-hmm. Or if Hurts doesn't play well, or if Hurts goes down, how are they going to, you know, what are, how are they going to respond? I don't have that same question with Andy Reid because we've seen him do it time and time again. He's more battle-tested right now. doesn't mean he's better. It just Mm. means he's more battle-tested. So if it comes down to that, logic would tell you, go with the battle-tested guy. I, th- I I agree. We've seen so many scenarios where coaches who haven't been under pressure, I immediately go back to um, Matt LaFleur in the NFC Championship game a couple of years ago against Tampa Bay and Tom Brady, and they opt to kick a field goal and give the ball back to Tom Brady as opposed to trying to go for the touchdown that would put them ahead in the game because they felt, well, you know, at the end of the day, we need to we needed the score. Um, it still gives us a chance. If we're, we've got all our timeouts, we keep the D. Uh, if we get a stop here, we'll have a chance to try and win the game. And obviously that didn't happen. Tom Brady saw out the clock and it was a mind-boggling decision. And it was pressure, wasn't it? He didn't have time to process that fast enough. And it'll be interesting because Nick Sirianni hasn't faced that pressure this year. Is he going to make a mistake that could potentially cost his team? That's why I asked the question. We know Andy Murph, won't. It's a, Murph, it's a great question. It's a valid question. Because I asked Coach Vermeil that, and he said, you can't understand. You can call all the guys you want. And I'm sure Nick Sirianni's called everybody that he knows who's been to a Super Bowl, looking for advice on how to prepare and all that other stuff. Because it's not just the 60 minutes of the game. It's the two weeks leading up to the game, how you deal with the media, how you prepare your team. How Are you going to have curfew? Are you going to have bed check? Or what do you, when do the wives come? How do you distribute tickets? I mean, it's, an, it's like an unbelievable circus mm-hmm. that you have to manage right if you've never been if the only time you've been to the surf- circus is when you bought a ticket and now they're asking you to be the ringmaster that's a pretty <laughs> tall order dude i'm telling that's you right oh, so so like that's why i think the chiefs have, have an advantage because they've got a veteran staff that's been there done it right yeah they've got a quarterback that's been there done it right all their best players um now again that's that's just a chance for them to have a great, a better experience, right? Doesn't mean they're gonna, you know, no. look at, I think it's so what you said started my brain to work. And it was like, yeah, think about Sean McVay when he went and played for his first one and he couldn't adjust. He didn't know what the, he froze in, in the, and he'd tell you that. Yeah. He said, I didn't prepare him well and I didn't 
didn't adjust in the game. Think about Dan Quinn. When yeah. he, he'd probably still be the head coach in, in Atlanta right now if he'd have told his offensive coordinator on third and two late in the game when all you got to do is get another first down to win the game and you call a pass and a guy misses a, a pass protection, your quarterback gets sacked, the ball fumbled, and now you lose the Super Bowl, right? Yeah. So would Dan Quinn now take a different approach? Yeah. I would, I would think so. But exactly. he, you know, he may never get a second chance. Right, Coach Vermeil, he wore the Philadelphia Eagles out, wore them out, full pad practices, bed check every night for two weeks before they went to play the Raiders, and the Raiders blew them out of the stadium. And the Raiders players were on Bourbon Street every night, right? They were just loose. They were just relaxed yeah, they and ready were, to and, go. And so, so again, when Coach went back a second time and he took the Rams back there, they beat the Titans by a yard and a half, right? But that's he learned. Now, again, that's where I think the advantage is definitely with Kansas City. Yeah, and I mean, for me as well, I think back to two years ago with Andy Reid, and, and it for him, he will feel disappointed about that game. I feel he'll have something to prove. Patrick Mahomes will have something to prove. But also, don't forget, they face their own challenges uh, that time around with what was going on with Andy Reid's son and, and the car accident, you know, we didn't we didn't really factor that into our thinking with the game. The Chiefs went in heavy favourites, but that clearly had an impact on that coaching staff, on that team. So it's and the Chiefs have got uh, the Eagles have got their own situation right now. They've got a player who's just been indicted. All of those sorts of things are things that Nick Sirianni, again, as we say, have not had to deal with. And it's whoever I feel looks after and deals with those situations that are going to come up over the next 10 days, regardless of the person on the field, I feel will make could make the difference if this game is a close one. If it's a blowout, it won't. But Well, yeah. you know, you don't, you don't wish this on anybody, but over the course of Super Bowl history, there have been more than one or two examples of, you know, the, the Falcons are playing, I think it was the Packers, in the, or De maybe it was Denver, in the Super Bowl in Miami. And their Pro Bowl safety, right, who had just won the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award for, 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 uh, for the Falcons. Charity work and, and yeah, everything that they've done. And, goes yeah. out and solicits a prostitute and gets arrested. Okay? Okay? Now, the Cincinnati Bengals had a running back have a drug overdose the night before the game, right? The and Oakland Raiders are going to the Super Bowl and their Pro Bowl center, they're in California and their Pro Bowl center goes to Tijuana and they can't find him for the game. So these things have happened over the course. These next two weeks, there's no guarantees, baby. No. <laughs> so, you, you know, who manages all of this the best and then who coaches the best those 60 minutes yeah it's going to be a great game i cannot wait for it i'm going to push you for a prediction who do you think is lifting the lombardi uh, in nine days time i'm going to say i'm going to say the kansas city chiefs because you know again until you get a chance to uh prove to me that they're not i'm i'm saying that all of their players are healthy right mm. now if they're not healthy it's a different dog right of course but to me, I'm always going to go for experienced coaching and experienced quarterback play. Yeah, 
I'm with you on that. That's my prediction all the way through as well. Um, until I hear something otherwise that's going to make me swing, I'm with you. But thank you so much. Is there anything you want to plug? Or uh, obviously you've got the show that you'll be doing. Can you share with us any guests that you'll have on on uh, Sky NFL on, on Super Bowl Sunday? We're going to have a loaded group of guests all during the week from Radio, Radio Row. Uh, we'll do a show every day. Uh, Christian Wilkins is joining us on game day. Uh, the The legend that is ryan fitzpatrick will be there uh it's gonna be a lot of fun i think it's gonna be a great great presentation by sky great way to end this end the season um stay with us at the jeff reinbold show uh every week during the off season we're going to continue to expand that and and uh you know podcasts and all the things we do leading up to the draft so there is no off season for us murph we don't do we don't play that game off season's where it all comes alive this yeah, is when the real work is done. I love it. I love it. I, I love it. Well, look, Coach, thank you so much for joining us again. Uh, good luck Sunday. Um, looking forward to tuning in and, and watching you uh, dazzle us with the knowledge and breaking down the game as, as we're going through. There's nobody better in the business to do that. So thank you once again for joining us. Appreciate you, Murph. Thank you. As always, amazing insight from uh, Coach Reinbold there. Um, really appreciate his time. Uh, if you somehow have skipped all of my uh, segue introductions, I would strongly urge you to go back uh, a couple and see, because we've already done our first giveaway. Mind you, if you're skipping them all, then uh, this would be a bit of a redundant message. So don't forget to uh, follow the instructions on the first giveaway that we've talked about. But now it's time to introduce um, Talk Sports Zone, Gridiron Zone, uh, Will Gavin, and I promise you, there are some absolutely unbelievable stories uh, in this one and just some incredible insight of what it's like to cover the Super Bowl from the media perspective, but just some amazing uh, anecdotal stories and evidence in here that are uh, will blow you away. So uh, enjoy now the dulcet tones of my uh, lookalike brother, Will Gavin. I'm delighted to be joined by... And don't adjust your sets. I know we look very similar, although uh, definitely our guest has a, a much more impressive beard than I do these days. But when I was in lockdown, we were probably competing a little bit better. Um, you probably all recognize, if not the face, definitely the voice. But please welcome uh, TalkSport Gridiron presenter and broadcaster. He's an institution here in the NFL UK community. It's Will Gavin. Will Gavin, thank you for joining Five Yard Rush on our amazing Super Bowl show. How are you, sir? And I see you got Talksport in the background getting that promo <laughs> in there. Stop it, Murph. Stop it. I'm actually in the Talksport studio where I do a lot of the Sunday night broadcasting from at the moment. So that's normally where I'm sat when I'm doing Sunday night football with the games on all those screens up there. And uh, yeah, I it's it was honestly it was just the most quiet place in the office because there's no sport on this afternoon. So I've snuck in here. There's air conditioning and it's nice and quiet. So uh, <laughs> this felt like the best place we could do it uh still rushing around trying to get everything ready before heading off to arizona but yeah it's uh it's it's got to be on brand sometimes i love it yeah absolutely (laughs) and then listen what what a brand to have behind you so um you mentioned arizona when are you when are you flying to go and cover the game when's your uh, when's your flight out I set off on Sunday, so we get in Sunday afternoon and then radio row for the full five days uh, up until the game. So, yeah, we're out there for about eight or nine days, I think. I know there's quite a few this year coming out a bit later, kind of Wednesday, Thursday onwards. But for us, like, 
the social content and stuff we get around opening night and all of those things is just it's it's too worth being there i should have maybe just sent a couple of the guys out of the four of us going i <laughs> just let them go ahead but you know who can complain about being in the super bowl city for a few days Abs- absolutely and it's arizona it's going to be a relatively nice weather even at this time of the year and you know it could be as far worse place in the world to be than uh being there on radio road but we're going to come back to that we are going to just quickly before we get into you know what it's like covering a super bowl and then some of the media things that you do because i think that's going to be really interesting to our listeners to understand what it's like to actually what the event of the super bowl is most people obviously know the game they know there's a radio row but the behind the scenes uh, element of it but the super bowl itself this year the two number one seeds kansas city chiefs philadelphia eagles I appreciate you're a 49ers fan so this does come a little bit bittersweet but what what is this matchup for you in terms of your thoughts on it? Do you think this was neutral, you know, being neutral here, as good a matchup as we were going to get in a Super Bowl? And uh, yeah, just your initial take, really. I, I did. I got to the point where I thought any matchup of the final four was was going to be great. I genuinely mm-hmm. believe that. And I know that sounds very fence sitting, but I mm-hmm. think that all four coaching staffs, uh, all four rosters, all four quarterbacks, even with Brock Purdy in there, all had the ability to go and win a Super Bowl against anyone else they'd be matched up with. And actually, I I very strongly said ahead of the conference weekend that I thought the winner was coming out of the NFC either way. And I'm standing by that still at the moment. Um, The problem with the Super Bowl, and we will get onto this when we talk about Radio Row, is that you get into a bubble over the course Mm. of the seven or eight days you're there. And you sit there opposite people, having conversations with them, who as much as you like to, as much as you love the NFL and as much as you watch it every week and as much as you watch film and listen to podcasts Mm. and do everything else, you know, you, you put the work in to be knowledgeable. You're sat opposite Greg Cosell or Mina Kimes or like even bloody Ollie Connolly who does the show with us. You know, (laughs) these are real football nerds. And over the course of the week, you hear the storylines and you get former players there and they're telling you this, that and the other. And you talk yourself into often my pick will flip at least seven times during Super Bowl week because I'll get convinced that (laughs) one area is going to be the area where this game is going to be won and will be the key. And then the only year where I have gone pretty steadfastly in with one thought process and never really changed it and actually ended up also being right was uh, Rams Patriots in Atlanta because I just I just kept saying I love Sean McVay but the limitations of Jared Goff and you give Bill Belichick two weeks to plan for all the wrinkles you throw in I just think it's going to be him and Brian Flores, who it was as his DC at the time. I just, I just saw it as being a defensive masterclass, and that's what we ended up getting. This is as convinced as I've been of a Super Bowl winner probably since then. Right. I really think that Philadelphia, as much as people will tell us that the NFC is the weaker of the two conferences, that they got a you know rebuilding if we're being nice about it, Giants team, the hospital version of the San Francisco 49ers, (laughs) like as much as everyone will tell you they had the easiest schedule, they remind me of that team that won uh, 52 in just the most terrifying ways. The rotation on the defensive line, the strength of the offensive line. But compared to that game, 
they have better offensive coaching, a better quarterback and better weapons. I just think that they are a supreme football team. I, I Don't get me wrong, Patrick Mahomes on the other side, Andy Reid, one of the best schemers in the game. There's every chance that they either win this game of football or do something very special. But I am right now pretty heavily in my mind backing the Eagles. Okay. So I have ask a question. Me on, ask, ask me again on Wednesday. <laughs> I will do. Don't worry. I am going to ask you again. My, so my... Um, my question to you is just before we go into the media stuff, because it's going to tie in a little bit. Do you think that there is some advantage here for the Chiefs being this is their third Super Bowl in four years? Uh, yes, they won one and lost one. This is the third one. And they're going to be more acclimatized to Radio Row, the hype, and appreciate that, you know, the Eagles were only there five years ago, but ha- there aren't as many holdovers from that team as there are now, you know, compared to, say, the Chiefs. Do you think that the coaching staff and, and everybody will just have – does it give them – does it give the Chiefs a little bit of a advantage or do you think that's just all myth and it's an even playing field when it comes to the game itself? You know, I don't think it's – I don't think it's myth and I don't think it's um, – I, I, I think that it is a legitimate factor depending on who the team is. Um, I think you have to still take it on the individual basis. And I still think you have to, I think a, a really good example from recent years is um, the Carolina Panthers who came into that game as, mm-hmm. as looking at Super Bowl 50 as looking like uh, the, the by far the stronger of the, mm-hmm. the two uh, of the two teams. Um, yeah. Never count out Peyton Manning, great defense, Von Miller, everything else, but they definitely looked like on paper, the stronger of the two. And I think the whole week, the hoopla, the everything about it, the young quarterback, that everything just kind of seemed to get on top of them. And they came into that game looking very nervous, but you could look at the other side of that and you could say, well, what about like, uh, you know, a team like, Seattle, who had one of the youngest, going into 48, had one of the youngest teams we've seen in modern Super Bowl history. You know, a second-year quarterback who was a third-round pick. Uh, yeah, yes, a wizened old head coach, but they just had that right attitude about them. And so mm. I didn't think it was ever going to phase them. And I feel like as much as Sirianni's got a good amount of bluster in the media, and as much as he's like a good players coach and really kind of wins wins guys over in a in a big way, I do think that, you know, Jonathan Gannon's pretty no-nonsense. I think they've mm. still got enough of those guys, particularly on the defensive line. You think of the the, the Brandon Grahams and Fletcher Coxes of this world, and even guys like, like you know, Robert Quinn and Domican Sue, who have it all, you know, tasted the same success but are good wise vets who have been in the league a long time who know how to handle themselves who like I just think they've got enough elements there that it will keep everybody else nice and level but then we'll see when we're out there you can tell a little bit from the team and the way around them and how you know settled they are and how calm they are and yeah I think I do think going to three and four years is, is a massive benefit but is it more of a benefit than having Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes? No, I think mm. it's like a side benefit to that. I think it's like mm. a, it's a nice bonus on top of the the reason that you got there in the first place. So, yeah, yeah I, 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 it's it's something, but it's not nothing. But it's also not not what I'm hanging the hat on. 
No, and it, you can also sort of scrub 55 with that being a lockdown pandemic and the media, the radio road was kind of minimal at best. Most of it was done remotely. That certainly was not the foray to build up. Yes, there were some people in the stadium, but it was a very reduced crowd for 455. So, you know, you could almost say, yes, that experience is there, but they haven't experienced it since they last won a Super Bowl, really, in its glory. So I, I take your point. I think it's nice to have, but yeah, probably not too much to hang your hat on. Um, but let's talk about that experience. So, you know, you mentioned you're out there, you've covered, I mean, how many Super Bowls have you now covered? Like this is, you know, you must be doing this quite a while. Like, how many have you actually been there in person for and, and covered? Uh, so, uh, sorry, mate, one second. So with regards to, you know, you, you mentioned uh, being there, you, you've been to Super Bowls, flying out there. How many Super Bowls have you actually attended in person and then actually covered as, as part of uh, the media? So I, I was trying, I was actually just doing this uh, maths in my head a second ago. My first one, my first one was actually uh, the last time they were in Arizona. So Super Bowl 49 uh, for Patriots Seahawks, the, uh, the Malcolm Butler inception mm. on the one yard line. So how many have there been since then? No, one, two, three, four, five, eight. six, seven, eight. So this would have been, this would be my ninth, but I did obviously for, obvious reasons i didn't go to uh 55 at raymond james so this this will be number eight for me now which is mad to think about like the first to be to be fair the first first three or four i went to in fact in fact the first three i went to prior to the eagles last super bowl win were all very much self-funded you know using where i worked and, and and doing that work to to get into the game and cover the game but you know making a loss versus flights, hotels, everything else, (laughs) sleeping on Matt Sherry from Gridiron's floor at Super Bowl (laughs) 49, for example, uh, was very much in the mix. But, you know, as much as sometimes when people go, oh, you're so lucky, I think to myself, well, you know, I worked quite hard to get here as well. But I, I, I do feel incredibly lucky. I do feel ridiculous that this is my job and you know i, I there's part of me that, that that's this week been going you know i'm i'm getting into my late 30s and the nfl season is starting to tell on me more and more as i do sunday night football monday night football thursday night football and try to keep up the old nine to five as well and i was getting to the weekend going christ i'm tired already and it hasn't even started yet <laughs> and i had to kind of slap myself a little bit and go hold on calm down you know this is going to be great don't stop stressing about it <laughs> well look it, it you say it's poop but you've worked so hard as you say and you've made a lot of sacrifices and I guess that's the thing that people don't see is they don't see what it takes to get here and and the amount of uh hard work and and sacrifice that you've got to make in order to to create these opportunities and you know a bit of it is luck as well being in the right place at the right time knowing the right people but you I've certainly carved that out. We're grateful for you for that. If anyone has ever listened to your coverage, like I have uh, on many occasions and uh, had the honor of speaking to you and, you know, understanding your knowledge of the game, the background, it's just amazing to have people like you covering the sport. Cause as much as the American commentary is, is, is phenomenal and it is, and I'm not knocking any American broadcaster or anything like that. It is really, there is something special about tuning in on a Sunday, listening to you and that, and 
and and you know ollie as you mentioned and and getting a lot of those uk voices talking about the game because it just brings it brings it home there's just something with the verbiage and the language and the way that you tell the stories and and as they're unfolding it just they relate more especially if you're a big sports nut you've grown up with english commentators and you know we we put commentators in this country on a on a pedestal because of how great they are and unfortunately we slam a few that perhaps aren't aren't great so you know it's a privilege to to listen and to hear these these stories and i just want to get into a little bit about because i think some of the insight that people don't get is radio row is all of those elements that that happen around the super bowl and the media event so f- how does it start in terms of super bowl so you say you're flying out there it kicks off monday what is it I mean, what, how does it start from an activity perspective for the media and, and what's the rest of the week like? How does Radio Row work and those sorts of elements? Firstly, you are far, far too kind and uh, you make a man blush and that's <laughs> too, too, too kind for you. Look, the week, the week is made up of uh, the... It, it does feel like madness from moment one and city to city, it, it can vary greatly based on where you are and what the city is doing and what they're laying on. But the kind of the, 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 the key factors every year, and we're back to a normal year this year after the pandemic. I mean, last year in Los Angeles was both uh, kind of oddly quiet on Radio Row compared with normal but also one of the maddest experiences because what they did was crammed everything into two or three days at the end of the week instead of spreading out over a full seven days because they were trying to keep the you know keep the event a bit more contained and so you just ended up with a mad rush crazy three days where the availability with all the players happened on one day, for example, instead of being spread across four days like it will be this year. So we tend to get in the Sunday before Radio Row to kind of just give you an idea where we're set up as our main base. There'll be 120 odd radio stations from mostly from the US. I think we're the only British one who keep a table, although Five Live work a bit with us, Sky work a bit with us. We ca- we become a little bit of a base for the NFL UK. I was talking to one of the guys at NFL UK about this today, and I was like, look, you'll see it when you get out there, because it's their first year doing it, is it's like the Five Live guys will come on with us, and we'll go on with them, and ITV will lend us someone, and Laura will come on with us, and we'll do that. And like, it's a, it, As you'll experience as part of the community, Murph, it, it really is a community. There mm. isn't that kind of thing of, you know, I'm sure there's you know, people who don't like each other and bickering and nonsense and everything is part of it. But for the most part, it's a group of people who bloody love the sport and all happy to work together to make sure the sport grows and goes further. I've never once had an argument with my kind of counterpart at Five Live, who I do the production side as well. When it comes to picking games every week, when it comes to talent when it comes to all that stuff we've always worked together to make sure that both broadcasts are great so that everyone gets the right thing mm. and everyone gets a good experience i've gone on a massive rubbish tandem there and I'm no it's I good it's great insight but it is but on radio row we are you know, we're based with one table in a sea of many where there's these big stands around the outsides for cbs and for nfl networks there'll be a podcast stand where they'll record uh all of the different shows that they do during the week you know bench with vanessa will be there and the around the nfl guys and everything else um 
there will Pat McAfee has his own stand there or did at least last year where we got to see Wiz Khalifa perform, which was bizarre <laughs> with like 30 other people, mostly media members. Um, like the whole thing is, is fantastic. And, and what you end up doing is you're there for the most part for the five, for the full week, for the five days, you have legendary players, you have current players who aren't involved in the Super Bowl, you have tertiary people, coaches and you know, former coaches and everything else floating around. You have people from other sports, particularly boxing in the UFC, is always very well represented there. You know, Deontay Wilder is always a regular with us on Radio Row, as are often the UFC guys. And what you'll find is you'll pre-book a load of stuff in. So if I was to look at my Radio Row spreadsheet, and for people seeing the video version of this, I'm literally looking at my Radio Row spreadsheet <laughs> as we speak. I have a you can have a little I can have a little look and see what we've already got booked in. So we've already got uh, a lot of the NFL Network guys already booked in. We've got like TJ Ward from the Broncos Super Bowl team. We've got the Fulham owner, Tony Khan, booked in. Wow. It's about the Jags as well. F.A. Abada and Malcolm Smith, who won the Super Bowl 48 MVP. Mm-hmm. A load of the ESPN guys like Mina Kimes, Dan Orlovsky are booked in. So, like, we're booking a bunch of stuff in advance. But a lot of it's just while you're there. I remember the first time we had a, a table on Radio Row back at Super Bowl 50. At 49, we didn't have a table. We were just wandering around and grabbing what we could. And that was in San Francisco, so West Coast, meaning that we learned very early, get there super early, get there at like five, six in the morning because the New York stations are all doing their breakfast shows and they're mm. getting loads of big names on because it's people like Mike and the Mad Dog and stuff, but lots of other people aren't there. So if you as the kind of slightly charming, bumbling British guy go up to Matt Ryan's representatives and go, Oh, we're over from the UK and uh, we have Gillette in the UK as well, so we can promote the stuff he's doing. Um, we might have like five or ten minutes for us. They're much more willing to do it than if you approach them at one in the afternoon and they've already done mm. 30 interviews and they don't want to like that. So we kind of learned that quite quickly. But often you'll just kind of grab people, you'll see them, you'll book them in there and then. We've had some amazing people come through and do interviews on Radio Row. It's been a real privilege to sit there with some of them um over the years and that's that's kind of our main base of operations but you've then got opening night as well which they've brought back this year which people have become more aware of because it's now become a media event in itself Mm. so now it's broadcast on nfl network and they have fans in the stands so it'll be done at a local basketball stadium arena or a local baseball stadium and they'll have 10 podiums where the 10 biggest names are on there so if you think about uh, the Chiefs this year, it will be uh, obviously Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid will be at, um, uh, will be at the stands, but it will be Chris Jones, Frank Clark, uh, Travis Kelsey, uh, probably uh, I imagine. I'm trying to think who else might be on there this year. Actually, like who are the obvious obvious ones? Who probably like Juju Smith Schuster. Juju's probably on there. Yeah, I imagine so. But like Nick Bolton. I'd love I mean, if Nick Bolton's not on there, he's the first person I'm hunting down because I, I am the head of the he's, Nick Bolton fan club. His, his sideline, sideline speed is insane. It's yeah. so ridiculous, his closing speed. He, he should be playing linebacker for the 49ers. He's that good. Um, he, the, and the fans in the stadium can tune their headsets in and listen to the stand they want to listen oh, to. Wow. So they can listen to, you know, Patrick Holmes will be there and he'll sit there for the full 45 minutes and he'll answer questions and people will gather around the podium and everyone will go in and it becomes it's madness it's the ones that like jimmy fallon's mate turns up to and does a bit for the fallon show it's the ones where people do fancy dress and it's all ridiculously (laughs) over the top but at the same time it is a media obligation and anyone who's not on the podium 
is out in the stands. It's out in the stands. It's out on the floor around you. So they're just in mingling amongst the media. And so I think back to... Um, uh, let's use the 49ers as an example because that's the last normal Super Bowl that we had. Um, I, I think back to that team and I very specifically remember like going on the floor there and getting 10 minutes with um, uh, with Bobby Turner, who's the running back uh, coaching legend who like coached with Mike Shanahan and coached now with Kyle Shanahan and like fronted a load of those teams. I got loads of time with uh, Emmanuel Sanders because he wasn't one of the people who was on the podium. I got a load of time with um, uh, Kwan Alexander because he wasn't one of the guys on the podium. Mm. And they're just milling around and they're just hanging out. And like you're like, do you fancy doing 10 minutes for UK radio? And you just stand there and have a chat to them. And it's that is bizarre. It's so weird. Because then for the rest of the week, they do do media obligations. And what they tend to do is these round tables where – Every day for Tuesday through Thursday, they have to make 10, 12 guys available. A couple of coordinators, a couple of coaches, a couple of players kind of thing. And you'll go and they'll be on a round table and you'll be able to get four or five questions in. And so you have to kind of time which day you go based on who you want to talk to and all that stuff. And it's mostly the beat writers. But that opening night is is genuine madness. And keep an eye on social media on Tuesday morning because you'll see just how crazy the whole thing is. And then there's the fun stuff. I've, I've rambled on for ages here. That's Radio fair. Row and me and opening night, that's the work. We produce radio shows. We put them on TalkSport 2. We put them on TalkSport. We make podcasts. We make social content. We do all of that. And then we get to have some fun as well. It's very much work hard, play hard. Um, they do a media party, which is normally on the Tuesday night, where essentially they ply us with free drinks. So we say nice things about the city that we're in. They <laughs> do it somewhere... Uh, this is where LA was crazy. So normally it's at like uh, the aquarium or it's at, um, you know, a local museum or it's at like, a, you know, somewhere. They'll find somewhere quirky and fun to do it. In LA, they did it at Universal Studios. <laughs> they shut Universal Studios four hours early. And if you went that day, you got like a discounted ticket. And from, I think, 6 p.m. till 10.30, we had full access to Universal Studios all the rides, all the food was free, all the stalls were open just to help you go and order and help yourself, free drinks. And because it was only the members of the media and the, t and the team, uh, like all the pe people on the outskirts of the team and stuff like that, I don't think I queued for anything for more than two minutes. Oh it was God. insane. <laughs> it, honestly, they must have spent hundreds of thousands of dollars. I don't understand how it could be any cheaper than that. So, I mean, Arizona, when we went there before, they did it at the um, at the golf course where they hold the Waste Management Open, which is also the same week, insanely. And <laughs> it was nice. It was it was a good event, but that was... So, I've never seen anything like it. And I don't imagine anywhere else will ever do it like LA. It's just a very, very Hollywood thing to do, isn't it? Wow. And, yeah. and also, you got to think it was the first one <laughs> there for so long. And <laughs> Bum bumping, in, <laughs> bumping into F.A. Obada on the queue for the Jurassic Park water ride uh, was a particular <laughs> highlight because <laughs> he was just there with, with his mates having fun. I was like, all right, F.A. He's like, hey, how you doing, buddy? I was like, yeah, this is mental. Everyone just going around going, well, this is mental, isn't it? This is bizarre. What the <laughs> hell? Um, yeah, that's a good time. I just want to know, did anyone break anything? 
it, I'm sure it's long enough now where the statute of limitations might have run out, but did anything uh, break? Did bo- you... Bones, I imagine, but I don't think anything within the park. Um, <laughs> not that I'm aware of. I certainly saw Ollie Hunter and Matt Sherry running around like headless chickens a couple of times and lost track of them for a long period of time. But no, it was, yeah, it was fun. I, like the, the only other time it's compared to that, Minnesota, they did it in the Mall of America in the oh, theme park they have in Mall of America, but it's not the same as Universal Studios, no. obviously. Yeah, what it's so goes. stupid. It's so oh. stupid. Too old for it. They, the one thing we don't do, which everyone thinks we do do, is don't end up at like, you know, you see the Fridays and Saturdays and all the parties that they put on. Yeah, don't end up at those. That We're not cool <laughs> enough for those. Jay Glazer's not inviting us to the Fox party. We're not getting into the Playboy party. Uh, we've, we, did, we did go to Drake's Suits and uh, Sneakers and realised that we were the kind of completely odd balls out and no shouldn't have been there and ended up sneaking off after about an hour. But otherwise, yeah, it's... it's Friday, Saturday is normally the quietest part of the week, to be honest, before the game. Bizarrely. Yeah, that is bizarre. Because I thought it would start big, then it would sort of slope down a little bit, and then as everyone gets into town for the weekend, it would it would ramp up. So that does surprise me, um, quite considering that it does slow down. I have to ask you, what's the best interview? And it could be person, or it could just be because it was just saying batshit crazy. Best interview you've done in Super Bowl week? <sighs> All right, I'll, I'm going to do that annoying thing where you ask me for one and I'm going to give you a few. Um, there was the time that Ollie Hunter uh, ha- called out the big show at our table and <laughs> basically tried to bait the big show into putting him through the table. That was <laughs> an experience. Um, it came out of nowhere as well. We didn't plan it. It wasn't like, oh, the big show's coming. Let's wind him up. It was just... Ollie just found himself in that kind of mood, and <laughs> there we go. Um, uh, biggest, we've had some incredible names. Like, honestly, people that we've been so lucky to speak with. Uh, Ronnie Lott as a 49ers fan is a personal highlight for me. Um, just the, the best to ever play the position from my perspective, and still so switched on about football. I always love talking to the football heads. I always really enjoy, like like I said, the great co-cells of this world, etc. Brian Billick loves us. Brian Billick comes over every year, the, the former Ravens head coach, and it's like, my British guys, because they want to come and talk to us about football. Um, who else? Oh, Jerry Rice, who we've had a couple of times. Uh, Realising at the last Super Bowl that Jerry Rice uh, knew my name was maybe the biggest highlight of my life. And people will actually, who were there at that time, will tell you that I almost met, had a meltdown. Yeah, um, I'm not surprised. <laughs> yeah, it just he was walking through and we ran over to go and speak to Sasha, who's his agent, and be like, Sasha, I know we haven't spoken this year because I didn't think Jerry was going to be here, but is there any time with Jerry? And as I walked over, Jerry just went, hey, Will. I was like, Uh, um, because we always talk about beards you mentioned beards at the top he Mm. is a man who has had at various points in the last 10 years a spectacular beard and he's done some brilliant work that he did with the academy etc as well so Mm. like we've interviewed him when he's been over in the uk just a lovely lovely man um 
can't think who else. Baker Mayfield was really good fun. Like, really won me over in a big way. Like, I, I, very honest, very open, very kind of forthcoming. Big on his work with Special Olympics as well, which are a company we work with a lot. And so, like, I, I'm very much a fan of Baker Mayfield's based off that. And yeah, just some weird ones like uh, the uh, Evander Holyfield was bizarre. Like, just as a boxing fan, it's like, okay, yeah, that's yeah. wild. Why not? Um, yeah, I, I, quite often it's the ones you don't expect as well. Like, there's an MMA fighter called Kayla Harrison who ended up staying with us for about 35 minutes because we didn't have an interview after her lined up. And she was just such good fun. And she was a real Anglophile. And we just, uh, she swore like, an, like, a, like a sailor. <laughs> but she was so much fun that we just like, we don't want to go anywhere. Um, she's doing quite well now as well. She's not in UFC, but she's in the, um, I forget the name of the kind of secondary uh, female um uh mma group but she's very very good so yeah i don't know it's it's always it's always just a joy it's like yeah kind of ridiculous those are some unbelievable stories i love that and do, just, do, you want, uh, do you want one more i do, do you want one yeah, more on. story and i know i've been love, going on for too long no i've been going on for too fine. long already but i'll give you one more story which was when we were meant to be interviewing alex smith at super bowl 52 and we were in minnesota and we had him lined up and, um, you know, he'd been at the Chiefs and we got him essentially because we had a relationship with Patrick Mahomes and with his agent already because we'd had him on as a rookie. We've had Pat on a few times. Obviously, he's been at three of the last four, which makes it more difficult to interview him. But um, he's always been great value. But we kind of got Alex through that. Like, actually, they were like, we know Alex's agents. Do you want us to hook it up for you? We were due to interview him about one in the afternoon. And it was one of our biggest names we had lined up for the week. And we were, you know, we knew there was a good chance he was going to move on that off season. We knew like Patrick Mahomes, they wanted to install him as a starter, played well in week 17. Like they'd gone out of the playoffs at the, uh, the championship game. But like, you know, he'd really proven himself as a starter. And about half an hour, 45 minutes beforehand, his agent came over to our table and, and cancelled the interview. Obviously, we were gutted. This is not me digging out Alex Smith. I want to be clear on that now. Yeah, yeah. They came over and came over and cancelled the interview. And we were like pretty devastated, but we were like, oh, you know, well, that was kind of our next big thing. So let's go grab some lunch. And because Radio Row that year was in the Mall of America, we literally were surrounded. But there was a Shake Shack next to us, a little noodle place, like a, a burger place a little bit further down. So we went and got a Shake Shack. And while we're in the queue, we spot Alex Smith sat in Shake Shack on the phone. And we're like, oh, Alex Smith is here. Oh, interesting. So we didn't think anything more of it. We went back to our table. We ate our food. We started sorting out our interviews the rest of the afternoon. And we kept looking back over. And Alex Smith did not move from that table and did not finish that phone call for two and a half hours. Wow. It turns out he was on the phone to Washington discussing his move there because he'd just been traded and the news hadn't come out yet <laughs> half an hour after he finished the call he left the mall of america and then adam Schefter tweeted alex smith's been traded <laughs> just we were so there we were there that. we were listening in on his conversation wondering who he's talking to and it turns out that it was you know he, he was literally being traded in the midst of doing radio row interviews <laughs> bizarre well, yeah, they wonder why the agent pulled it. Although, how amazing yeah, would that exactly. be? Exactly. Sorry, guys, we've got something else to be dealing with at the moment. Um, also, imagine Muggins if we're the last people who interview him and don't ask him about Washington because we don't know he's moving. Or better than that, 
you're interviewing him, Schefter tweets it, and you, you break the and he doesn't know, and then you break the news to Alex Smith. Alex Smith, you're going to Washington, it seems. What? <laughs> that, that I've got to say, that is something I cannot watch because you've seen we've seen it in films, haven't we? Where people have been treated, traded, and, they, and I'm sure it's happened plenty of times in the past where they've not known. In fact, I've, I've spoken to Ross Tucker. Ross Tucker's got a story where uh, he was in the he was at the Patriots and he literally finished practice, got in the, got in the bath. And then he found out he'd been traded. <laughs> I came right after practice. So he's around like Tom Brady. He's around like uh, teammates. And then he's like, Oh yeah, you got to get out. Cause yeah, you've been traded and they want you there tonight. <laughs> well, uh, Joe, you know Ross is another one who's always fantastic value. Uh, on Radio Row, always excellent. He, I've never known anyone better at plugging their wares, better at slipping in the plugs into mm. just any random question. But he's he's a lovely guy, a great guy. We'll probably speak to him again this year. Joe's really good. Shane Vereen, who happens to be our co-commentator on our Talksport coverage this year, he's great. I love Shane. I've Vereen. learned. I've, le- I've learned from Ross Ducker. <laughs> I love it. You nailed it. And he's a, and you're right. He is absolutely brilliant. Well. It's come that time where you can do some plugging now. So tell us where we can listen to you on uh, Super Bowl Sunday and anything else that you've got in the pipeline that you uh, will be working on maybe after the Super Bowl's finished. Well, throughout the week, we'll be doing live shows on TalkSport 2 every day, 4pm on TalkSport 2, Road to the Super Bowl with 888 Sport, repeated at midday every day as well. You don't have to remember that. Just follow our Twitter and you'll see it there and you'll see it. And in fact, it's four o'clock every day, except Monday, because we've got a live football game on. But every other day, it'll be four o'clock. Uh, <clears throat> and then um, Super Bowl Sunday, we're on air on TalkSport on the main channel from 11 p.m. It's myself. Uh, Ollie Wilson is on commentary. He's done our last few Super Bowls with us and does the London games. And then Shane Vereen, Super Bowl 49 winner, back in the stadium where he caught 11 passes from Tom Brady on their way to a Super Bowl victory. Uh, he'll be our co-coms and we might have a very special fourth, fourth person along as well. We're trying to figure out the logistics. We're trying to figure out whether basically it's because there's not enough seats because so many people are going to the Super Bowl. But if we can get an extra seat out of the NFL, we're going to have a very special big name guest who will be the fourth person on our commentary. But that's all I can say for now. No clues at all. Like, uh, is it a player or ex-player? I'll tell you only that they will be... They are going to be pretty partisan towards one of the teams involved. Okay. That that will that will keep us in suspense for a few days while we try and work that one out. It might, it um, might not happen. And if it doesn't, I'll be no. sad. But, you know... Fingers well, I tell you crossed. what, if it, if it doesn't happen, then I'm going to expect a DM for you to tell me who this person was supposed <laughs> to be. Fine, I, I can give you that. Okay. Uh, but anyway, I think uh, it's been an absolute pleasure having you here. The stories, unbelievable. We could have filled the whole Super Bowl show with just the stories and the atmosphere you've had. Um, I wish you safe travels because we have recorded this a little bit in advance. Um, So when people listen to this, you're already there and you're already doing your shows. But um, I just want to say thank you so much, Will Gavin, for your time and safe travels. I hope you enjoy the game and um, let's see if the Eagles end up winning uh, Super Bowl 57. I've I've talked myself into it for now, but by the time it goes out, I may be going the other way with it. (laughs) Well, look, appreciate you as always and appreciate your time. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. And so an amazing bit of insight there from, uh, from Will Gavin. I learned a great deal from it. I'm so glad that he came on and did this. And plus, we got a lovely tour of the TalkSport offices, which is never always a, a bad thing there. Um, so, yeah, really enjoyed that. But now it's probably fair to say that this is the headline guest. It's someone I'm so grateful to have got to know over the last few months. Someone I'm so grateful that was uh, to give us the time to, to do this recording and to do this show. And speaking to him on... Uh, basically the 20th anniversary of him winning his Lombardi trophy as a winning quarterback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, it gives me my absolute honor and pleasure to introduce you to you, um, NFL and world league legend, uh, Brad Johnson. Enjoy this. This is a really, really, really special moment. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this is a, an absolute treat for me and for all of us here uh, in the UK and across the world watching this. It's my absolute pleasure to welcome an NFL quarterback veteran, 18 years played in the NFL, but also for us here in the UK, he managed to play in the World League. He did an incredible stint here with our very famous London Monarchs, two-time pro bowler, and of course, Super Bowl winning quarterback from Super Bowl 37. You can see that emblem behind, behind him. Brad Johnson, welcome to our very special Super Bowl show at Five Yard Rush. How are you doing? It's a, a real honor to have you here. Yeah, doing great, Adam. I appreciate you having me on your show, reaching out to me. And and um, so it's an honor to be here. And we'll tell some stories and have a good time. Absolutely. Well, the honor's, the honor's all mine. You know, you, you provided me my, my most memorable in-person moment. And we'll talk about that um, as a fan. But, you know, to see one of my all-time favorite players here on this show, it's not something I expected when I did this six years ago. So, incredible moment for me and uh and for everyone listening so let's talk a little bit before we get onto the super bowl let's talk about your career because we've we've interviewed ex-players before my first question is always around getting drafted that that experience of going into the draft and and getting picked to do something that you you love and you committed your life to What, what was that like for for you to to get the call and to and to be drafted into the nfl it's a dream come true. It's humbling. It's awesome. Uh, it's work. It's all the above. Um, I remember as a little kid, you know, I used to be in my backyard and we lived up on a mountain and, and just I, I, I pretended, you know, I'd throw footballs at trees and I pretended I was Roger Stallback or 
you know, Terry Bradshaw, and those are going back in time, but that's kind of how old I am now. But like, I, I dreamed of playing in the NFL, Washington Redskins at that time. Now the commanders were my favorite team. So I grew up a sports nut. Uh, I grew up in Black Mountain, North Carolina. Uh, I was an All-American in football, All-State player in basketball. I chose to go to Florida State University uh, to play for the great Bobby Bowden, head coach. And, and to be honest with you, my career didn't really go that well at Florida State as far as playing time. Um, I, I think I started seven games my whole career. I threw 13 touchdowns my whole career. <laughs> so I really just didn't – we had a lot of great players there. It just didn't work out well for me. But – I was a hard worker, and I never gave up on my dream. And so I went to the NFL Combine, and um, I felt like I was the best quarterback there, but all the other teams didn't think so. So I was drafted in the uh, – at that time, there were 28 teams. I was drafted the ninth round, 227th pick, the 14th quarterback of that draft. And I remember laying around on my dorm floor with my dad uh, the day – is is the, 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 the draft was a three-day process at that time. And the first day went by, I wasn't drafted. The second day went dry, I wasn't drafted. The third day I got drafted. And it was a dream come true. I was excited. So I got drafted by the Minnesota Vikings. And uh, the other quarterbacks at that time were Rich Gannon, Charles Salisbury, Wade Wilson. And then, then I got to join. So it's just a pr pretty cool experience. Unbelievable. We'll, we'll get on to Rich Gannon shortly because obviously your paths cross again later on in, in your career. But that, that stint in Minnesota because – as you say, you you were drafted, as, as we see now from experience, guys drafting or being drafted on day three. They don't, I mean, the Tom Brady story is obviously very common knowledge now. Your story um, and several others have made it. But with the exception of, of Brock Purdy, who's doing some incredible things this year as quote-unquote Mr. Irrelevant, we haven't really seen in the last 10 years a, a day three quarterback getting a, an, an opportunity to to play. So what were your sort of stint of going in and then being able to overcome being the fourth QB on the roster to starting and, and, and ended up making a significant impact in, in Minnesota? Yeah, my, my dad always said to me, he said, he said, he told me, Brad, it's better to be prepared and not have an opportunity than have an opportunity and not be prepared. So a lot of times, <clears throat> if you get drafted early, you're probably going to play. And again, I didn't play much in college. So I was talented. I was big. I just didn't have a lot of game experience, to be honest with you. So I probably wasn't ready to go in there and just play and, and, and do well when I got in there, to be honest with you. And uh, so I was kind of groomed. I was fortunate um, that uh, I, I probably my first three years with Minnesota Vikings, I didn't get a, I didn't get a snap, a game snap. My first two years, I didn't get a practice snap. Okay. <laughs> And then training camp, I got snaps. But, I mean, think about it. Going two straight years, and I get a snap in practice. And so I just did the work. I did the work. And then my moment came. And, and, and so you just need – sometimes you need a break. You need either uh, the starter to – you know, my situation, you need the starter to be either in a contract situation or to get hurt, unfortunately. And But that kind of happened with me with Warren Moon. Uh, he was the starter. He got hurt. I was in a contract year. I played well and ran off with it. And – um but, you know, I love the team, love the, the coaches and all that stuff, but I just needed time to be groomed, and that was. I was fortunate for, for uh, Denny Green, the head coach, and Brian Billick and Jack Burns and all those coaches that were in my life at that time just to be patient with me. Yeah, absolutely. And it must have been something to, to 
beat the understudy to to Warren Moon. I mean, he's an absolute NFL legend. So to be there, did you? What did you learn from from playing uh, under him and, and and practicing and being with him every day? Yeah, the, the starters my first three years were Rich Cannon, who we later played against in the Super Bowl, and then a Jim McMahon, who won a Super Bowl uh, with the Chicago Bears, and Warren Moon. But you learn how you learn practice habits, how to study film, how to take notes, how to deal with the receivers, the prima donnas, how to how to build up your line, how to build confidence within the team, how to you know get the plays that you want with the offensive coordinator, how to deal with success and touchdown passes, and how to deal with failure with interceptions and losses and, and how to deal with the media. Like it's it, high stakes, high reward. And so there's a lot going on there besides just taking a snap and throwing a ball. But, you, you know, I, I took the good from those guys and, and just try to, you know, put it, put it in my game, everything that I could learn from those guys. So fortunate for them uh, to be a part of my career and to learn from those guys. Yeah, absolutely. And then it's fair to say that actually – your breakout moment, the moment that probably gave you all that confidence was in 1995, the opportunity to come over to here in the UK to play for the London Monarchs. And I mean, I mean look, the World League is, is a thing of legends here to have been able to see games here. And it's a shame that people gave up on the Monarchs organization later on in the 90s. But that experience of not just being able to go and play, but to play abroad I and mean, what what was that like for you to come to london to play with that group of players to experience the world league i mean i'd love to just hear a little bit about that really yeah the, the world league had taken place like in the late uh late 80s 89 90 maybe somewhere around there they actually won the world bowl stan Ball was a quarterback and and um but it, then it went away so but 1995 it came back and I was just looking for an opportunity to play. I was getting now starting to get practice reps and practice, but I wasn't getting game time. So, it, you know, I got to go over there. It was a 10 game season. The teams were Amsterdam, Scotland, Frankfurt, Dusseldorf, and um, I think there's one other team, but in uh, Barcelona. And so I got to be the starter for 10 games. I got to make plays, got to make mistakes, got to learn from them. I actually got a picture right here. If you can see it, this is a picture of me in a huddle. I don't know if you can see that or not. Yeah, yeah, but that yeah. was in me in the huddle. I'm still friends with a lot of those guys, but I got to be the leader. You know what I mean? And, and go go win. We we played in Crystal Palace. I mean, we uh, we we lived in we lived in uh, we lived in Crystal Palace is where we were, and it's just it was it was an awesome experience to have ten weeks abroad to travel the the country and then to go fight for myself. And the quarterbacks that kind of made it through that through the World League were you know obviously Kurt uh, Kurt Warner. He won a Super Bowl and John Kidna and Jay Feeler and there's, so there's the guys that have made it, guys that can kind of prolong their careers. But you just need you need a break. So I had to go prove myself in London, and in the World League, and then then obviously bring my game back to the Minnesota Vikings, and then prove my worth. So I was thankful for that opportunity. Uh, and, and you know you had an incredible time there. I mean, <clears throat> of all quarterbacks there in in the World League, you completed the most amount of passes um, of anybody there, and you know 13 touchdowns over 2,000 yards in, in 10 games. Just unbelievable. And then that spearheaded your career. That must have given you the confidence to to fight for the, the open job that was there in 96 and and kick on for you, I suppose. Yeah. The, the biggest thing about playing is getting that opportunity. How are you going to get that opportunity if you're not drafted early? Or, you know, how, how are you going to get in the game? So, you, like, you need a break to get in there. But 
obviously playing in the World League at that time for London, it gave me a chance to prove myself that I could play. And then when I came back, <clears throat> I got a Warren Moon got hurt. I came in and I ran off with it. It was the NFL Player of the Week a couple times and put our teams in the playoffs. And then I got my contract extension and then kind of ran off with it there in Minnesota. And, and uh, so it's a very valuable experience that I had. And uh, I was ready for that moment when I finally got that chance to the opportunity to start. Yeah, absolutely. And then, and then obviously after that, you get traded to your Washington Redskins, your, your dream move. You went for quite a lot. It was a first, a, a future second. It was, it was quite a haul really for, for you considering that you were a ninth round pick and you'd gone the hard way to get the starters role. What was that like for you to, to get that trade to, you know, your, your, your boyhood franchise who you always wanted to go and play for? Right. At that time, I'd been in Minnesota for 17, for seven years. I'm sorry, seven years. And so <clears throat> things had taken place. I'd had, I'd had a major neck surgery. I had a knee surgery, broken my foot, broken my thumb. So it was just time to move on at that time. And I love I loved being in Minnesota, but going to Washington, it, it was a, at that time, it had won three Super Bowls, but it was like in the early 90s and 80s. My favorite team growing up as a kid. So it was, you know, I think the year before I got there, they won four or five games. And so it was a chance for me to take over as a leader. And, and I think having that experience of going through the World League, of having to, you know, learn new names, new faces, new systems, new location, like that really paid big dividend for me as far as adjusting fast. And uh, so that year we threw over, threw over 4,000 yards, won the division uh, in the NFC East. Love playing for North Turner. Love playing for my, at that time the Washington Redskins. It was an awesome experience. And and that trade that they gave up all those picks, they actually got them back with the uh, Chant Bailey Ricky uh, Ricky Williams trade that was taking that yeah. same. So it actually kind of worked out in favor. Yeah. Of, you know, the at, it, it washed all out. So uh, loved it. Loved that opportunity though. And of course, you made the Pro Bowl your first year. You threw for over four thousand yards, best year of, of your career from a passing yards perspective. Um, and then after two years, you hit the free agency market and you're being courted by Brian Billick and, uh, you know, your old offensive coordinator, but you choose the Buccaneers. What what led you to that pivotal decision in, in your career to, to go to Tampa and, and, and be the starting quarterback there? Yeah, there were three teams really kind of involved. It was Kansas City Chiefs, uh, Baltimore Ravens, and then Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And... At first, I thought I was going to go to Baltimore. That's where I was going to play for my coordinator that I had been together with for seven years in Minnesota, Brian Billick. Um, it would have been – they they just won the Super Bowl. And uh, and as the contract stuff started – got no negotiations, I just felt like I had a more secure contract uh, mm-hmm. as far as money goes uh, in the bonus and all those kind of things in Tampa. And then I got into the fact that, you know what, I want to go to a place that had never won a Super Bowl to be the first quarterback to have won it for that organization. So Baltimore had won it with Trent Dilfer. Kansas City had won it with Lynn Dawson back in the you know, 70s or whatever it may be. So I chose Tampa. I had a lot of – obviously I'd played with Tony Dungy. He'd been the defense coordinator for three years in Minnesota with me. Had a great relationship with him. And I knew a lot of the Tampa Bay players, Derrick Brooks and Warren Sapp and John Lynch and – all those guys, I played against them a bunch uh, in Minnesota and Washington. So it was just a lot of great respect. It was an easy transition for me. And uh, so those two things were the major factors to, to go there for. I didn't think Tampa was ready at that time as far as personnel that we needed to, to win it all. But 
I feel like that was going to be a, a great fit for me, though, in my style of play. Well, I'm <coughs> so glad you did. All Buccaneers fans worldwide are incredibly glad you made that decision because you did exactly what you said you were going to do. You ended up uh, ending that barren streak and, and breaking through the glass ceiling for the Buccaneers. And mm. looking at that now, so let's look at the build-up. Here's a Super Bowl special. We're going to have the game on um, in a few days' time when, when this goes out. This is being recorded slightly before. What's it like getting your hands on the George Hallis Trophy, winning the NFC Championship in Veterans Stadium, last ever game Veterans Stadium, which has been a, a plague for the Buccaneers the last few seasons, and then realizing we're going, we're going to the Super Bowl, we're actually going to compete for the biggest prize in, in sports. Yeah, I mean, I talked about that dream come true to make it to the NFL. Like it's so hard to get there. I mean, just hard to get an opportunity in college, not alone pros, and then. And then to actually make it. And, and sometimes you feel like the dream is bigger than what it really is sometimes. And being in Tampa, we'd played against Philadelphia a bunch. And they, they were our nemesis. They had beaten us the last three or four times we'd played them. They beat us early up in the year, uh, October 20th, up in uh, Philadelphia that year. I broke my ribs. and I was out for a couple of weeks after that game. So to go play the NFC Championship in the cold at the vet, uh, the last game that was going to be there against our nemesis was what you want. And after the game was over, uh, we actually had to go back inside the, the locker room and do the do the uh, the award ceremony in the locker room because that the Philadelphia people they didn't want to celebrate on their field <laughs> as the last memory. But it was an awesome time, and you just celebrating. You like little kids celebrating like you're a little league baseball game, man. We're hugging each other and having fun. And I remember I was standing right there beside the great Jimmy Johnson, uh, the head coach who'd won it with the Dallas Cowboys. He looked at me. He said, Brad, you're getting ready to run. You're getting ready to have the time of your life. Enjoy every minute of it going to the Super Bowl. And then he said, you better win, you know. And then Terry Bradshaw, he's the one that gave us the award. The guy that I told you was one of my yeah. heroes as a kid who I had a poster of. He's interviewing me, you know, how we, you know, going to the Super Bowl and what it's like. So just an incredible moment for our team. We actually, because they were our nemesis being in Philadelphia, felt like that was almost our Super Bowl as far as what we had accomplished. But uh, you know, we played one last game in the vet, and next year we actually opened up the Lincoln Memorial there, uh, the new stadium. So we won the last game, won the first game in the same stadium. So it's pretty pretty cool. That's why Philadelphia fans aren't too much of a fan of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. <laughs> and, you know, it, it, and just a quick shout out obviously, that game is iconic, most notably probably for Rondé Barber's um, interception touchdown with the, you know, the famous line of shutting down the vet. And, you know, he's up for the Hall of Fame this year. We don't know if he's going to get – absolutely has to get in, right? It's it's too long now that this guy has been not recognized enough to, to get in the Hall. I, I'd see that. I actually got this shirt. I, I just look at my shirt. I just put out his uh, – I don't know if you can see it. Rondé to the Hall. Can you see that? Yeah, I do. I saw it on Twitter and – So hopefully it gets out there. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm praying for him. I saw him in in Munich uh, just two months ago. He came over for um, the Buccaneers game. Him and Michael Stark came over uh, representing the organization, and he was so gracious with his time and talking to the fans. He stayed for longer than he should have done. They were trying yeah. to get him, push him out the door, <laughs> and he refused to go. He was that gracious. So I'm I'm praying and hoping for him that he does. Let's talk about the build up to the Super Bowl because this is the part that we don't really see as fans is we understand it's a huge media circus, much bigger now than it was in your day, but still in your day, it was huge with the amount of TV, radio row, 
all the people you they're clamoring and wanting to talk to you. What's that like for you as a starting quarterback of a team in the Super Bowl to have to manage and deal with and, and go through? And does that does that really cause like a massive disruption, or is it is it quite fun because you know it could be the only time you, you be there? It's it's all the above, and so all I can say is embrace every moment that's there, and then know what's going to be what's going to take place at the end of the week, the game, and you better win it. So. Well, it's different a little bit about our Super Bowl. Usually there's two weeks in between the, the championship game and the Super Bowl. Ours, there was only one week. So we win the game in Philadelphia, and then 12 hours later, we're catching a flight out to San Diego. And in that process, you got to get flights for your parents and your, your wife or your friends. I had to pay off for all the hotel. I had to get hotels. I had to get um, game tickets. I ended up buying 20 game tickets. Uh, hotels, flights, it's just, it's just mayhem. And that was actually before text. So all this was taking place over a phone and checking your messages. Like it's really a lot that's going on. And then the media part of it, you know, that part of it was actually, it, you know, you spend about 45 minutes to an hour a day doing media. And honestly, it's a chance to tell your story. It's a chance to, uh, to, you know, talk about your, upbringing of how you got to the Super Bowl. It's just, a, it's a really kind of a cool time. And then, and, but then you got to practice and then get your sleep and then <laughs> know that that game is going to take place. So a lot, and then I actually made the Pro Bowl that week. So then I had to get plane tickets to go to, to Hawaii the next Monday after that. So it's just a lot going on. And you almost need a full-time assistant to manage everything going on besides the actual game. So, but it's a, it's a very surreal moment. Very, uh, humbling to to go through that yeah i i couldn't imagine what it was like back then because you didn't have smartphones where you could just do all this on the fly <laughs> right you're sitting there in hotel lobbies borrowing phones trying to see what you can do what's game day like waking up on the day of the super bowl because it's not like you wake up and then you know in six seven hours you're going to play it's a full day you have to go through before you end up end up playing so what is that like waking up what are some of the things that happen on on super bowl sunday and and the experiences that you have to go through before you end up taking the field later on that evening yeah it's just it's going to be a long day and i remember waking up about 3 30 in the morning my heart was pounding and just you know energy of excitement like getting ready to play in the super bowl so i forced myself to go back to sleep and then that morning, I studied my, my playbook just like I always did. But then what's different about the Super Bowl, you had to get there like three and a half, four hours almost before the game because of all the traffic and security that takes places. And I'm sitting there riding on my bu- on our bus. It's, we've got a police escort, but there were no cars. There were six lanes on this side of the road, six lanes on this side of the road in San Diego, no cars anywhere, just a straight police escort coming in. A very surreal moment. And you get there, and I actually – you know, I knew not to waste energy. So I actually, to be honest with you, I studied my playbook. I took a nap before the game. I just in my locker, just like, here it goes. And when you warm up, usually you go out about an hour before the game. This time you have to go out almost like an hour and a half before the game. Like it's, but you don't want to waste your energy that far in advance of the game. And, and so it's kind of hurry up and wait at the same time. But I remember coming out for, you know, the start, you know, for the introduce our team and then, um, the coin flip was Don Shula and Bob Greasy and Don, uh, Larry Zonka, you know, and, and 
uh, Celine Dion, she's singing God Bless America, and the Dixie Chicks are singing the national anthem. I'm like, you know, I used to sit in my house eating chips and dip and watching everybody else on the Super Bowl Sunday. Now it's, it's my time. You know what I mean? And 100 million, 200 million people watching the game, like this is our moment. But you can't get overhyped of how big the game is. You really got to get caught up into the play and the game itself. Because there's all the, the pomp and patchery that takes place, but like, you know, you don't change your plays, you don't change the way you block, you don't change the way you throw. You, you it's going to be a game that takes place. So you just kind of got to be able to, you know, hurry up and wait in the moments. That there's going to be there's 34 minutes that take place in the halftime compared to 12 in the regular season. So all those kind of things are, you just got to be able to deal with that kind of a day. Absolutely, and of course, this was a very unusual Super Bowl because you had. The best offense in football in the Oakland Raiders versus the best defense in football in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That was brought together for an even more strange twist of fate because John Gruden, now coach of the Buccaneers, was traded by the by the Oakland Raiders that's that offseason before for a hefty package, multiple first round picks. So he's now your coach. His assistant is now the coach of the Oakland Raiders. And then you've got your old teammate from Minnesota, Rich Gannon, NFL MVP that season, facing you. What was that like for, for John? What was that like for you? What did John say to you before you entered the field? What, what was that to go through all those different permutations and, and things? Like, I'm sure John had a, a massive advantage considering a lot of those plays were, were his plays, I suppose. Yeah, a little bit kind of gets confused with the plays. So... Honestly, like, yeah, we ran the same system, but they were running. They knew all John, – John Gruden coached for them for four years. So, actually, they knew the plays that we ran too. So, it's really kind of equal as far as that goes, yeah. to be honest with you. So, there was no, no advantage as far as who knows who's, each other's plays. They, we ran the same plays that they ran as far as system, West Coast kind of system. So, But <clears throat> love playing for John Gruden. Loved it. Um, I remember when, when John Gruden got traded, as you say, uh, I, the first call I made was to Rich Gannon because we've been together in Minnesota. And he said, Brad, you're going to love playing for John Gruden. He's the best coach I've ever had. He's going to program you to learn offensive and defensive football. And you're just going to, you're going to love playing for him. And that was true. And it was really weird kind of, <clears throat> you know, when I went to Minnesota in 1992, I was the third string quarterback and just watching Rich practice. Now I'm getting to play against him in the, in the Super Bowl. So, and he was the MVP. But as the game went on, I, I just remember Gruden just we – got, we got lost and, and concentrated really just in the plays and the game itself. And the only thing that I remember was the night before the game, he said, Brad, I need you to make some plays with your feet. You haven't made a scramble all year long. Like, you tell me you can, you're this great athlete, but I didn't see you do it. So, actually, in the third quarter, there was a play. It's third and nine. It's called triple F, F short, 72 crisscross wide swing. And this play right here – there it is right there. I'm running down the field. I don't know if you can see it at all. But, yeah. but <clears throat> when we always talk about the John Elway moment, when he remember against the Green Bay Packers, he ran and flipped around. Well, that was my moment. It, yeah. it was a nine-yard run. Nobody really remembers it, but it, it got us a first down. And we went on to score an 89-yard touchdown uh, drive on that, on, that, on that drive after that first down run. And that was a moment that I remember of all the hard work that took place. But – in that game, it went. It was a slow game. We got hot in the second quarter. Threw a touchdown pass to Keenan McCardell right at the end of the half. Went up twenty to three. We actually went up thirty four to three at one point, and then they came back and made it thirty four twenty one. Like 
is getting ready to get tight, and then we finish the game out winning 48-21. But just a surreal moment to be in that game, to make so many plays, and just to, you know, kind of duel back and forth between Rich Cannon. Yeah, and, you know, this, this, this game, history has kind of dictated that the Buccaneers – defense won this game I mean don't get me wrong five interceptions three touchdowns but I feel always history doesn't give you or this offense the credit it kind of deserved because it's not like they scored all the points you know you you led some massive drives you talked about that rush two touchdown passes to Keenan McCardell you know Michael Stott runs one in but the time you dominated the time possession you went on quite you know long punishing drives Michael Pittman that day was was you know an absolute machine as well. So it's great to hear these stories because you should be celebrated as much as this, this defense, you know, in any other year, if Dexter Jackson doesn't run in two touchdowns, you're probably getting the NFL. You'll probably get the Super Bowl MVP trophies. I mean, you can't take it away from the guy who gets two touchdown interceptions, but what's it, what was it like for you to deal with that situation of, managing that lead, managing the game, as you say, go out to a big lead, they're coming back. How are you just trying to get to the end of the game? Listen, we had, listen, we've had three Hall of Famers on defense to make it. John Lynch and Warren Sapp and Derek Brooks and had some other couple. Hopefully, Rondé Barber makes it, Simeon Rice. But we had some great offensive players too. And Mike Allstott and Keyshawn Johnson and Keenan McCardell, Joe Gervicious and you know, that year I led the NFC and, and passing. Like, things get lost with perception, but we had a great overall team. We had coaches that were unbelievable that went on to be Mike Tomlin, win Super Bowls with Pittsburgh, and uh, Rich Versace and Joe Barry Gould, Rob Marinelli. All these guys have become head coaches. and It's just incredible players on both sides of the ball. So we, that day we could have had 10 guys be MVP of the game. Like, really could have. Dexter Jackson won the MVP and very deservedly so. So – but that game, it was just, you know, you want to get to the very end. And you know confetti's going to fall at the end of the game. And so being up 34-3, going to the fourth quarter, like you think the game's over, but then they came back, they got hot, and then like we're in a tight ball game again. So, um, you know, we just found a way to win at the very end. And that was, you know, a pretty, pretty cool moment for all of us. Absolutely. And then let's talk about that. So you finally get your hands on this trophy, the Lombardi Trophy, most famous trophy in sports. What was that like to finally reach the pinnacle of the sport? And then what was the party like when because yeah. you guys you had a party back in the back in Tampa, that's for sure. Yeah, this is a picture after the game. Okay. And so right there, I'm holding my son Max. Yeah. My wife, Nikki, she's seven and a half months pregnant with her other son Jake and with John Gruden. And we're doing the Disney commercial. Confetti's falling on our face and and we're saying we're going to Disney. You know, it's really incredible moment to be, like I said earlier, like, you know, all my life I've been at some other party or some other uh, event watching someone else play. Now is our time. And uh, to accomplish that goal, to be one of 35 quarterbacks to have ever won it, um, only 31, uh, 31 guys are living out of those 35 quarterbacks. And it's just an incredible moment. And you really want to celebrate all those around you, you know, your mom and my mom and dad who – coached all my teams and took me all to my youth league practices and all my high school coaches and people that impacted my life. Like it's a time to celebrate. And so when it was game was over, we had a team party back at the hotel. I slept in my Super Bowl jersey that night because I want to wake up smelling like a champ. I've never washed that jersey ever. It still has grass stains all over it. And, and so 
Um, I did a, uh, I did a uh, interview with Good Morning America at four thirty in the morning out there at that time, and then uh, that day caught a, a plane flight to to Los Angeles. Did the Jay Leno show, caught a red light. I mean the red eye back to Tampa. We did the Tampa Bay Parade in Tampa. Here's another picture. This is me and John Lynch. Uh, you can see people hanging off the walls and buildings, yeah. and it was just it was chaos. And then Wednesday, I catch a flight back out to Hawaii to go to the Pro Bowl. I didn't sleep for three days. <laughs> I didn't sleep, and we had um, fun. Had fun, you name yeah. it. We did it, and, you know. But it's just time to celebrate. You know, your whole life. That's that's what it's about. Uh, you just got to celebrate with so many great coaches, great players, and just obviously family. What what a story! What a career you've had. And then you've just mentioned your son, Max, there. He's got into the family business. He is, um, you know, going through his collegiate career right now. How's he How's he doing um, in your eyes is obviously having to deal with a Super Bowl winning quarterback as his, as his dad. And what are your hopes for him for this season and, and beyond? Yeah, I, we, uh, my wife, Nikki, and I have two boys, Max and Jake. Uh, they both play at Texas A&M now. And uh, Jake is a tight end. He's All-American coming out of high school. And then he's playing at Texas A&M. My son, Max, he actually went to LSU first and then transferred to Texas A&M and had a great year at uh, LSU. Then last year, he actually was playing and then broke his hand. So he's coming back, but has um, lots of potential uh, to be as good as he wants to be. And so it's fun with him. He's 6'5", 230. And uh, so it's going to be uh, – it's just fun now for me. You know, they're kind of blazing their own path. And as a dad now, I'm just – I'm the dad sitting in the, in the, you know, in the stands eating popcorn and, you know, cheering, cheering them on. I can't say look out for those blisters and all those kind of things and throw this guy. They have great coaches and they're going to have a great year. So it's fun just to watch them kind of blaze their own path and, and uh, see where they kind of go with it. Uh, it's amazing to see. And the fact that they get to play together and, you know, be around each other every day and, and help each other get better doesn't get better than that, does it? And long may that continue for them. And then what about you? What are you doing these days? Um, you know, what are some of the things that you're you're up to now? Obviously, you're not out there playing and or coaching. What, what, what is it that you uh, you do and, and what are some of the things that you're promoting and working on right now? Yeah, so um, in my, when I retired, I got into coaching a lot of different teams, football and basketball, youth leagues, uh, middle school, high school. I work with a lot of quarterbacks one-on-one on the side, just help kids become as good as they can become. I've made a lot of trick shots. If you follow me on TikTok, it's Big Bad Brad 14 or Instagram. You can find me, uh, Brad underscore Johnson underscore 14. You'll see some of the craziest trick shots you've ever seen in your life with some of the stuff that goes on. Go find it and follow it, and it's fun for me to do. Um, and then um, and then I'm involved with two different charities up in Asheville, North Carolina. One's called Eblen Foundation, Eblen Charities. And another one's called Beyond All Borders and do a couple golf tournaments with those guys. And, and uh, so stay busy, stay active. And uh, so that's, that's pretty much it. Uh, it's amazing the work that you do. And, and you say those trick shots are, are nothing short of unbelievable. So do make sure you <laughs> check out Brad on, on all the socials. Uh, but I've got to say this for me, not just a pleasure, but a, a true honor for someone who I have followed for the better part of a quarter of a decade, oh, a quarter of a century, no quarter of a decade. Um, and witnessing you win the Lombardi, watching you break that glass ceiling for the Buccaneers, a team who I, I love and adore. And, and, you know, I'm just forever thankful and grateful 
that you that you helped us win that Super Bowl, and I'm forever thankful and grateful that you're here on this show. So thank you so much, Brad Johnson, Super Bowl winner from Super Bowl 37. And I just, you know, from every Buccaneers fan that I've ever spoken to, just a massive thank you for everything you did for, for our franchise. And we all appreciate everything that you did. Yeah, man, I appreciate appreciate having me on your podcast here and your show. And then uh, tell all my friends over there in London, hello, and look forward to getting back. Will do, absolutely. And if I'm still trying to hunt down someone who's got a Monarchs uh, Brad Johnson jersey, maybe I can get one to take a picture and, and send it to you. So if you do hey, have there's one. My, there's my jersey up there. I mean, there's my helmet and stuff up there. I don't know if you can see it. So. <laughs> Brad Johnson, thank you so much for coming on. Forever appreciate you. And, uh, you know, good luck and enjoy Super Bowl Sunday uh, this coming Sunday. Very good. Thank you, buddy. Unbelievable to have uh, Brad Johnson on the show, quarterback of Super Bowl 37 winning Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And now it's your chance to win a signed Brad Johnson Buccaneers jersey. So if you want that piece of history of having a signed item of a quarterback who has won the Super Bowl, whether you're a Bucks fan or not, now here is your chance. All I need you to do is find the video link, or the, and it will be our pinned tweet over at Five Yard Rush. Uh, find this pinned tweet. I'm going to need you to uh, like, retweet it, and then also to reply underneath with the hashtag #BigBadBrad. So that's hashtag #BigBadBrad. And then find our pinned tweet of this video, of this podcast, and it's hit the like, hit the retweet button, and then reply with the um, hashtag big bad Brad. And you will be drawn with a chance to win the Brad Johnson signed jersey. Um, terms and conditions on this, same as the one before. We'll close entrance on the 19th of february that's one week after the super bowl announced the winners on the 20th of february and um again if you live outside of the uk i will ask for a contribution on postage um but our liaison contact you and we'll work out um how to do that and what that would be uh depending on where you are so um same rules apply on the 20th i'll let you know um who wins if somebody does not claim the prize then i will do a redraw at a later date later on that week so again find our pin tweet like retweet and then also uh, make sure you hit the hashtag big bad brad i will check that you've done all three things if someone hasn't they will not be eligible to win the prize instructions are important that's how you win a signed brad johnson jersey however now it's time to talk Eagles with my very good friend, and I'm glad he was able to join us, one of Philadelphia's own, Joe Dolan of Fantasy Points. This one is so much fun. I'm so blessed uh, to have a very, very good friend of mine talk Eagles from the area himself, at least uh, growing up in particular, uh, but one of my best friends in the fantasy industry. He's come to bail me out of a hole because a couple of UK Eagles-based fans let me down. So, Joe Dolan, welcome back to 5 Yard Rush. We're going to forget fantasy football. 
we're going to just talk about your Philadelphia Eagles. First yeah. of all, how are you doing? And second of all, how excited are you for the Super Bowl? Well, uh, I'm doing well, Murph. I'm actually was able to, um, to, to step aside. I'm actually driving uh, to Atlanta, Georgia to see Bruce Springsteen uh, this afternoon. But um, check-in times, like three at the hotel. It's a two-and-a-half-hour ride. But I was able to squeeze some things in this morning, get to talk to you. I'm glad uh, to, to be there. Uh, Bruce Springsteen is is very, very popular in the Philadelphia area, obviously. He's a, he's a North Jersey guy. Uh, I, I, you lived in stateside for a while. You said you're jealous about Bruce. Is Bruce Springsteen popular in, in, in the UK? Yeah, I'd say he's fairly popular to... I mean, it's it's different for me with my connections to the music industry, and I'm I'm more of an older, more yeah. classical influence. So for me, you know, I I I love Bruce Springsteen. I've never actually seen him, but that is on my bucket list. But read his autobiography. I've listened to all of his uh, albums. I love the podcast he did with Barack Obama, hmm. um, and the insight that you get from just those two guys um, and the lives they lead and how they come together is is incredible. So. Just a, a true inspiration to not just to music, but just to people in general. So I'm very jealous. I want to make a I want to make a, a pact. You come over here to come see the boss, and uh, when when uh, our our uh, our wonderful Gallagher brothers stop feuding, um, I'm going over there to see Oasis. So uh, done. I, I think it's coming, Murph. I, I think, think it's coming. coming. Yeah. A couple of years, I think it'll come. Yeah. I hate to think what tickets are going to be. I reckon they're going to be like 500 bucks if it does happen. Well, I just tried to get tickets to uh, to the Super Bowl. Uh, <laughs> 500 bucks is a drop in the bucket. Just, <laughs> let, let me put it that way. Uh, just put I yourself on standby. Tickets. On the day the day before the Super Bowl, I guarantee you'll get tickets for under a grand. Yeah, uh, well, I'll have to I'll have to try because um, my aunt's got a house in Phoenix, which which uh, my mom reminded me of. I'm like, oh geez, I can maybe go out there. Anyway, um, I am I am excited for the game. I'm trying not to think of it too much. With I've been preoccupied here with the concert and, and work and what have you. But uh, yeah, I mean, um, look, if if you were to tell me, you know, look, it, it it took the Eagles until I was 18 years old. I was a freshman in in uni, as you say, um, mm-hmm. when they made their first Super Bowl of my lifetime. And now they've it took them it took them 13 years to go back, and now they're back uh, in five years. Yeah, I'll sign me up for that, man. I'm a, I don't need. Uh, I would love if they were the Patriots. They're not, but uh, it, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, I, actually, do you know, I had the UK Chiefs fan on here who's mentioned, and it was a really good point. It's very unusual for a team to go back to the Super Bowl within five years with a different head coach and a different quarterback and a different offensive system altogether, which makes this all the little bit more impressive because of how this roster has basically been retooled and rebuilt, but without not much drop off. In the in that interim, we had obviously the the fallout of Wentz and the fallout of, of Pedersen, but yeah. Nick Sirianni seems to have come in and hit the ground running. Uh, so I, I did this research because I'm because I was curious, and and it didn't take me very long, honestly. It, it, it was like a brain exercise, um, just going through all the Super Bowls. The Eagles have been to four different Super Bowls um, in in their in their history, three of which I was alive for, um, and each one was coached and uh, by a different man and started by a different quarterback. They're the only team who's been to that many Super Bowls where that's the case. The Cincinnati Bengals have been to three, 
and each one of those was coached by a different man and started by a different quarterback. Um, but the Eagles are four, um, and that they're the only one. So that, that right, they they've had a in my life they've had a. But yeah, I was talking to my co-host Brian Drake. You know Drake. Um, I know Drake. Really I was well. talking yeah. to him last night, and he's also an Eagles fan. But you know that. He said, you know, the Eagles, when I was a kid, were bad. And, you know, I didn't, you know, when I was really starting to pay attention to football was was Randall Cunningham. And by the way, I don't remember becoming an Eagles fan. <laughs> but, um, I don't know how, how familiar you are with, uh, with, uh, with the Bible. I went to Catholic school. Um, mm-hmm. I went to Catholic school. Okay. We were told that uh, you were born with original sin. Yeah. I, I You're born, born an Eagles fan. I, I was born an Eagles. I was born with that stain on my soul. So I'll. Uh, I don't remember it. You know, it's a, I'm. It, this is not a decision I made. You know, this was a. I had no choice. Um, but for much of my time, like when before my teenage years, um, in the latter Rich Kotite years and Ray Rhodes, they were eh. You know, like uh, the Ray Rhodes' final year, they went three and thirteen. Um. And then they hired Andy, and they sucked for Andy's first year by design. And then since then, since 2000, in 2000, they made the playoffs. They lost to the Giants, Jason Seahorn. Um, yep. But, I mean, since then, they've been consistently competitive. And it, 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 I think it probably starts with the top with Jeffrey Lurie, who's, who's in, in my mind, in as much as an owner can be good in pro sports, he's one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and... You know, it's just they haven't they haven't hit the they haven't hit the quarterback lottery. It looked I mean Donovan was great. Um they made some mistakes with not getting him wide receivers. Um yeah. and Donovan I think I, I would make that you know that 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 phrase that's out there, he's got that dog in him. I yeah. don't think Donovan really had that. He was good, but he wasn't like he wasn't like, man, when push comes to shove in the fourth quarter, you want to get out of his way. He wasn't that guy in the way that that I think even Jalen is. And then it looked like they hit, they, they hit the quarterback lottery with Wentz, and then he got hurt, and then he – But, you know, the fact that they've been able to make up for a lot of mistakes or errors, you know, Chip Kelly, I think just speaks to the organization. It, it's it's they're, they're really – a weird team. I mean, they've been probably the best NFC team of the 21st century. Like, yeah, the Bucks have. It's two them or like, the Saints. It's them or the Saints, yeah, really. Right. The Bucks have two titles, but with a, as you well know, but with a string of incompetence in between. The Giants, thirteen years, no playoffs. <laughs> right. The Giants had two titles, but like no playoff wins with Eli outside of their two runs to the champion yeah. like just like really weird um runs right the saints the saints were sustained success so but the saints had breeze and peyton for the entire time the eagles haven't had that so you know no. i was thinking that it is a unique circumstance for them and i, I mean look I, I don't know if you've been hearing the chat in, in the media like oh this team's so good jalen hurts is along for the ride it's so good. Nick Sirianni's along for the ride. And I'm like, that doesn't the work. The Eagles are so good that nobody gets credit for them being good. And I think, that, I think that's weird. Uh, um, but but it is a great roster. Howie Roseman's done a great job. I'm sorry, Howie. All that crap I wrote about you two years ago. Throw it out. <laughs> throw it well, out no, 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 no. Some of that is valid because, yeah. they, 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 you know, 
the best thing that Harry Roseman did this year was recognize that he can't draft first round players. So he trades his first round pick and goes and gets AJ Brown. Yeah. There you go. Just do just do if if the Eagles stick to the Rams model of just trading all your first round picks and getting players in return, the Eagles will probably be a lot better um than than they will going forward because you can't pick first round players. Um and it was interesting. I was having a chat with an Eagles friend and we were having the court the quarterback debate. And I was saying he was giving me some stick about Brady retiring because it was the day Brady retired. And I was like, I'm glad he retired. It was, him retiring was better than him playing and him going somewhere else because the franchise can now write off 20 to 23 million of cap. Yeah. So the Buccaneers do all right out of this. Um, wherever he goes to the Patriots and signs a one day deal, I don't personally care. I know some Bucks fans who would be really upset if that happens, but this isn't a Brady podcast. Um, I did one of those last my, night, po- by the way. <laughs> my, my point on this is that when it comes to the organization, the fact that they have not really had that quarterback, as you say, you go with you know McNabb and, and Randall, Can- you know, Randall Cunningham. Randall Cunningham never won a playoff game. In fact, the three playoff games that he had, he scored 12 points, 6 points, and 7 points on offense. Mm-hmm. I'm ultimately not uh, not a killer, as you say. No one you're you're worried about. Then you talk about the third best quarterback in player in in Eagles history, and you can either go Ron Jaworski for you know what he, he did. Lyle started a Super Bowl, for yeah. Or you go Nick Foles because that's ultimately the decision you go down. And Nick Foles was just the miracle worker at the end of a process. So it's interesting. There hasn't been that long history. He tried to come at me and go. Well, you know, the Buccaneers, they haven't had that many great quarterbacks. You go, well, they did have Steve Young and Vinny Testaverde. Yes, they gave up on them too early, but ultimately, at least they did draft those players, uh, and you can make a case. But, yeah, I I think you're right. The Eagles are definitely a fascinating case study in terms of continual, continual team and management because, as you say, they've been arguably the best team in the NFC over the last 23 years with no consistency at all, <laughs> a constant change. So I'm, I'm completely with you in terms of this, this 2022 edition of the Eagles mm-hmm. and this rebuild, when the season started, you trade for AJ Brown, you're getting into camp. Did you really think you'd make the Super Bowl as the one seeds? Or did you think, ah, we've got a shot, um, but we're not sure. Yeah. Like I thought they had a chance to be really good. I thought maybe the Super Bowl was, 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 was a stretch, but then, as the season goes on and you're like, all right, the Packers aren't all that good. The 49ers had the, the quarterback issues. Dallas is Dallas. Dallas is always Dallas. You know, the Bucs, yeah. the Bucks were struggling to score points. They were struggling to protect Brady. You're like, this can happen. And the, the best analog I can have for this team, although it's not one-to-one, um, was the 2004 Eagles who finally broke through. They traded for Terrell Owens. Um, and, quite frankly, they came out and they started kicking everybody's ass. And that Eagles team was different than this one because that Eagles team was coming off of three straight NFC Championship losses. Rondé Barber, one of them. Um, And you knew they were on the doorstep. This team got blown out. Now, they made the playoffs last year, but got blown out by the Bucs. It was one of those teams where, like, I almost liken them to this year's Giants where, like... They probably made the playoffs a year before they should have mm-hmm. um, and 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 needed to improve the team. But you trade – you go out and you trade for A.J. Brown. And then 
immediately they had that tough game with the Lions in week one and the Lions turned out better than everybody anticipated. But then immediately the Eagles just started blowing everybody out. Yeah. And that's when, like, I would say following like September, I'm like, yeah, this team can go places. And, you know, Jalen played obviously very well. Brown's impact was greater than I anticipated. Devontae Smith made a massive leap in the second half of the year. And that's when I knew that they could go. Um, I, I picked them to win the division this year. And I think if you pick a team to win the division, you implicitly give them a chance to go to the Super Bowl. Um, but I picked my Super Bowl pick was Buffalo Green Bay. Um, so I did not pick the Eagles to go to the Super Bowl. Obviously, I whiffed on on Green Bay badly. Um, but I, wait, wait, no, no, I'm not letting you off there. Why, why did you go Green Bay? They they historically lose NFC Championship games. Everywhere they go, like they got a one and four record in the NFC title game. How I was uh, because I didn't want to be seen as a homer, Murph. That's why. <laughs> oh, I get that. And I, uh, but no, Green there were Bay, 14 other teams you could have picked. You know, I just thought I thought Aaron Rodgers won two straight MVPs. I thought, uh, I, I thought the defense was going to be way better than it was. My mea culpa. Buffalo was a sound yeah. choice. They, they yeah, I, 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 I can't criticize you on Buffalo. Green Bay. Oh yeah. I, I I don't ever want to see anybody pick Green Bay to go to a Super Bowl until Aaron Rodgers leaves, okay. and then when he leaves, then he leaves, then it's fair game. But and do you, uh, do you, I want to see you pick the Raiders or the uh, Jets to go to the Super Bowl next year when he's there. <laughs> well, the, the, not a hope. I, listen, I I've gone on record so many times. I don't think Aaron Rodgers is a winner. I don't think he's a. I, you just mentioned it about Donovan McNabb. Right, I think Aaron Rodgers is a better Donovan McNabb, but really, is he someone that you're really fearing? I I mentioned this to Ross Tucker a couple of years ago, and these stats have slightly changed. But when Aaron Rodgers plays a winning team, he doesn't make a comeback in the fourth quarter if they're down. Doesn't happen. It's happened before before this season. It's happened two or three times in his career. I think the it's uh... so it's so infrequent that he beats a team with a winning record when they're training in the fourth quarter. And I'm not talking about training by 20. I'm talking about training by three or training. Uh, My favorite one though, I will point out is when he beat Dallas in the playoffs a couple of years ago. I think it was Dak Prescott's rookie year and he made the throw to Jared cook down the left sideline. That was my favorite one. uh, Yeah. I mean, that was, that was a good one. Um, (laughs) And that is one time he did step up, but yeah. And my point is, yeah, we're slightly digressing here, but I, I look at, in fact, I'm going to turn this into a relevant thought. With the state of the NFC now, because let's be honest, there's maybe three good teams, um, mm-hmm. and one of them, maybe even two of them, you could argue are in division. Do you feel that the Eagles are built to challenge for the NFC title over the next couple of years? Or do you feel like this is a, a pivotal moment this game, and depending on how this game goes, this is going to shape the future of... This franchise, i.e. if they win, they're going to go on and and win a few more NFC Championship games and make a few more Super Bowl appearances. Or if they lose, they could crumble and and potentially not come back for another six, seven years. I think, um, you know, Jerry Jones said this week that the Cowboys prefer to not go all in the way the Rams and the Eagles had. And I think looking at the way the Rams built this vis-a-vis the way the Eagles built it, Jerry... Jerry's head's up his butt because 
we knew last year was the Rams' chance. And, and maybe, you know, if they have better luck with injuries, maybe they're back this year, you know. But we knew last year was, oh, you better seal the deal, Rams. And they did. And that, and the credit to them. The Eagles have two first-round picks this coming year. They have a, they have yeah. the 10th overall pick in the draft. They did not go all in this year. Now, they, they yeah. made a big move for A.J. Brown, but they have two first-round picks. They can use those picks. They can trade the pick. They can do whatever they want with the picks. They shouldn't use the picks. That's my yeah. first piece of advice. If I, if I could tell Harry Roseman one thing, don't pick. Just just trade them or, or, or yeah, trade them for established think, players or, or something. I think if he uses 10, it'll be on a defensive or offensive lineman. And he might trade down from 30-31, whichever pick they have, to recoup some middle-round stuff. Um, but I have to say, yeah, they're set up. I mean, mm. now, the big question for me with them is, look, Fletcher Cox is old. Javon Hargrave's a free agent. They drafted Jordan Davis. They have Milton Williams. Hassan Reddick's in his mid-20s, you know. Josh Sweat is in his early 20s. But they do have the big question of Jason Kelsey – and Lane Johnson. Now, Lane, I think, is playing past this year. I think if they win, Jason Kelsey's going to retire. Now, they drafted Jason Kelsey's replacement already. Cam Jurgens is his hand-drafted replacement, so they're preparing for that. But there's no guarantee that Cam Jurgens is even on the same planet as as, as Jason. Jason Kelsey's a Hall of Famer, you know? Yeah. like. And, and if, if, if Cam Jurgens is 65% of Jason Kelsey, that's a pretty good pick. Um, but he's got to get there. Um I think they're set up because I think Roseman understands how to build the roster. I think he mm. understands his mistakes from the last time. I think a lot of people are going to say, oh, the Eagles let this guy go. The Eagles let that guy go. The Eagles let this guy go. Well, the last time they won the Super Bowl, Roseman extended a bunch of the older guys on that team. He you did. know, give Alshon Jeffrey the big contract, you know. And they started to – fall apart a little bit with injuries and I don't think he's going to make that same mistake I think he's going to retool um they have to pay Jalen Hurts which I, I I think is coming I'm pretty sure it's coming um and that's going to change things but yeah do what I tell you I think they're back in this in a similar position next year yes they've had some good injury luck so that's an important that's an important aspect as well that I don't think they're going yeah. to overlook um but no I I, I think this is a team that's that's well positioned, but you if, if they pay Jalen, they have less money to pay, you know, some of these elite defensive players. You know, James Bradbury is a free agent. Um, they do still have some work to do. Um, yeah. but it, it's a testament to Howie Roseman where this I mean, look at the players who played in Super Bowl 52 and look at the ones who are playing in Super Bowl 57, and the rosters are completely different. Yeah. Which a lot of that's going to be very normal given the churn of the NFL and, and free agency and draft picks. But still, it is, it is a credit. You know, you don't see a team lose a, or win a Super Bowl then come back five years later with effectively an entirely different organ. It's almost a different organization uh, with the exception of the front office um, to go on and do this. So it is something that is heavily underrated. And Harry Roseman, I've been very critical of as well. And, and I have to give credit the way that he... And I think the similarities I see between 52 and 57 is his ability mid-season to adjust to what the needs of the roster are with injuries and to bring in players that make plays and make, in, um, make differences. You look at Joseph and Ndamukong Sue, with huge additions to this roster mid-season. You look at 52, they brought in Jay Ajayi um, to give a little something extra in, in the run game, and, and he definitely delivered that as well and was crucial in that Super Bowl uh, win. So... I completely agree with you that 
you know, the credit has to go to the front office. Looking at the game itself, what scares you about the Kansas City Chiefs? Um, and how do you how do you feel about dealing with it? Patrick Mahomes scares me about Kansas City Chiefs. <laughs> like, 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 I yeah, mean, I, I, I almost, I almost banned you from saying that because I, uh, I mean, uh, I mean, outside of Mahomes, I guess Andy scares me a little bit. Um, but when I was an Eagles fan, Andy scared me in big games. You know, <laughs> the clock management. I think he's kind of cleaned a lot of that up. Not all of it, but a lot of it. Um, although I will say that uh, the Buccaneers Super Bowl against the Chiefs that had so. Uh, I was sitting here first and foremost. The first thing I when I was watching that. That game was, oh, my God, I'm so impressed with Tom Brady. I cannot believe this. This is unbelievable. And my second thought was, man, that felt like an Andy Reid loss. <laughs> Just, like, completely unprepared to play the game. Um, I, I, I remember the – I mean, he almost had an Andy Reid loss against the 49ers the year before. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Mahomes scares me. Andy Reid scares me. Um, I think the Eagles just played a better defense, the 49ers. I thought Jalen Hurts was very uncomfortable in that game. Um, and fortunately he didn't need to do much as a thrower. Um, but I think the Eagles just got done playing a better defense. They just got done playing against a team that had much more dangerous weapons. I wish I got a better look at them defending those weapons because, you know, San Francisco couldn't throw the football, but the X factor is Mahomes. I mean, look, if you're, if, Nicole Hardman isn't going to play. Andy Reid's already said that. So there's a, there's a fast guy. Kadarius, Tony and Juju haven't practiced yet. Um, they have injuries. They're highly questionable to play. I mean, if you're telling me the Eagles, standing between the Eagles and the Super Bowl title is Marquez Valdez-Scantling and Marcus Kemp. I mean, obviously Travis Kelsey, but yeah, sign me up. But number 15 scares the living hell out of me. And it's like, I mean, I wish I could, I wish I could break down something from like a scheme perspective, but like if you, if you line up the rosters, and you line up the scheme, whatever you want, the Eagles have the advantage. Yeah. They're favored in this game. Like, they are, yeah. they're still favored. But, like, I mean, you put, I mean, put Daniel Jones back there under center for the Chiefs. Same exact roster. Both sides of the football. What are the Eagles favored by in this game? Seven and a half, eight? Yeah, maybe even ten. Like, like so, uh, like, no, Patrick Mahomes scares the living hell out of me. They haven't played a Patrick Mahomes this year. He threw five touchdowns against them last year. Um, now that was in October of last year, which is it's forever ago in the NFL. But yeah, I mean, he threw five touchdowns against them last year. Hurts threw for three eighty two in that game. So you know, I think Hurts can attack this defense. He has experience doing it. Uh, Steve Spagnuolo was the coordinator then. Mahomes went up against a less talented defense last year, but it doesn't matter. I mean, it's Patrick Mahomes. He. He scares the living daylights out of me. And if they lose this game, it's going to be because of him. If they win this game, you know, I would I would love that. People have been saying to me, they're like, man, I really hope it's a good game. And I'm like, screw you. I don't. I want it like I want it like your Bucks against them two years ago. I'm like, I want a bad game. I, I don't want yeah. any stress, you know, but um, I don't think they're going to be, be able to be what, what the Bucks did. No, I've I've watched the Bucks twice in the Super Bowl, and I've pretty much had my feet up in my chair, pretty comfortable the whole oh, way through. Yeah, um, it's, quite nice, it's, it's quite a nice it's it's quite a nice feeling, uh, both times to have done it. And I've had Super Bowl quarterback uh, Brad Johnson on the show earlier. In fact, he was on just before you, and um, he he was He's saying how much fun it was. <laughs> <laughs> you know, by the way, but, Brad Brad Johnson. 
Was he ever not a veteran? No, pretty but, much. I mean, he he, always. he he pops he pops out of the womb, and the and the, the doctor's like, "That's a veteran quarterback right there." Oh, like, yeah. was, he was he is the definition of a veteran quarterback. Absolutely, you got to remember he was drafted in the ninth round, and then he got traded for a first and second round pick to Washington, and that didn't pan out. So they let him go for free, and he goes to the Bucks and wins the Super Bowl. Oh, and he couldn't make a roster in Minnesota, so they let him play in the World League, and he came and played in London for. Uh, an off season and made 10 grand. Um, this is why the world league needs to come back. The world league had Kurt Warner and Brad Johnson in it. Like Absolutely. what more do you need? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> bring the world league back. Uh, yeah. Brad Johnson, uh, the veteran quarterback himself, um, uh, architect of some of my least favorite memories. Some of the most painful memories of my childhood, uh, yep. the crossing pattern to Joe Juravicious lined up against yep. Barry Gardner. And then Blaine Bishop takes the worst angle possible. Um, <sighs> all right, I, but I have exercised those demons with the with the Super Bowl five years ago. I can watch that game. Yeah, you should. You should watch it in anticipation and and yeah. especially with Ronde going to the hall this year. I'm confident it's going to be his year, and you'll get to watch that clip if he makes the hall. How good would this be if he makes the hall? Or in the pregame, we will see that clip where he shut down the vet. That will literally be the only clip they'll show. Mm. He'll just shut down the vet like 50 times on the well, Super Bowl coverage. Win after that, then they can exercise that team <laughs> once again. <laughs> I feel like I have to fight you. Right, score prediction. Before I let you go, because I appreciate taking too much of your time. Score prediction before you go. What's the final score going to be? 27-24 Eagles. Oh, you think it's going to be close. Okay. All right. Oh, no, I'm not that lucky, Murph. They've given me they've given me two straight blowout playoff games, um, and where I haven't even I haven't I haven't even had the chance to embarrass myself in front of my family and friends. <laughs> not not going to happen this time. I embarrassed myself in Super Bowl Fifty Two, and I'm planning on embarrassing myself again during this game. Yeah, I'm going to go back and watch Super Bowl Fifty Two in the run up to that because that's still it's a really good football game. I hated yeah. it at the time. Yeah, absolutely. But you can watch it now with great pride because that is one of the all time Super Bowl classics. Um, it's probably my favorite one of the last 10 years outside of 55 for biased reasons. But if I took that game out, uh, yeah, it definitely is. Um, that that of 53 was good. 52 and 53 were great games. Uh, 53? The the, Ra- the Rams Patriots Super Bowl? You like that? Oh, one? 50, 51. Sorry. I went 50, the other Oh, way. the Falcons. The Falcons is the year before. Yeah. The, I, yeah. I mean, I liked 53 because I'm a purist, but yeah, I get yeah. most people didn't. Oh, like yeah. The that. Patriots was, I mean, it was. <laughs> That, that one was a little boring. Yeah. Sony <laughs> Michelle scores the only touchdown. And then 54 was Chiefs Niners, which was a good game. Niners should have won. Yeah. Um, but Mahomes happened, and so did Jimmy G. And then 55 was was Bucks Chiefs. Yeah. Last year was a last year was a solid Super Bowl. It wasn't like crisply played or anything like that, but it was a competitive game. Uh, Rams, Bengals. But yeah, unfortunately. Let's be honest, the halftime show overshadowed the game. Oh, the halftime show was phenomenal. Yeah, that was absolutely ridiculous. I wish this one was T Swizzle, but uh, well, uh, uh, I'll probably be uh, 
curled up in a ball somewhere during halftime. <laughs> well, I'm going to get you enjoy Springsteen and then enjoy the Super Bowl. Thank you so much for coming on. Tell us where people can listen to the new Two Point Stance podcast yeah. with Brian Drake and where people can find uh, all of your excellent work. Well, I'm at fantasypoints.com. I'm at FG underscore Dolan on Twitter, Murph. And uh, you can follow my feed with Brian Drake on the Fantasy Points YouTube. Just search for Two Point Stance Fantasy Points. Um, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts. It's on Spotify. We've had some issues with our Apple Podcast feed. I, I'm, I'm really not uh, very pleased with Apple right now. Uh, but uh, but uh, th- th- them's the breaks, right? Uh, when you uh, p- podcast for a company that is owned by Spotify, so uh, <laughs> uh, like we uh, we use Anchor for that. But uh, yeah. anyway, Murph, uh, thank you for for ha- for having me. Um, uh, thank you for uh, reaching out. I'm glad you're back in the game. That's all. I, that's all I care about. Thanks, man. Well, look, uh, we'll get you on in a few weeks' time, and we'll start strategizing best ball in 2023. But go enjoy, go enjoy the boss, enjoy the game. Wish you all the best uh, luck, and uh, yeah, I'm looking forward as well to uh, seeing some antics and some videos of you uh, celebrating or commiserating uh, on Super Bowl Sunday. And most people should follow you on the YouTube for that. Amazing segment there, talking about the Eagles' perspective and how their potential routes to the Super Bowl um, will will come about and where their potential vulnerabilities are, as well as also some great insight about um, how the roster is building and, and the, the decisions made by the front office there. So really impactful and insightful. And now we've had the perspective of both teams uh, in this Super Bowl. It's now time to focus on some fantasy. So... Um, coming and joining me now is the uh, reigning fan team Super Bowl contest champion. He does our DFS podcast. He also does the Putting for Dough podcast with Jack Humphrey and his co-host Nick Owen, who we wanted on this show, but unfortunately was ill at the time of recording. And hopefully he is feeling a lot better now. Um, but it gives me an absolute pleasure and honor to introduce to you Mark Ferguson, who is going to help you potentially win some money here on the Super Bowl. Joining me now is one of our own. Um, I'm b- delighted to bring on Mark Ferguson here. Now, Mark is the reigning fan team Super Bowl contest champion from last year uh, with his amazing pickup of picking Bryson Hopkins uh, in his winning lineup. Uh, but if you don't know who Mark is, Mark does content for uh, Five Yard Rush for our betting side, and he's here to help you potentially try and win some money along with Nick, who sadly can't be here tonight. He's unfortunately a little bit uh, unwell. Um, so we've sent, first of all, Nick, our best wishes and get well soon, uh, buddy. And uh, you also do a bit of work on golf with Jack Humphrey and Putting for Doe. So, Mark, welcome. How are you doing? I'm great. It's so good to be talking to you, Murph. It's been so long. It's Too been long, mate. so long. I was literally saying to my wife earlier today, it's like a couple of years, I think, easily. I think when me, when me and Nick first started this journey with Five Yard, you came onto one of our very early pods. Yeah. Because we, we were recording it at like nine in the morning or something. Yeah, like that it, was, of, it was early. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, we haven't, we haven't done, done one since. No, it's just mad, isn't it? And the time has flown. Absolutely. It really has. But it's been great. We talk uh, a fair bit yeah. um, offline, but it's good to... Good to spin up, and uh, you yeah. know, I couldn't think of a better person to have on and talk about some prop bets and some DFS plays. Yeah. So, let's kick off first of all with the prop bets. This is obviously yeah. something that's becoming 
larger every year. I think three, four years ago, you had a few sort of niche markets here in the UK. Skybet, probably the most popular, did the, did the most. Uh, but since, you know, um, American podcasts in particular, American media now focusing a lot more on the gambling side and therefore opening up more markets, we're starting to see potentially a little mirror here uh, to more prop bets here in the UK. So for the game and appreciate that we're recording this, uh, you know, several days before the game, close to 10 days before the game. So um, there might be some props. I'm going to put a little asterisk here that there might be a prop bet you suggest and somebody is no longer playing in the game. So please check the injury news on the day you cast the bet. But uh, in terms of your expertise, are there any prop bets that you are uh, excited about or uh, things that you think are good value? The... um... The one which you have to do almost every year in the Super Bowl is you bet the over on the total points after the first quarter. Because historically, Super Bowls are always very low scoring in the first quarter and the total points levels come down and stuff. So that's been very lucrative over the years. And I don't see this year any reason not to do that for this year. Um, That's just a generic sort of bet. Um, You should do that everywhere. Talking about actual... um, Looking for value, really, as much as anything, because... Um, a lot, a lot of the bets to do with individual players. I don't see masses of value. We have so many unknowns in this game. You know, when I was going to talk about the DFS plays and stuff, there's only three safe DFS plays, and I feel that there's the same. You're really punting too much, for want of a better phrase. Mm-hmm. With you know, with some of these overs and unders on receiving yards and passing yard, um, rushing yards and things like that. So. Um, the only one of those style of bets I'm really interested in is actually Jarrett McKinnon at the moment receiving yards are around 22 and a half oh, yards yeah. for over. And like, he can do that in one play, can't he? Mm. Yeah. And um, and he had that. I know he's been quiet the last few weeks, but he had that run of games where he was just doing that in his sleep. Absolutely. <laughs> you know? so, Tail end of the regular season, he was very, very influential. He was getting 100 yard game, scrimmage games, and, and the receiving yards was making a large portion of that so I completely agree that looks like an absolute snip uh 22 yeah. and a half receiving yards that looks like yeah. a, a really 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 good bet and I think that's a really good one to parlay with other things because you know it's an it's an it's an evens better so um looking for things which are a little bit better odds I think which are a good value if you can find this bet because I can't find it at the moment you probably have to request a bet I'd love to be able to bet a rushing a rushing TD from a Kansas City tight end that sort okay. of jet sweep that they run with a tight end and mm. stuff. I, you know, <clears throat> I wouldn't be brave enough necessarily to choose the tight end. And I'm thinking like, you know, Noah Gray, um, Fulton or Blake Bell here. Um, but the actual anytime TDs for those three are pretty good anyway. They're between 13 to 2 and 17 to 2 at the moment. So um, those Kansas City tight ends just suddenly turn up, don't they, with something, mm. with some sort of big play. You can never really tell who it is. Obviously, I'm excluding Kelsey. Kelsey's like a really giant wide receiver. Let's not, it's like, yeah, he's exactly. listed as a tight end, but it's like a, you know. Um, so, yeah, I really like anything to do with those um, Kansas City tight ends, I really like. Um, Jalen Hurts as well to score two touchdowns on the ground. You can get it like nine to two at the moment. I suspect one of them is going to be one of those battering Ram style sneaks that they put him in for, which I do not understand why they risk injury of him for that play at all. Um, and I suspect if some, as soon as somebody gets a concussion from that sort of play, the league will ban it yeah. or something. You know, literally they just pick him up and throw him over the off over the line, don't they? It's like it's crazy. 
Um, but two TDs on the ground for him, I think, is pretty good. I think it's well within the realm of possibility. I think so, especially given the fact that his throwing arm mm. is injured. He's still recovering from that shoulder injury that kept him out end of the season. And we've seen in this playoff run, the number of uh, pass attempts has gone down significantly. Now that's been helped because of the game script. They've been up really early in games and been up a lot early in games. So it's been much easier to do. But actually, if the game is close or they're needing to catch up, I don't think his arm is going to be strong enough to to throw the ball 40 times. That's my conjecture, Mm. given we've not seen it for now for five, six weeks. So actually, it's a smart play because he's more likely to make those impactive plays with his legs than he is to, to do it with his arm. Uh, in this game, regardless of the game script. And I think people will argue, well, they're not going to be up 20 against the Chiefs. So he's more likely going to have to throw. But I don't think he can. I yeah. mean, he could. Yeah, they could be, yeah. but I'm, I'm not so confident. So I think, yeah, I, I yeah. definitely like that two-touchdown realm because I think if if they're to stay with the Chiefs, if the Chiefs' offense mm. is really cooking, they're going to need to find they're going to need to find those um, TDs from somewhere. Yeah, I think... Um... Yeah, it's funny. We'll probably talk about a little bit more about that, what you just said there, do the passing and stuff and talk about DFS, because that's a, quite an interesting point you made. Um, my, last, my last bet, which really sort of stuck out to me at the moment, was the Super Bowl MVP to be a tight end, a 9-1. to one. So you're kind of basically betting there on um, Travis Kelsey being the MVP, mm. which is quite rare for a tight end to be an MVP. But Travis Kelsey is not your usual tight end. He's the sort of player who can dominate the game. And, you know, you could that's easily with these, you know, um, possible outcomes here. And it's a better value, actually, I, than, um, than Travis Kelsey himself as the MVP. So I do like that play. I mean, I don't think Dallas, Dallas Goddard's going to get it. I'll be surprised. But again, you, at least you are covered in that. Yeah, uh, I, think, I think that makes sense. And um, as you say, there's a bit of emphasis here on Travis Kelsey, first pair of brothers, mm-hmm to play against each other in a Super Bowl. His brother yeah. Jason playing for um, the Eagles. So there'll be more eyes on, not that there needs to be more eyes on Travis yeah. Kelsey, but if he shows up, you know, that there's storylines I find with um, with MVP. It's not always quarterbacks. There, You know, Cooper Cup last year, it's always storylines. People feel like he was perhaps slightly robbed of offensive MVP last year. Mm. Um Sorry, I, did, I think he did win that, but in terms of actually um, MVP conversation was obviously not part of it because he's not a quarterback. Mm. Um, and I think there's always these narratives. And, you know, Titans have won it before. Gronk uh, yeah. won it, didn't he, in, against the Rams with his... Mm. No, sorry, that went to... No. That's a lie. That went to... Um, oh, his name's totally escaped me. Julian Edelman won that one. Yeah, um, okay. I thought Gronk was going to win it, but he didn't. Uh, but yeah, they, I think it with you, right? Which you were tying win, so I yeah. like that one. <laughs> yeah. so. It's just, it's just. Um, I think it's, um, it's a really great point you make about the um, the narrative thing. I haven't actually considered that in it at all. It actually makes me feel more confident about that. I mean, again, as with all prop bets, you're not, you don't want to be predicting, trying to predict what's going to happen. You want to be getting better, better value, decent value for it if it does happen. The chances yeah. of it happening. 
Two yeah. two years ago, Tom Brady wins the MVP. Was he the best player in the Super Bowl? No, but it was the fact it was a new team. He'd taken a new team to a Super Bowl, a home Super Bowl. You can argue that he was very influential off the field. He was very good on the field, don't get me wrong, but you could have made a case for Devin White. You could have made a case for um, Mike Evans, for Gronk, for even Antonio Brown in that game, and, and about four or five other players. Maybe they yeah. thought, oh, well, we can't pick one. We'll just pick Brady. And I think those narratives kind of help shape discussions. So, yeah, yeah. I, I think there's some attention on Kelsey here. Yeah, and also I think those examples used as those where there's lots of potential, lots of players involved in the offence, for example, etc. Mm. Um, as we know with KC, it's generally, it's Kelsey plus a collection of others, you know? And mm. um, so I think, so if they do win it and stuff, it's going to, I think it's going to be Mahomes or Kelsey, basically, if they do win it. Barring a defensive masterclass um, and they shut down, if it, if it's something like a, 19-3 game um, mm. which I can't see I can't see yeah. that happening um, and someone like Nick Bolton scores a touchdown or um, you know someone on the defensive side of the ball maybe someone gets three or four sacks that's the only it, it takes an, a superlative performance yeah. um, to win a defensive to win an MVP as a defensive player I think Von Miller was the last one to do that in Super Bowl 50. I remember Dexter Jackson doing it in Super Bowl 37, but I mean, he scored he scored two touchdowns. So I think that's probably, uh, you know, he probably contributed more on defense, on offense than he did for anybody else that day. Um, but yeah, I think there's, um, there's always a case for that. Let's talk about DFS yeah. then. So right. in terms of how do you approach the Super Bowl from a strategy perspective yeah. and then who, who, who looks good to you from a value perspective? Because everyone's going to look at, Mahomes and Kelsey and and this sort of the usual figure. So, given the fact that that they're going to be so popular, in how does your strategy play into that? And then, who, who are some picks that people mm. should be considering? Well, so this is a I think this is a great DFS slate for the reasons that we've sort of already touched on. There's only really three safe plays. And that's Hurts, Mahomes, and Kelsey. Um, everything else, everything else is volatile at best, aren't they? Mm. Um, for example, last week MVS with his 26 points or whatever just came out of nowhere. He hasn't had um, he's had double digits one other time in the last eleven weeks or something, yeah. or something ten weeks of it, and that was only 10, eleven points. So, also the Philly passing game has, as you've already alluded to, has sort of vanished a little bit. Mm. Last couple of weeks, Brown and Smith haven't haven't really been scoring any points. So, but in terms of overall strategy, I would um, you're going to hear a lot of, if you listen to any DFS content for the next, you know, building up the Super Bowl. People are going to tell you about building a story. I don't, I'm not a really big fan of that concept. I prefer to try and be unique um, because there's so few players that you can pick from and there's so few combinations that getting unique, you end up, is more profitable in the long run. So being unique is a way to, is a way to go. And bearing in mind, like we've always said, most, what, 80, 90% of lineups will probably have Mahomes, Hertz and Kelsey. So one way to get unique is to not play one of those players. That's all straight away. Also, it also gives you access to sort of players in the middle there, like a, a Devonta Smith or a Goddard or, um, or an AJ Brown, which maybe aren't in the lineups with the other guys. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one way to do it. The other, the other, um, the other things I think are going to happen because the thing about with um, DFS in particular, and it's particularly showing is you want to be thinking about how the rest of the field are playing, who they're choosing, and trying to take advantage of other people's mistakes. So, for example, the most obvious one to me is MVS. We've already talked about. I would fade him this week. Mm. I don't see him repeating last week. 
particularly. I mean, he can because we, I can't predict the future, but you know, I think he'll be over owned because of it. People have yeah. expected too much. Yeah. Um, the the other thing related to last week is I think lots of people are going to play two of the Eagles running backs, um, either Sanders and Gainwell, Sanders mm-hmm. and Scott, or Gainwell and Scott. And so one other way to get different to that is play possibly play all three. There is definitely a a version of this game, an outcome in this game, where those three are going to all be in the optimal lineup. You know, generally you would imagine that'll be a lower scoring game. Um, yeah, but um, I think that's a possibility. I really do. Um, and the other thing that I always talk to, say to people who want who ask me anything about showdowns is do not ignore the kickers. Um, you know, Buck has scored 13 points in the last two weeks. How many players on the Chiefs are going to score 13 points this week, for example? You know? Not many. No, because they're going to, it all gets spread out, doesn't it? So, yeah. you know, and a great way to give yourself, just to allow your salary to go a lot further is to captain a kicker. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. If you captain a kicker, then you can get more of these better, these bigger players in and stuff. So um, those are my initial thoughts at the moment. Obviously, for me, I'll be... Um, Reading and reading and listening to lots of content to try and see, try and get a feel of what the public are hearing and how that's going to impact lineups and stuff. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of smart advice there. I um, don't play a lot of DFS, but I play uh, playoff contests in fantasy football. A player who I have an eye on this week is one you've mentioned already, Eric McKinnon. Um, I just think he's going to be a more vital part of this game than we've seen in the last few weeks. Um, He's someone I would be, I don't know what his value is. I don't know where he kind of sits in the story building or the lineup builds, but he's someone I would, if you're struggling to think of, or if you want to be different, he's someone that could be an option for you in in that regard. You, um, Jarrett McKinnon is a sort of player you'd, um, you wouldn't necessarily get to if you're going to play those the three main three. Mm. You know, somebody quite hard to get to. The other guys, of course, in here, when you're talking about, you know, value plays and stuff, and then we mentioned them already loads, I think, way more than probably they normally get mentioned, but these tight ends of Kansas City, you know, I can see, we can see one of them at least getting a touchdown. Yeah. Gray or Bell or four. You can just see it. And that, that could be all they do in the game. But if the game goes a certain way, you show down Lamont, That'll be optimal. There you go. Yeah. It's it's out of the box thinking, and that's why we got you on here. So <laughs> um, it's a really uh, it's interesting. Like I said, I don't play a lot of DFS, but it's definitely good to to get the strategy on. Which is why I bring the experts like like Mark on. Before I let you go, I know the I don't you know I'm not a betting man. I don't really gamble, but the one thing I do know about prop bets are things like uh, length of the anthem. Um, something about halftime shows and then the colour of the Gatorade. Is that something that you ever indulge in for a laugh or do you ever have any inside knowledge or think there's some strategy behind that? I just want to know if there's any strategy behind the the anthem or picking the Gatorade. Lincoln the anthem will be somebody, I presume, who's um, been in the rehearsals and timed it and stuff, I imagine. Yeah, you can can bet on the toss of the coin or all these sorts of things and stuff. You know, that is literally... A 50-50 bet you're facing there. Like, um, I don't get involved in that sort of stuff. I, yeah, I, I, I yeah, I not not for me. I'm afraid. Um, but yeah, 
It'll be, it, there there's so many. There, by the way, there, you are right, though. There are literally dozens of those silly bets for the Super Bowl. I'd loads. And I just, uh, I know people ask me every year about it, and I'm like, <laughs> you bet on stuff like that? I just, I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't really get the appeal. It's not my sort of gambit. But, um, yeah. you know, there's, there's definitely people I can think of Warren Sharp, for example, who seems to get some kind of insight, knowledge on yeah. length of the anthem or things like that. So if you're interested in that sort of stuff, Go follow Warren Sharp uh, on Twitter. But for the more sensible fantasy-based stuff, follow Mark. Mark, where can people find um, find you on the Twitter machine and, and social media? And then yeah. is there anything else you want to plug? I mentioned putting for dough. Is there anything you want to mention uh, around yeah, that, that as that was, well? That was, very, that, was, that was very kind of you. Yeah, no, I'm at, at underscore SMRF. Uh, we... Um, after the regular season for the football, we started focusing on the regular season for the golf, as it were, and stuff. Um, yeah, which is um, which is going really well. It's um, golf's still a very TV um, niche sport, DFS wise. You know, whereas NFL is like it's huge, as you know, mm. the whole every aspect of the NFL is massive, isn't it? So, um, so yeah, no, still, um, if you go to me, that that you can find um, links there to Button for Dough. We we every Tuesday night, basically, and nine. Yeah. And- and tune in because you've got Nick, you've got Jack, and you've got mm. Mark, and they're three of the best guys I know. Uh, not just in the betting space, but just all great people who have had the privilege to know over the last few years. And uh, yeah, you just support the show because it's great. I mean, I don't, I don't bet golf, but I do tune in sometimes just mm. to see your your wonderful faces and listen to your dulcet <laughs> tones. Um, and try and and try and watch Nick without thinking of him in speedos. And if you haven't seen Nick, <laughs> tune into Putting for Doe because as soon as you see him, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Think about a very famous Olympic swimmer, and you'll get the rest of this joke. Um, but Mark, thank you so much for coming. What on. a way to uh, end! What a way to end! <laughs> listen, it's a blockbuster show. You've got to pull out the blockbuster lines. I don't know what hour we're into the show here. But listen, at the end of the day, we've got to we've got to have some fun and, you know, um, just appreciate your time and everything that, that you do. And uh, I hope you have a very successful Super Bowl. I hope you end up winning lots of money like you did uh, last <laughs> year. And everybody, please go and follow Mark on the Twitter machine uh, because he will also help you win money. And if it's not NFL and this weekend, it will be for the golf. So make sure you check into that. And we'll be moving on to our next segment shortly. Here we go. Nearly uh, through the show, still a couple of amazing segments uh, to go. And we have now the amazing guys from Fast Action Friday. We have Pitsy, we have Rob, we have Lewis. They're going to go through and give you some amazing insight into um, the Super Bowl from a redraft perspective, and they're going to be able to break down um, some great aspects of this game for you. So get ready, buckle up. It is fast. It's full of action. It's not Friday, but <laughs> it's uh, gearing you up ready for Super Bowl weekend. Enjoy this. This is not a segment to be missed. Welcome to the fast action part of this Super Bowl special. We have gathered the troops and got all three of us back together for our little segment. Uh, welcome back, boys. I can't believe we are quite here and gearing up for this Super Bowl. Yeah, I'm very excited. It's two teams I, I would have wanted to get to the Super Bowl out of all the teams in the playoffs, uh, aside from the Panthers. 
and the Vikings and the Steelers. Sorry, Lewis. Um, so yeah, it's going to be going to be a big game. Thank you to Murph for letting us do this slot and do our thing on the Super Bowl show. Kind of gives us on the redraft team a little bit of a warm up and a stretch off before we get back into writing mode in the off season. So if you're a redraft writer, this is uh, your let's say two week warning. Um, but I know that Lewis has been chomping at the bit to come back. Isn't that right, Lewis? Yeah, I, I I've been ravenous. I have I couldn't wait to get back into it. It's been a busy 2023 so far and not had much time to get anything out really. So yeah, it's absolutely fantastic to get back on with you guys as well. Yes, loving it, mate. Loving it. So as you can tell, this is not quite fast action Friday. We're gonna do things a little bit different. Uh, we're still gonna have our usual segments, so a little focus on the Super Bowl teams. Eagles and the Chiefs will be under the microscope. So let's have a look at these teams and how we made it there. Um, it is the Super Bowl throwback. All right, so it's been quite a journey for both these teams. Both teams passed through the bye week, um, so perhaps benefited from the extra rest. The Eagles have since beaten their divisional rivals, the Giants, 38-7, and more notable, the Niners in the championship round, 31-7. Uh, the Chiefs have had closer scorelines against their opponents, beating the Jags 27-20 and in the individual, uh, sorry, in the divisional rounds. And Harrison Butker obviously saw them pass the Bengals in a closely called 23-20 match. Uh, so we usually do our coverage of the quarterbacks, the offense and the defense. So we're going to do that right now. So I'll start with the quarterbacks. What a battle this should be. Two young quarterbacks have massively helped their teams along the way this season and getting them into the Super Bowl. Mahomes has done it before and he'll be making his third appearance whilst Hurst has turned the corner and made a huge impact on the Eagles' offence this year. Mm-hmm. Both have had great passing ability and when healthy, both have got the footwork to match it as well. Hurst, with his run game, is huge for the Eagles, um, but he's also got better wide receiver weapons as well, so it'll be interesting to see what they cook up for that. And depending on Holmes' injury, his wide receiver options as well don't quite match up the same. However, this is Mahomes, and he is an absolute magician with Andy Reid. Um, <laughs> like against the Bengals, you could just never carry him out. He was supposed to be injured and down and out, but yeah, he, we'll get to that in a second. <laughs> the two playoff games, Hurts saw him uh, have a very similar stat for both games. Um, against the Giants, it was 16 complete passes, 154 yards, two passing touchdowns, also adding nine rushes for 34 and a rushing touchdown. Against uh, San Fran, 15 completions, 121, but no passing touchdowns, adding 11 rushes for 39 yards and that extra rushing touchdown. Uh, Mahomes, on the other hand, against Jacksonville, 22 completions, 195 yards, two passing touchdowns. And against Cincy, it was 20. This you remember, Cincy, this is where he was supposed to be all banged up and not be able to move. 29 completions, 326 passing yards, and two passing touchdowns. So these two are going to be, I'm, I'm hoping it's not going to be one of those matches where it all just falls apart. But I want to see these two absolutely quiet. Yeah, that Jacksonville defense really came to life towards the end of the regular season and in the playoffs as well. Like, um, they were quite impressive, especially going forward into next year. Like it was, you know, their first year together with a new head coach and everything like that. It took a little while to gel, and they they went on a crazy unbeaten run as well, didn't they? But yeah, yeah. 
cracking on with the offensive coverage and where to start other than two of the best tight ends in the league, really. So Dallas Goda came off the IR, ready for the playoffs. He was tearing it up before his injury as well. And Travis has been and will continue to do Travis Kelsey things, won't he? He is the tight end one. Um, the banged-up wide receiver room in Kansas City. But it's a two-week break, which so they might be able to get Juju back, who was rolling himself before injury earlier in the season. But then you've got A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith. They've been fantastic for the Eagles. You mentioned Jalen Hurts um, coming to that next level in the passing game when he needs to because um, they have that complexity of the run game with Miles Sanders as lead back. And then obviously you had Kenny Gamewell. He came to fruition the last couple of weeks. Even Boston Scott, he put a touchdown in last week. And of course, of course, Jalen Hurts with his rushing upside as well. Yeah, so much potential there. It's absolutely amazing what they've actually got when you look at it and with all the draft capital and things to come. But anyway... Jarrett McKinnon on the other side, when we're talking about running backs, led all running backs with nine receiving touchdowns in the regular season. Pacheco, the seventh round draft pick um, out of Rutgers, I believe. He has been the lead back through the playoffs, 121 yards over his two games he's put up. Yeah, I really like the rushing games. Yeah, the rushing game is looking good on both sides of the ball. And uh, I think that's probably where the... The action's going to be uh, contested most of, um, especially with the backups. The, the backup running backs, I think, are going to be going to be key in this game. Not not just on the Chiefs side of the ball, but you've, you've mentioned Scott and Gamewell already. They had a big part to play in the, the game against the Niners, so I expect the, the same again. And um, what were you going to say, Fitzy? No, no, just that the run game has come on massively from both teams, and um, yeah, like you just said, it's, it's just it's going to be so interesting how both offences play this one out because it's both got both attacking in the air and on the ground and that yeah it's I'm hoping it's just gonna be a massive, massive game. Yeah. I Take mean the foot off the break and just go for it. Yeah. Philly's run game is they can come at you from so many different angles, but when Jalen Hurts has had to get it done through the air, he's got two of the best weapons in the league. Exactly. Three. And got it as well. Well, yeah, got it as well. But like, w- when he's had to do it through the air, he has done it, and that's where he stepped up this year, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, big time. Absolutely. Um, defensive coverage as well. I think this is going to be a big part of the game, as as we all know. There's only really been one team that's been making a name for themselves, especially in the run up to the playoffs and through the playoffs. And it's no wonder the nickname is Sacadelphia. You know, Hassan Reddick is leading the league, leading the um, leading the team with 16 sacks, and he could lead the league after um, the Super Bowl. He's only two and a half sacks behind Nick Bosa for the for the 2002 season. And then they've also got three of the players with 11 sacks each as well. So it's a tough defence to hold off. They come from all angles and they've kept the playoff teams they've faced to only one touchdown a game, which is incredibly impressive when you think it's the best teams playing against the best teams. Um, the Chiefs have conceded more points, but you could argue, like you've said already, that they may have played against more potent offences like the Jags and um, the Bengals, especially. And, you know, you, you may consider them to be healthier than some of the other teams that the uh, Phillies played. Frank Clark and Chris Jones, 
have been the big QB threats. You know, they've had 2.5 and two sacks respectively so far in the playoffs. And then rookie Justin Watson, he's been uh, making interceptions, key interceptions in both the playoff games so far uh, this season. Turnovers, that could be a key factor in this game as well. Philly haven't given away a fumble or an interception on the offence, but then they've also claimed three fumbles and an interception in these two games. And then the Chiefs, Three interceptions and one fumble uh, have been picked up by the defence and they've only given away one fumble. And funnily enough, they rank behind the Los Angeles Chargers, who've only played one game in the playoffs, but they managed four interceptions and one fumble recovery. So it just shows that they are are completing the top three in terms of turnovers. It could be a a big game for defences and that could be the key for who wins. The, the game of two halves from a wildcard weekend, weren't it? When um, Asante Samuel Jr., I think he had three of them, didn't he? Ooh, in yeah. the first half. And like, like absolutely crazy. But t- touching on the defence, I'm, I'm kind of glad Joe Burrow isn't going up against this um, Eagles team this weekend. For, for him, mm. just for him. But yeah. yeah. He could be in serious danger if he was up against this team. <laughs> you just saw how many times he was sacked against the Chiefs. It just... It was just ridiculous, mm-hmm. the, the pressure that he got. You see, yeah. the, the the Chiefs are very impressive, their line and things like that, but the Eagles are just... We'll, we'll get more onto that in a bit anyway. But next up is the Super Bowl version of the injury report. A quick recap of the championship round injuries. So the Chiefs have got quite a few to watch out for. They lost three wide receivers during the game, including what looked like another abdominal injury to McCall Hardman, which kept him on injured reserve for a decent portion of the back end of the year. Juju Smith-Schuster, he also had an injury in the regular season. And Kadarius Tony seemed to be injured the whole time he was in New York. They both left the game with injuries. The Eagles, on the other hand... They seemed to scrape through the Niners match with one um, injury and it was someone on the offensive line, I think. Yeah, I think it was Lane Johnson and I think he's actually been playing with the injury through the playoffs anyway. So it's one that he went out for a little bit and then came back in. So, you know, it was business as usual for him. Um, Quarterback injuries. So Jalen Hurts has missed time this year during the regular season and I think we can all agree Philly looked the worst for it. But then the team made the playoffs and Hertz has come back healthy, and he's he's been a big part of it. He's he's been fine fettle entering these uh, these games, and actually it'll be the other half uh, of the uh, the matchup who will have the concerns over their quarterback. So Patrick Mahomes made it through the regular season without any any serious injury of note, but then he had the injury against the Jags, and that's kind of left question marks over his health entering these games. Perhaps it's actually been to his benefit because maybe the um, defensive thought well. He, He's not going to be part of his run game. He's not going to be as, as healthy, but you know he's helped guide his team to the final. Um, but he, yeah, he's the one to watch out for here. And then running backs, both sets of running backs have come through the playoff games. You could argue that the Eagles running backs are in a healthier state because of Clyde Edwards-Hilaire being the uh, injured reserve player here. Um, he hasn't exactly been a bell cow when he's been playing though, you know, considering he was a first round draft pick in 2020. And, in fact, they've just split the the, uh, the play between Pacheco on the ground and Jared McKinnon, as we've talked about, being the pass-catching piece in the room. Nice. So, on to the wide receivers then. As we said before, the Chiefs have lost some first-string uh, receivers. Smith, Schuster, Tony. Um, and that was just during the, the championship game in the middle of the game. So, mm-hmm. then Justin Watson was also inactive. 
there's still some players left just just about in that receiving group with uh, rookie sky more kind of being introduced a little bit more and marcus felder scandlin uh, who actually produced really nicely uh last, yeah, yeah. last week so it was nice to see that um but you'd hope some of the injuries would have cleared up with this two-week window now um either that through healing or adrenaline especially by uh super Bowl sunday and the eagles wide receiver room is nowhere near as big compared to their opponents but they don't really have any major injury concerns going into the box yeah absolutely it's it's not as big but it's a uh, quality over quantity i think <laughs> moving on to tight ends Mahomes' homie travis kelsey he was nursing an injury last week, but he came through on form to score once again in a very important game. He's the guy that Mahomes looks for, isn't he? So it's likely he's going to be limited in practice leading up to the Super Bowl. But it'll be the way to go um, for Patrick Mahomes, won't he? With all these wide receivers banged up, I mean, it's the biggest stage of them all. There, there's nowhere, nowhere to hide, and Kelsey will be out there. There, full speed, whether like he uh Pitsy said, either through being healed or through adrenaline, he will be there. On to the Eagles, Dallas Goda mentioned he missed some time just like Jalen Hurts did during the regular season, but he has been active. He's made some plays not in the championship round the week before, he had a very nice game. Um, and he'll be ready to go for the Super Bowl as well. Nice, all right, so let's head on to weak points. It is a Super Bowl special week points. Uh, so weakest against the quarterbacks in the regular season, the Chiefs ranked second worst against quarterbacks, giving up an average of 23.3 points per game, with only the Lions conceding more fancy points to this position. Uh, they have conceded one passing touchdown in each of their playoff games on an average of 243.5 passing yards, 28 rushing yards on the ground from the quarterback position. Uh, comparatively, Eagles have only conceded 16.1 points against quarterbacks in the regular season, which was 27th overall. So there's a big, big difference there. In the playoffs, they've conceded an average of 116 aerial yards and 13 yards on the ground for quarterbacks. But the key here is that they haven't conceded a passing touchdown during these last two games. One thing I will say about that is look at the quarterbacks that they have been playing. And obviously, there was a massive injury uh, against there. But have they come up against a Mahomes yet? We'll see. We shall see. Yeah, absolutely. Mahomes is different, isn't he? But weakest against running backs. Both teams did much better against the running back position in the regular season. And it's the Chiefs who were more stingy in giving fantasy points away. They ranked 14th worst, giving away 22.9 fantasy points, whilst the Eagles were close to the bottom 10 with 23.4 points conceded putting them 11th worst, so pretty close anyway. But mm. the Eagles have continued this form in the playoffs with the running back position averaging 89 yards on the ground, three and a half receptions for 31 yards in the air, whereas the Chiefs, a little bit more stingy, just like the regular season, conceded 69 yards on the ground and five receptions for only 22 yards. So, so both teams have conceded a rushing touchdown as well in each of their playoff games. So this could be a key in the Super Bowl, yeah, I reckon so. That you know, strong pass, stronger ground game to, from the start. That that could be uh, where the battles won and lost. Um, wide receivers, the gap between the two teams is 
much wider than it was at um, running back. So the Eagles have eased inside the top 10 against the position, only conceding an average of 28 fantasy points per game in the regular season. And the Chiefs are at the wrong end of the table. So they are fifth worst against the position with 34.2 points per game conceded against them. Um, when it comes to the run game, however, the Eagles have faced six runs in the playoffs, but the opponents actually lost nine yards on those plays, so they know when to stop those runs from happening. The Chiefs have conceded 20 yards on two carries, so not as many uh, plays as, as you would expect, but some maybe some yardage to gain on the ground there. In the air, playoff opponents have averaged 179 yards and a touchdown on 13.5 receptions against the Chiefs, while the Eagles have conceded an average of 59 yards on seven receptions with no touchdowns, so a lot less yardage, a lot less receptions, no touchdowns against the Eagles. And like I said, it could be potent offences that they've played against, you know, that have caused the Chiefs to concede those touchdowns. The Eagles have looked a lot tighter, though, so the injuries for Kansas City might actually go in the Eagles' favour here. Yeah, it just... I still, I'm just so... <laughs> absolutely buzzing for this game. You have, there's just so many things that can happen, and so, like you say, the stats are just so bizarre, but Oh, yeah, it's, it's given up to be a big one. So the weakest against the tight end, then Eagles have given up 26.5 yards on 2.5 receptions over an average over the last two playoff games. The Chiefs' opponents saw more action with the possession in their matches with 42 yards on 5.5 receptions on average as well. Obviously, uh, Kelsey and Goddard, they are two outstanding tight ends, so this will be an interesting one. This matches up with the regular season performance. The Chiefs ranked just outside the bottom 10 with an average of 11.7 points, giving them the 11th worst average. Eagles fared much better with a 9.1 average fantasy points, putting them in 23rd, just inside the top 10 against the position. While all the signs point to consistency between the regular season and average rankings and the team's playoff performances, anything can happen. This is, remember, the biggest game of the year. Mm-hmm. So we shall finish it up with our standard Flex of the Week Super Bowl style. So, as Pitsy mentioned there, it's flex of the week, but we're doing it Super Bowl style. So, finding three players on two of the best offences in the league that are only flex plays would be hard enough. So, we've switched it up a bit, and we're going with a Super Bowl special. So, I'll kick it off with my absolutely wild, the interior of the Eagles defensive line. They are my flex for this Super Bowl match. And it's amazing, really, because... They signed Sue and Linville Joseph, two vets, seven Pro Bowls between them to help the Eagles stop the run halfway through the year. They obviously had Jordan Davis, first-round pick. They got Fletcher Cox there. But the experience they've brought to the D-line group, and it's worked. So these vets, they debuted in Week 11, Sue and Joseph. But Weeks 1 to 10, they gave they was giving up the 15th most yards. Week 11 until the end of the regular season, Eighth least yards on the ground given up. I don't see why they can't shut the Chiefs' run game down. So you got the seventh-round rookie running into basically a brick wall. And obviously, Jarrett McKinnon is more valuable through the air. But it could potentially be down to Mahomes and Kelsey versus the Eagles' secondary. Pacheco is fast, though. He is fast. Mm. If he could get an, an angle on the outside, that is going to take some stopping. Yeah, well, you know, if, if he if he gets out, then yeah. 
but um, it's I don't know. It's going to be, be so fun. There's got to be some trickery. They, they they bolstered the trenches when they knew they needed mm. to, and that that whole D line group. It doesn't matter who which two are in in yeah, the no, middle. I love it that way. Love it. It's it's very very strong, and uh, well, Andy Reid's going to be aware of it, isn't he? Come on, yeah. I'm talking like I know more than him for a minute. Come <laughs> on. <laughs> Well, my my pick of the flex, I have gone for a player, and my thoughts process has been exactly what you've been thinking here. It's going to be tight in the middle. Pacheco, that you've mentioned, he is going to be hitting that wall. So I think they are going to have to mix it up with what their running backs are doing. So my flex of the week is Jarek McKinnon. Um, not only for for that, but also because there's a lack of receivers that uh, you know we've already said it's quality over quantity. The Chiefs have got a lot, but they are injured. So they may have to use McKinnon in different positions. So you could see him heading out wide. Um, and it would be unusual because that might not be where the Eagles would have planned for him to be. The Chiefs, they like to mix it up. And, you know, we've seen the Ring of Ring of Roses play against the Raiders. You know, they, they like to drop some strange things in. You know, moving a running back to a different snap position is is not out of the realm of possibility. So my my thinking is that yeah, they'll they'll use McKinnon more on the ground because the Eagles won't expect it as much, and maybe they use Pacheco for a bit of pass catching. You know, it has been seen some targets, especially towards the end of the season and in the playoffs. They they have to mix it up, especially against like you said, a tough uh, run defense. And McKinnon, he is a, a pass outlet in clinch plays. We've seen it in the red zone. You you already mentioned how many receiving touchdowns he's had. It's going to be. Kelsey making moves in the end zone. It's going to be McKinnon making moves in the end zone, whatever wide receivers have got left. And, you know, I think, as we've mentioned, the Eagles have conceded uh, yards on the ground and in the air against running back positions compared to the other positions. I, I, I think they need to use the running backs in, in an innovative way and keep using McKinnon in the red zone. And that's why he is my flex of the week. Nice. Yeah, I really like that. Um, I, I, yeah, oh, sorry. Pacheco has doubled the targets of McKinnon in the playoffs as well. Mm, exactly. So I think, they, it, I think it's I think it's seven to four, so almost double. But who knows? We seen Damian Williams win the Super Bowl for him before, didn't we? It could be Ronald Jones's turn just for a, a wild one out there <laughs> to send everybody hyper and make them draft him <laughs> in the tenth round next year. Carry on. I'm all for it, Andy Reid. Go on. <laughs> Brilliant. All right, so my flex of the Super Bowl. Um, normal style, I think I would have gone someone like Gainwell. Like, I love how they've been using him, and he's been playing quite well in these playoffs as well. But this is the Super Bowl, and as with most people, this is the Kelsey Bowl, and I cannot <laughs> wait to see how this pans out. Jason is a fantastic centre, and you saw how useful he is in that short yardage needed with a scrum-like attack, drilling his feet into the ground and pushing forwards. Uh, for either a touchdown or a first down, he is one of the best centres out there. Um, and just like his brother, Travis, he's just a massive play, huge for Mahomes. I mean, we all know, just possibly one of my favourite players in the league. He's just an absolute beast and just pops, pops out of nowhere. Him and Mahomes just get it. They just have that little magic where they don't even have to talk to each other and Mahomes just knows where he is. He knows a step ahead of him, the ball's to him and you get himself either that first down or that touchdown. It's just, it's going to be amazing just to see both of them in their own little family ball as it is. So, yeah, I can't wait. Cannot wait. 
Uh, I absolutely love that. Jason Kelsey doesn't get enough attention, especially when it obviously with fantasy football, they get none the O line, but he, he, he's fantastic. He's hilarious as well. Yeah, he is. That podcast is amazing. So, yeah. But he, yeah. just even for Hertz this season, like he's made just made it so much easier for him. And he, yeah, he's just he's just solid, isn't he? As, as the centre goes. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, very much so. Uh, so, one of, one of the two most exciting teams. I know that there's other teams that maybe have come a bit closer, but I feel like there's a, there's been a lot of potential on the Eagles team for years, and, and we know how explosive and exciting the Chiefs are. So have these two teams come together? You've got like the the team that's been there for the last few years, and the Eagles and the new contenders coming up. It's uh yeah, it's, it's going to be a very exciting game, and it's one I'm, I'm very much looking forward to watching. I cannot wait! Cannot wait! Right, boys, that is it. That's our part part of the uh, the. Super Bowl schedule that we've got for Five Yard Rush. Um, loved being part of this and getting you guys back together and having a little chat together. So that was that was awesome. That's a special part of uh, our Super Bowl season. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, you guys enjoy the Super Bowl. Enjoy the off season with the free agency and the draft. I love that part of the season too. And until then, keep rushing. This is it, the final part of the show. Thank you very much to the Fast Action Friday boys for breaking this down. And now for additional fantasy content to look at the game in even more. Because it is fantasy, you need to get all the different opinions. You need to get all the different perspectives. The boys have done a phenomenal job. But I thought, let's squeeze one more guy on here to talk fantasy football it is the incredible mags if you don't know who he is i promise you this segment is well worth the watch and then i hope you go and follow him afterwards uh he is the host of the dynasty hot seat podcast as well as also the fancy wildcard rewind show with a couple of our folks here at five yard rush uh in the chair with him there so i hope you enjoy this particular final segment don't forget to follow all of our guests do not forget to enter the giveaways do not forget to like subscribe and everything that you need to do to ensure that we get more visibility on these shows because a lot of people are giving up their time and i really hope that we're able to uh, give and pay it forward in some way to all these wonderful people but without further ado here comes mags and from me thank you so much for watching come to the end of the show and it's the headline act. Everyone thought it would be Brad Johnson or Will Gavin or uh, Jeff Reinbold or Joe Dolan. Uh, but no, save the best till last, obviously. And I'm really excited to have a very good friend of mine, creator and host of the fabulous uh, Dynasty Hot Seat podcast, where <clears throat> I'm at top of the Hall of Fame still, uh, and co-host of the excellent Fantasy Wildcard Rewind show, Mags. Been on your show a couple of times, never had you on personally. I'm glad I could yeah. break this duck on such an amazing show. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, it is my pleasure, Murph. So happy to be here. Like I said, you know, you know, your dynasty hot seat royalty. So it's my my pleasure to, you know, have you rule red red carpet out for me for a change and, and come on to your fantastic show. And yeah, you're right. I mean, there was talk about Tom Brady actually, you know, he's retired now, he's got a bit of free time. Talk about him closing the show, but We've got to give the people what they really want, right? And that's exactly more, no more one wants to hear from yeah. Tom. He's old news. He's done. Like everyone's, no. everyone's done. Everyone's yeah. done with with that. And you know, we had some cool people. We've had ex players, but no, no, no. It's it's all about Max here. And you know, um, spoiler: you are a, a Chiefs fan. 
Um, so I have to get your thoughts on uh, the show or the Super Bowl, the matchup. How are you feeling about it um, and your initial thoughts on taking on the Eagles in this Super Bowl? Yeah, I mean, we, we kind of have a brief chat before we start recording about this. And, you know, there was a lot of talk kind of preseason about this is kind of going to be that kind of transition year for the Chiefs. Like, lost Tyreek Hill, lost Tyron Matthew, lost Traverius Ward. Like, some of these sort of bigger leaders in, in the locker room. And, you know, the secondary is a lot of rookies coming in. And you thought, right, okay, let's see what we can build going forward here. Who's going to be the guy that can maybe break out and we'll make a run of it, you know, in, in 2023. But here we are. Super Bowl, baby, right? <laughs> Nobody really seen that coming, but yeah, just delighted to be, you know, at another Super Bowl. Patrick Mahomes back to back to back to back to back AFC Championship games. He's only played five years. He's got five championship games. I mean, yeah, I just absolutely over the moon to, F- to have that. Five championship it. games, three Lamar Hunt trophies, soon to yeah. be crowned. Not officially, we do not know. Probably by the time we're recording this, you might know. Uh, but there's no doubt in my mind he'll be named the MVP. Uh, it's a pretty easy award. It goes to yeah. a QB on the number one seeded team, and I don't think it's going to go to Jalen Hurts. No disrespect to Jalen Hurts and the fantastic year that he's yeah. had, but it's going to go mm. to Patrick Mahomes. Um, so, you know, I think it's pretty easy to assume that. Um, but yeah, you're looking at three Lamar Hunt trophies, two, um, two, two MVPs, and he might end up this week with his second super bowl ring and it really has become and, and one of the themes of this show mags all the way through is this sort of dynasty now of of the chiefs that yeah. no matter what challenges they're facing this uh, iteration of the chiefs from 20 for 2022 is so different to what we've seen from a roster build to previous years and yet they've still been able to blow away the best conference probably the best division in football uh, as well with how the whole division tried to tool up um, yeah. against uh, the Chiefs and really, with the exception of the Chargers, came up very, very short. So it's it's unbelievable to see what there is. Forget Patrick Mahomes because everyone, it's easy to, and all show, we've given so much praise to Patrick Mahomes. I feel yeah. like we need to lower, lower it a little bit. <laughs> and even Andy Reid to a certain degree. Where would you put the credit on this organ on on this team and the way it's been built? Is that does Brett Feach deserve some like a lot of this credit for yeah. what he's done through the draft and and mm-hmm. and turning away the the major demands of Tyreek Hill to spend that money in other areas of the roster or or do you think really the coaching staff is are the, are the people that have done this? Yeah, I'm glad that you brought up uh, Brett Veachter actually because he's a guy you don't really hear. Well, you don't really hear GM's names a lot, really. But he's he's done an absolutely fantastic job. He's I don't know what he's a young young guy as well, so he's really only getting getting started, I think, too. But the Chiefs have drafted really well. I mean, just look, we talked about you know the rookies. Like most of that secondary is made up of rookies. Like you got Watson, you got Trent McDuffie, who's been fantastic this year, and they've really come along. You know, I think just exceptionally well. I think Steve Spagnola, he's great as the year kind of, you know, ticks on. You're usually fine with the Chiefs defense that it gets better and better and better and better as the year ticks on. So I think Steve Spagnola definitely deserves a bunch of credit. You got, I mean, Eric Bieniemy. Every year, Eric Bieniemy doesn't get a head coach job. I am delighted. I don't know how, you know, he's not been plucked up yet. He's had plenty of interviews, but yeah, it just doesn't seem to to be able to get I mean, that, that head coaching role. If you were to believe, if you were to believe what's been reported, it's mm. 
he doesn't interview well. That's what and yeah. and that unfortunately when he goes in against other opposition uh, for jobs that he doesn't he doesn't come across as a good communicator and he doesn't come across as somebody mm-hmm. who can communicate his vision and his plan. Now obviously mm. there's a bit of counterbalance here because he's taken an offense to uh, the AFC Championship game five years in a row, and this is his yeah. third Super Bowl in five years. Um, so, you know, I think there has to be some context to this. Is, I mean, I, it's a hard one because you look at what he's achieved, but then not all coordinators deserve head coaching jobs. And we have to be a bit True. mindful True. of that. I've seen so many coordinators who have taken jobs. I mean, Tampa went through a whole spate of them for years yeah. where they took uh, an offensive coordinator, made them a head coach. I can think of Dirk Cutter most recently, who yeah. just wasn't a head coach. He couldn't manage the players or the scheme or the organization. And mm-hmm. that, I think, goes into the thinking. And I think it's hard and people will, will play a card against him and look at his color of his skin and look at... And, and that could play a part, you know, unfortunately. Yeah. that You can't rule yeah. it out. But on the on the flip side... The fact he's had so many interviews and nobody's given him a job, yeah. There's some. There is no smoke without fire. There is something there that he's not doing in the interviews. But as you say, you'd be delighted. I heard a little yeah. rumor that he could potentially move on this off season after the Super Bowl. Do you think that could yeah. be the case? I mean, it could be the case. Um, it's hard. It's it's hard to tell. I mean, in in the moment, I suppose if he wins. Chiefs end up winning the Super Bowl. You might be like, "That's the perfect time maybe, to move on." The Chiefs do have people like like a lot. Of, I don't know. If, I don't know if it is huge public news or if it's well known. The Chiefs' quarterback coach this year has been Matt Nagy, who obviously was a head coach, right? Um, he's someone that probably could slot into an offensive coordinator role pretty well. So yeah. you know, Eric Bieniemy, if, if he moved on, I I wouldn't be surprised if you got someone like Matt Nagy just to kind of fill in there and and make a move like up to offensive coordinator he's maybe another good example of a guy that maybe isn't meant to be a head coach but you know has well, you, has done really well that. as a coordinator he's an nfl coach of the year oh my god you're right yeah so so you know he's yeah, someone who in his was it his first season or second season he you know he yeah. was nfl co- head coach of the year which mm. Looks wild now, but um, yeah. obviously at the time they were taking the progress, and it, it didn't happen for him. And yeah, uh, it's a tough situation. I think he's someone that will earn another gig at some point. And I think, as you say, mm-hmm. if if the enemy moves on, I think moving Matt Nagy up would make a, a whole ton of sense. And I think that would be yeah. great for him. And I think it would be good for the organization. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you know, we're not here to talk Chiefs because we've done Chiefs, we've done Eagles, we've done X's and O's. We've broken the game down. I feel like we've we've covered the game. We feel good about it uh, as to where we're thinking uh, yeah. this this far out. We're, let's talk about fantasy football and let's talk let's about do we've done DFS, we've done prop bets, and the guys at the Fast Section Friday have done uh, a redraft look at this. But I, I want to look at this from a, um, a, a potentially like a, a playoff tournament where maybe okay. you've got a limited, you've got potentially limited lineup selections where you can only select mm-hmm. the player once or twice. Look at the different positions and think who are the must starts if you haven't used them, i.e., you've been saving them for the Super yeah. Bowl and you're able to predict this. Um, and then who are some players who, if you have run out of options, who you could potentially play in those positions yeah. Um, yeah. to fill your roster? So let's start with the QB position. And we've got two very good ones for fantasy football in, in this one. 
in Mahomes and Hurts. Now, maybe your the decision that you as a viewer might have to make here is already made up. You might have already played Mahomes in the AFC yeah. title game or whatever game might be before, and you might have saved Jalen Hurts for the Super Bowl. Or vice versa, you might have thought the Chiefs were the best bet and you play Jenner. Either way, if you haven't got to make a decision, then great. Um, you can start with who you need. Or, inversely, if you've played them both, um, <laughs> I guess you're playing Gardner Minshew um, and, and hoping that he gets some snaps. Um, but who would you have if you had the flat choice here in, in, a, in a, you know, in a redraft or a playoff tournament, would you be playing Mahomes or would you be playing Hurts in this one? Yeah, I mean, first of all, if you play them both, give Kyle Shanahan a call. He's got plenty of experience dealing with absolutely no quarterbacks to work with, so maybe he can give you a hand with that. <laughs> Sign Kyle Juszczyk, he can give you a go. Absolutely, yeah. Who is a Juwan Johnson four-star high school recruit? Yeah, get him in. Like, that's, yeah. yeah. That's enough, guys. Uh, yeah. Um, but, yeah, this, this is a good... By the way, I love love the concept of this because it does something that one of my favorite things about fantasy football is it kind of erodes your like Homer bias, right? Mm. It kind of forces you to like appreciate and respect other players from other teams. You don't get that thing that you might get if you don't follow fantasy. We're like, oh no, like all their players are trash. Like I don't like any of those guys. Like you don't get that. Like I don't have that oh, with AJ Brown. I'm like, I love AJ Brown. AJ Brown won me a like title this year in, in fantasy football. Like I can't say enough good things about AJ Brown because like he's brought me success in, in fantasy football. So I like that that fantasy football does that. It kind of, yeah, what I say, erodes your, your bias towards, towards people. So this was a good Absolutely. exercise. I'm still picking Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> like yeah. I'll say that. Like he was he was quarterback one on the year. Jalen Hurts. I mean, Jalen Hurts proved me wrong this year because he really up leveled his throwing. You know, the rushing we knew was there already. But I mean, Patrick Mahomes, he broke the NFL record for combined yards and rushing. He threw 41 touchdowns. I mean, yeah, but it's <laughs> Like you said, you've talked enough about Patrick Holmes. I could I could talk all day about him, but Jalen Hurts. Yeah. I think if you if you're forced to play him, you're going to be delighted as well. One stat I had a little look into this. Do you know Jalen Hurts tried to rush the ball a hundred more times than Patrick Mahomes this year? <laughs> I'm surprised it's only that. I thought it was a lot. Yeah. More. So yeah, I think if you got one of these guys to play in this, like you're you're delighted. And you know, Patrick Mahomes obviously finished quarterback one again this year. I wouldn't be shocked. In fact, I'd actually be surprised if. Jalen Hurts doesn't finish as a quarterback one overall in his career at some stage. So both guys absolutely amazing. But I'd I'd leave Mahomes. Yeah, I'm I'm the same. I talked about this in a, a DFS segment earlier on that I, I'm slightly concerned about the shoulder of of Jalen Hurts. It is his throwing arm. Um and mm. I think he's not going to throw the ball as much. And I think if you're going to drop ten attempts, maybe more, uh in passing. That's going to limit. I know he's got the rushing upside, but it's going yeah. to limit how much he can do. Give me Mahomes in this one. Don't overthink yeah. it. I think it's pretty straightforward. Then we get to the running back position. Yeah. Now, Conjecture here would look at this and go, Philly going to run the ball a ton, playing game well, and, and Sanders probably makes the most amount of sense given the nature of how their offense is built versus how um, yeah. the, the Chiefs are built. But I'm not <laughs> so sure that I would advocate that as the best play here. Um, what are your initial thoughts here? And, and do you think that McKinnon or, or Pacheco are well worth 
looking out here over someone like Miles Sanders or Kenneth Gainwell. Yeah, I mean, if you if you look at Jarek McKinnon from sort of weeks 10 to week 17, which is like, you know, the real meat of the fantasy football season, that's whenever, you know, you really want to be winning games. He was running back six overall. He was scoring five points a game more than Miles Sanders was at mm. that stage. So, you know, Jarek McKinnon really coming on towards towards the end of the season. Actually, it, really interesting enough, as uh, Pacheco, only scoring a half point less per game than Miles Sanders was during that period. So Isaiah Pacheco, really, he started to come along quite nicely towards the end of the year as well. I still think because of that, you know, receiving ups, obviously it depends if you're PPR or not. If you are if you are standard, I would kind of avoid Jerick McKinnon PPR. Yeah. I think Jerick McKinnon might be a safe kind of play here. He's kind of an old steady head. He might get quite a lot of, of looks in the Super Bowl. Trust the guy for Mahomes. Yeah, I, I think I would definitely go Miles Sanders for sure. I think I would I would go with a, a Sanders McKinnon one one two punch there. Yeah, I'm close to you. I would go with a Gainwell uh, McKinnon one two punch. I think Ooh, because nice. of the fact there's some injuries here to the wide receivers and we don't know the full story. Um, but you know, with Juju hasn't practiced yet, um, and we know that there's some question marks here. We know McCall Harmon's not going to play. So we're looking at, good, at this. Good, um, Cole Harmon yeah. sucks. I hear that. <laughs> I hope he, play, I hope he doesn't play. <laughs> well, no, he's well. It looks like he's been ruled out already. And then we have got Kadarius Tony right. hasn't practiced yet. So yeah. when you're looking at that, I think there's a real role here in the slot for and and screen passes and bubble passes yeah. here for Jarek McKinnon. So I really like his upside in this game. I would go game well over Miles Sanders. Just looking at what they've done during the playoffs. He's been a lot fresher, a lot more explosive, and he's also getting the goal line carries. Um, but I think you go, you can go right either way. I'm a big Miles Sanders guy. I think he's a great talent. So it pains yeah. me to say that, but I do. I would lean game well on there. The most difficult slate here is is the wide receivers. Now I think this yeah. is a game that is um, a tough one because the best wide receivers in this game are all on the side of the ball where they're probably going to throw the ball a lot less. Um, and so you're going to struggle to play them both. So mm. where do you go here for wide receivers? And then if you've happened to play AJ Brown or, or uh, Devonta Smith and you're kind of stuck here, who mm. do you pick as an outside bet to uh, pick up nice receiving yards here as a wide receiver? So I've got, I've got one name from each side on this one here. Uh, for the Chiefs, maybe not surprising after what we've seen in the last game. I mean, Marquez Valdez Scantling really came on good in the in the last game there against the Bengals. The biggest game of his career, you could probably argue, mm. you know, well north of hundred yards. The biggest games of his Chiefs career for sure, and he needed needed to be the guy that stepped up because everybody mm. else was out. The Chiefs have got ten wide receivers on their roster, and by the end of the game, seven of them were unavailable which That's is wild. crazy. So it, it was MVS, and it had to be MVS. And he, he stepped up. And I am just wondering if if there's going to be like a switch go off in his head now where he's like, oh, maybe I can be the guy. After playing send, second fiddle to Devontae Adams for so long, maybe he's like, oh, maybe I can be the guy. And you look at a guy like MVS, he's big, he's strong, he's fast, he's got amazing measurables. So maybe this is a moment where MVS you know, has a bit of that confidence boost and starts hitting the ground running going on. And if there's anyone that's going to get your head right and and coach you towards greatness, it's probably Andy Reid. He's one of the best in the league at, you know, that mental side of the game. So 
hopefully MBS now realizes he's got that talent and he's kind of unlocked another tier to his game. So he'd be my guy for the Chiefs. What do you think about it, Murph? You think that's a good shot for the Chiefs side? So I think it depends on the format you're playing. I think if we're talking here in, in, in this specific mm. format of either playoff football or redraft, then yeah, I, w- I would agree with you. Um, Mark Ferguson, who does our DFS content, made a really good point that in DFS he's a massive fade. And the reason he's a fade is because the ownership's going to be really high because of his performance two weeks ago when the game's yeah. played and also the injury concerns of everybody else, that it's going to be very hard for him to meet the expectations. Um, and he's going to be a bit of a, a a bit of a wash in the sense of from an ownership perspective to what you're going to get in value. So he would pivot away in DFS, and that makes sense, although I don't play a lot of DFS, but I, yeah, yeah. I got the logic. Um, and would look at other receivers in this game. Um, For me, the one I would have really under the radar that I think uh, got a boost from the game, not in the role that you would have expected, but more as a kick returner was Sky Moore. And I Mm -hmm. think actually he made a very big play towards the end of the game on that kick return. And I think if he can get some confidence, I think he could be someone that steps up and does something. But that's a bit more of a risk than someone like MVS. But I, yeah, I agree with you. I probably wouldn't be looking at Juju or Tony, especially wouldn't look at Tony in this game. I think this is more a case yeah. of it could be MVS, it could be Sky Moore, um, it could go all to Travis Kelsey. I mean, we'll have to see how that goes. But um, probably. The, the problem on the other side of the ball is you've got to pick one of the receivers. And it's either going to be Smith or it's going to be Brown. I don't see both these guys putting up big numbers because of the fact they're going to limit how much Hertz is going to throw this ball. And I don't know. I don't know who, because they've been fairly even. I think it's very tough to to pick. So I think you, you, maybe your ownership choices and you, you might've already played an AJ Brown in an earlier round. Maybe your decisions become so much easier, but if you haven't and you have to make the option, I'd lean Smith. I don't know about you. I would probably yeah. lean Smith. I just think the home run ability and that speed against the corners might just give him a small, small edge over AJ Brown. Yeah, I, I would lean Devonta Smith as well, mainly because I mean the Chiefs have been game planning for you know a similar S kind of player, Jamar Chase, for a long time now. Jamar Chase has been the kryptonite to the Kansas City Chiefs for a while. You know, AJ Brown, while not being the exact same player, has got a lot of similar traits. So the Chiefs might be able to cut and paste the game plan for Jamar Chase and apply it to AJ Brown. There's no Devonta Smith threat that the Bengals have that the Chiefs have already prepped for. So he would be a guy I'm more worried about, especially if you're saying Jalen Hurts is hurt. You know, Smith usually operates closer to the line of scrimmage. He could be getting like, more of those short rides and short targets. And so, yeah, I would lean Smith there. You know, if you're really desperate, you know what name keeps coming up whenever the Eagles need to make a really big play? It's Quez Watkins. That name yeah. pops up all the time. When it's it fourth downs, when it's in the fourth quarter, he's a guy that they really do look for because everyone else is looking, like you said, at AJ Brown and Devontae Smith. So if you're really, really desperate, you know, Quez Watkins is a, is a very boomer bus player. But, hey. I love that. Yeah, I love that. The next two positions I think are pretty easy um, to pick if you've got full availability. If you can pick from the field, you're picking Travis Kelsey. I think that's an easy one. I think everyone knows he's going to get the ball 
eight to ten yeah. times. Um, yeah. You know, I think you're going to get similar numbers to what he did the last time he was in the Super Bowl. Wouldn't shock me if you can't pick yeah. him. You're picking Dallas Goddard more out of necessity. If for some yeah. weird construction and you've picked both, the name I would go for is Noah Gray. Yeah, because you just never know he might pop up in the end zone and get you a touchdown. It's a desperation yeah, play, but. I think that that position doesn't require a lot of conversation. It's a huge tear gap between uh, Kelsey and, and Goddard. Um, and I think the same yeah. at the kicker position. I think I look at the kicker position here and think, you're going Butker. He's got the leg. He's got the consistency. And in the playoffs, he's been absolute money. Um, you know, he's been yeah. scoring 10 to 13 points a game in the playoffs. He's getting more than most wide receivers are. So uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't think you need a, a big uh, a big one here to work out which kicker, no. and of course, if you've used him, you need to flip over to the other side of the fence, and of course, that happens. So yeah. DST, I think, is a little bit closer. If, the, if you're mm-hmm. playing in a in a playoff contest with a DST, and I know if the NFL.com ones do, some do, mm-hmm. some don't, who are you going with here if you uh, had a free reign to pick both? And I think you probably would, actually. I don't think even yeah. these teams had high ownerships going into, uh, going into the championship week, and I don't Maybe the Eagles might have been used already and you have to go Chiefs, which is fine. But uh, yeah. if, if you had the free reign, who are you picking? Yeah, this is a really interesting one. For for like the special teams, I kind of... It depends if Canarius Tony is is healthy. Because I think on the special team side, he's definitely the most explosive punt returner, kick returner. And he's got the most home run ability on those for a chance to get big points. On just the defensive side, I think, I think the Eagles are probably a stronger play defensively but I mean I, I, I didn't look up the stat for this Murph but I can only assume that it's true that the two teams that get to the Super Bowl are incredibly good at not turning the ball over so I wouldn't expect a huge amount of points coming your way on the on the DST side you know both these quarterbacks are really really good at not getting sacked and getting away from things in fact Patrick Mahomes is historically great when he's pressured in fact the less you mm. pressure him the better generally and, you know, we all know about Jalen Hurts. He gets away from everybody. So it could be a very low-scoring affair on the defensive side because I just don't yeah. see either team turning the ball over a lot or, you know, getting sacked a lot. But I would give the slight edge to the Eagles, I think, on that side. See, I I would just, I think all your points are 100% correct. I think low turnovers, mm-hmm. high scoring. No one's going to see a big bump on the DST. Yeah. But... I'm, I would pick the Chiefs. And the reason to pick the Chiefs is because, not because I think they're a great DST, not because I think they're going to get you a whole heap of points, but if I look at the teams that are most likely to return one for a touchdown from a kickoff or a punt return, yeah, I'm going to take the Chiefs. And that's literally yeah. all I, I... That, for me, is the only differentiator. Because I think yeah. you've said it right. I would I, The only other differentiator is sacks. I do think you're going to see more sacks come from the Eagles, I don't think it's yeah. going to be a huge number because of how much, as you say, uh, Patrick Mahomes escapes pressure. So I don't yeah. think you're going to see a six-sack game, a five-sack game. So when you're sitting there trying to, I think you'll see like a three-to-one sack game or two-to-one sack game. Yeah. Like I don't think you're going to see a huge difference. So I, I look at that and think, yeah, I'd, 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 I'd go with the team who I think with the ultimate upside, who's going to return a touchdown for me? Yeah. I'd bet the Chiefs um, and someone like Sky Mork or Darius Tony can potentially yeah. break one. It's unlikely, highly unlikely, but that's yeah. that would be where I would go. Yeah. Um, 
Well, I really appreciate this, mate. Before I let you go and before I sign off the show, I want you to take the opportunity to plug all the work you're doing, all the phenomenal work, the podcast you're on, anything else you're up to, uh, and tell everyone where they can follow uh, follow you and get to know you all a little bit better. Yeah, well, first of all, before I go, I can't end on, on, on saying something nice about the Eagles. So I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna quote the legendary voice of the Chiefs. It's Mitch Holthus. In his legendary words, he said, you can doubt the Chiefs, you can dislike the Chiefs, you can disrespect the Chiefs, but you're gonna have to deal with the Chiefs. And that's exactly <laughs> what's gonna have to happen to the Philadelphia Eagles. They've coasted through these playoffs. They might be the favorites in the bookies, but the last person they want to see on the other side of the field is Patrick Mahomes. And that's what's 100%. going to happen. And I cannot wait for it. As for me, man, thank you so much for having me on. Uh, if you're interested, guys, you can find me on Twitter at Hot Seat Mags. Uh, if you like a bit of Dynasty, I run a show called The Dynasty Hot Seat. Check that out as well. And if you're if you're not into fantasy at all, and you just like watching the NFL, watching the games, go check out the, the Wild Card Rewind show I do with with Paul Pickin and the queen of fantasy football, Hannah Rowland. Go follow those guys as well. Absolutely great uh, five-yard guys and uh, amazing show that you do. Big fan of it, so definitely go check that out. Mags, thank you very much for joining. Everybody at home, this is it. This is the end of the show. This is uh, coming up on just short of five hours. It's been a long show. It's been an incredible ride with incredible guests. Please do follow all of our guests um, and thank them for their time and, and enjoy their content. And in the case of Brad Johnson, follow him on TikTok and listen, and, and watch all of his trick shots. Um, I'm told they're all real. Um, <laughs> I will, <laughs> that's what I'm told. Um, don't forget two giveaways, the Brad Johnson jersey and the, the Clyde Edwards Hilaire signed jersey, both signed jerseys. One contest on Twitter, one contest on the YouTube. Um, make sure you follow all the instructions in this video. If you don't follow them all, you cannot enter. Um, and again, if you live outside the UK, you can still win. But I will ask for a contribution on the shipping. It seems only fair. You're getting a cool prize. You know, uh, I'm not the richest man in the world. Um, <laughs> other than that, enjoy your Super Bowl wherever you are watching it. Uh, make sure that you do it responsibly and safely. Um, and I don't want to read on Twitter the next day that somebody has been banned from a bar for life uh, for over-celebrating, as I saw <laughs> some posts last year. Um, but however, enjoy your Super Bowl experience. You never know next year your team could be in it. Um, but I'm sure this is going to be a good one. But until next time, next year, next year's Super Bowl, as always... Don't forget, keep watching. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.